This podcast is part of the Erotica Podcast Network. We offer a free Erotica Podcast and a premium patron taboo podcast which contains more intense sexual themes. You can subscribe to the premium podcast for $2 per month or support the Erotica Podcast on Patreon to support us and allows members to request future stories and themes. Thank you for listening. This podcast contains mature content and is intended for an adult audience only. It contains explicit words, thoughts, and ideas. The content of all stories is fiction with any similarities to real people or events being purely coincidental. This podcast is not intended for anything but entertainment of the listener, and if you do not agree with the themes listed in the tags, please do not listen to the story. All characters engaging in sexual relationships or activities are 18 years old or older. This story was found on a free website and brought to audio form here. I did not write and take no credit for this story. Please visit the link in the comments to further support this author. Endangered Part 8 by LTPC Chapter 09 The pale purple liquid glittered up at him out of the little vial cradled in his hand. Chris sighed and tucked it back into his shorts pocket. He glanced at the air beside him again, knowing Lillian was walking in stride and imagining the way her wide hips would no doubt be swaying. Invisible, it was distracting to even hear her unnaturally light footfalls as they walked through the underground connection to the compound. This morning as she'd gotten up, she made sure to give him a show getting dressed. Chris hadn't really thought about how provocative watching a woman put clothes on could be. So far it had always been about getting them off. Watching her pull charcoal stockings up onto her silky thighs and clip them onto a lacy garter belt had made his cock tent the bedding obscenely. She only laughed and then wiggled her ass sexily into a navy pencil skirt that came up to the narrowest part of her waist, clinging to her figure. Next came some odd sort of doskin halter top which struggled to contain her breasts and left her arms bare. As she started slipping on her combat boots as he liked to call them, he suddenly realized she wasn't going to be wearing any undergarments at all today. Her rather utilitarian black boots didn't really fit her outfit very well but the rest of the ensemble was so skin-tight that it didn't matter. Now all he could think about as he walked beside her on their way to meet Michelle was that she was completely commando. He had to struggle against the desire to drag her into some sort of secluded little alcove and ravage her. His cock was dangerously conspicuous down the side of his leg, throbbing in protest of the way he was working himself up. Meeting two members of the team Michelle was putting together with a pocket hard-on was going to make him look like some sort of horny teenager. They met up with Michelle outside a small conference room just off the main reception area of the compound. With her were two very unnerved women. Michelle introduced the first as Lisa Hess, a shortish Caucasian woman with quite a nice figure and very short, almost boyish brown hair. She wore a gray suit and Chris, ever the lecherous male, struggled not to let his eyes dip to assess her shapely body as they shook hands. The second was a tall, powerfully built African-American woman introduced as Catherine, Cat, Jackson. She was almost as tall as Lillian, who would be considered a giant of a woman. But where Lillian was voluptuous, Cat was all lean muscle and very obviously in peak physical condition. She looked quite young in the company of Lisa and Michelle. Perhaps it was her more casual attire of jeans, a white tank top, and some sort of dark leather riding jacket. When they shook hands, her grip was overly strong, like she was challenging him. Indeed, her brown eyes narrowed when he simply smiled back at her. He wondered what he'd done wrong to piss her off in the ten seconds they'd been aware of each other's existence. Lillian, still invisible, let out the tiniest hiss of disapproval at his side. Michelle noticed the little exchange and ushered them into the conference room where she'd set up a projector. Chris got a good look at Kat's backside in her skin-tight jeans and had to admit it looked superb, if a little slim for his refined taste. This time Lillian let out an affronted little grunt. He shrugged his shoulders. Perhaps his mysterious third heritage was pig, as with just about everything in the compound, the room was richly decorated. The carpet extravagantly thick and soft, the chairs firm but comfortable. A huge oak table dominated the spacious room. The walls were a calming teal and the ceiling was mostly cream but had an incredibly detailed thin stencil pattern overlaid in green and blue. Two dim light orbs shone out from inlaid recesses, providing soft illumination. Neither woman seemed to have noticed that unusual magical detail. Okay, you've both been given dossiers on the basic overview of our situation. Michelle stood with her tablet in hand as Kat and Lisa took seats opposite Chris around the oak table. Lillian stood behind him, invisible, her hands resting possessively on his shoulders. Through somewhat dubious means, 
we have discovered the existence of magical beings who have coexisted with us in secret for thousands of years. Still ain't sure I believe it. Cat interrupted in her Atlanta accent. From her relaxed position in her chair, she seemed to be exuding bravado. We'll take care of that today. Michelle smiled indulgently. Anyway, you've accepted jobs here in Denver working under me in the youngest child agency in the Department of Defense family, the Being Interaction Agency. You've both got top-level clearance as of this morning and you've signed your lives away with our strictest confidentiality agreements. Given your backgrounds and discipline, it shouldn't be too hard to keep your mouth shut for a few more months until we're ready to go public with the news. That is of the utmost importance. Everyone nodded agreement. Uncontrolled release of that sort of information would be a nightmare. Both women had thoroughly read the briefings they'd been given. They sort of read like a fairy tale and were deliberately vague on specific details. However, the jobs they'd been offered were very real and paid very well. Anyway, I brought you in early because someone in our broadening network of people in the know has failed to keep their damn mouths shut. As a result, we've ended up with a public gunfight in front of a popular being nightclub here in the city. It was an attempted kidnapping of our resident delinquent here, Chris Barrist. Lisa's head cocked and her blue eyes were suddenly piercing him with a brutal assessment. Christopher Barrist? Who supposedly took out three assailants and incapacitated two more in the middle of an automatic gunfight? Lisa's superiors at the local FBI field office here in Denver had been trying to contact him for questioning ever since the club shooting and here she was in the very same room with him. Guilty. He said a little sheepishly, feeling Lillian's grip on his shoulder tighten. You've got some questions to answer if you wouldn't mind coming down to East 36th Avenue with me after this. Only the way the smaller woman said it left no doubt that she wasn't asking at all. B-U-P-B-U-P-B-U-P-B-U-P-B-U-P. Michelle scolded. Hands off my asset, FBI skank. Anyway, you work for me now and if I find out you're playing for both sides, even though we're technically on the same side, I will literally defenestrate the living shit out of your career. This is too important. Chris mocked swooning at his protector across the table and he felt Lillian relax again. Kat even had the audacity to chuckle at the special agent's bemused reaction. He's all yours. Lisa relented. Old habits, you know. Yes, well, he's ours actually. As for you, young lady. Michelle looked meaningfully at Kat. I've seen your marine record. You might be just about the only woman to pass muster for dedicated frontline combat units, but I won't tolerate any of your bullshit. You are not the hottest shit on this block, let me assure you. I plucked you from a logistics base so you wouldn't die of boredom, but I'm going to need you to keep an open mind and adapt on the fly. You've got a lot to learn. Yes, ma'am. Kat stiffened, responding instinctively to the firm hand of authority. Wait just a second. Lisa was thinking over the weekend's dramatic events with new eyes. The club shooting was an attempted kidnapping and you say Chris here was both the target and an asset of yours. Ours. But I've read his file. He's just some kid from up near Laramie. No offense. Chris pantomimed being stabbed through the heart. Michelle tried to keep it cool but ended up giggling unprofessionally. He could be so goofy sometimes. Why don't you show them, Chris? She said. What, like right here? He looked around in concern. Why not? Only go halfway, obviously. Michelle encouraged. Seeing was believing with these types of indoctrinated professionals. She could remember back in the early days when Roddick had been stringing them along with his bullshit. She hadn't truly believed in the existence of magic until she'd seen it with her own eyes. But I'd have to take most of my clothes off. He glanced meaningfully at Lisa and Kat. Show us what? Kat asked suspiciously. What's it got to do with him getting naked? God damn it, Chris. Where is this modesty coming from all of a sudden? I've seen you strutting around in almost nothing plenty of times at home. Michelle pestered. Fine. Chris stood up resentfully and began pulling his baggy black t-shirt over his head. That's different though, Michelle. Lillian stepped aside and watched with interest. The two unknown women were about to get a shock. Whoa, 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 what's going on here? You live with him? I don't think. Lisa didn't finish her sentence as Chris pulled off his undershirt as well, revealing the rather impressive physique of his huge body. Damn, you've been eating your spinach, son. Kat murmured appreciatively. Yes, Lisa, I live with Chris, I'm his familiar. Michelle replied. As Chris Shorts came down and he kicked off the leather, desert-style shoes Annabelle had recently bought for him. It's a long story and I'll tell you all about it later. Just hold judgment and watch this. 
He stood up, his hands automatically moving to cover his junk, even though he was still wearing a dark green pair of boxer shorts. Michelle met his eyes and nodded encouragingly. He took a glance around and closed his eyes. The dragon came on eagerly. What the oh shit? No fucking way. He opened his eyes again, rustling his wings into a comfortable position. His enhanced sense of smell picked up adrenaline and fear as the two new recruits, now standing, stared at him in open-mouthed shock. There was also a flash of arousal coming from the concealed vampire over to his right. Lillian? He reached his hand out toward her. The air shimmered for a tiny moment before she was once again standing in front of them, smiling her predatory grin as she took his hand and pressed herself against his side once more. Cat let out a little eep noise. Lisa reached for her ever-present. Trusty Glock 23 only to remember she'd reluctantly surrendered it when she'd entered the previously unknown underground structure that Michelle called the compound. Where the fuck did Jessica Rabbit come from? Cat backed away, looking around defensively. Remember the briefing material, ladies? Michelle placed a calming hand on each of their shoulders. This is the real deal, pornographic figure and all. This is Lillian, she can make herself invisible so that light passes through her. That's rather convenient for a vampire if you don't want the world's worst sunburn. A vampire? Lisa stammered. Holy shit it's real, it's all real. Then what the fuck is he? Cat pointed at Chris. I'm a dragon. Jesus. The marine shook her head. No, a dragon. Chris rumbled out a deep chuckle. Are we you know safe? Lisa eyed the pale goddess wrapping herself around the, the purple and cream colored dragon man. Lillian turned and bared her fangs at the FBI agent with a feral snarl, making her jump. Cut that out, Lillian. Michelle admonished. Yes, she's actually quite friendly once you get to know her. Just for God's sake, don't let her push your buttons. I swear she is constantly goading people just to stave off the boredom of living for half a millennium. You don't have to worry about little old me. I've got my favorite walking, talking, snack right here. Lillian turned and licked all the way up Chris' large bicep to his shoulder before sinking her teeth just barely through his tiny purple scales. Ouch, cut it out, Lillian. Chris complained as she lapped at the tiny droplets of blood that welled up. Oh, you poor baby. She cooed sarcastically back. I could suck something else if you like. You'll have to excuse those two. Michelle guided the two stunned women gently back into their seats. They've only just gotten involved, physically in the last few days. They're sort of in that honeymoon phase. Half a millennium? Lisa murmured, putting her hand to her forehead as the enormity of what she'd signed up for sunk home. Um, yeah, Lillian is apparently a little over 500 years old, though she acts like a 21-year-old most of the time. Michelle shot the last toward the playful vampire. What about him, then? Is he actually a dragon? How is that possible? Cat followed up. Well, Chris is just as old as his file says. He's 19 and only came into his full dragon heritage about two and a half months ago under increasingly suspicious circumstances. Before that he was just a regular high school kid. It might not make much sense to you, but Chris is a very, very powerful being and he's incredibly important to the survival of his species. You see, dragons have been hunted to the brink of extinction for their magical powers and he's one of only seven male dragons alive today. He's also unique in his ability to manipulate the ether dimension, it's his dragon's aspect. The two women were listening but somewhat distracted by the increasingly amorous vampire's attempts at affection and the young dragon's embarrassed rebuttal in front of the people he would have to be working closely with soon. Michelle scowled at Lillian but continued her explanation to the captive audience. Anyway, as part of the deal I struck on his behalf for getting in trouble with the Missile Defense Agency over the skies of Alaska a while ago, he's contracted to work with us at the BIA. He's the first being to accept such a position but we hope there are going to be many more, in fact, there will have to be. Your team of four will be working closely with him amongst other duties and ensuring his safety from non-magical threats. We're going to have plenty of time to answer all your questions and I've got some far more detailed files for you to read but right now we have a time-sensitive operation underway. Which is why I called you in early. Hello? Earth to two drooling idiots. Come in? Michelle clicked her fingers loudly and the two women started out of the enthralled state they were beginning to be sucked down into. Damn, his pheromones were working fast these days. Um, sorry. Lisa blushed, looking away from the two amorous beings that it seemed like Lillian had won out. They were now Frenching enthusiastically. Would you two knock it off for five minutes? Michelle was exasperated. I know you just want to hump like bunnies all day long, but this is serious. 
Lisa and Kat are coming to terms with a lot, and it would be nice if you could be professional if not helpful. I mean you've already gotten her pregnant for God's sake so at this point you're just being obnoxious as far as I'm concerned. Keep it in the damn bedroom. Lillian giggled coyly but they did separate. Sorry. Chris apologized as they broke apart. Michelle was right of course. He glared at Lillian for getting him in trouble, but she only winked and bumped her soft hip into him. To his mortification, he had the obvious beginnings of an erection tenting his boxers. It's fine, Chris. I know you're hardly to blame. I think we're going to need that pheromone cancellation potion, though. Lillian stuck her tongue out at her human friend. Um, sure. It's right here. He bent down to retrieve the vial Susan had given him that morning and handed it across the table to Michelle. Can I go back to normal and get dressed now? Yes, of course, Chris. I'm sorry for pushing you like that. I think I understand your reluctance now. Oh, don't be such a spoil sport, Michelle. Lillian laughed. Those two seemed to like the show. Michelle didn't reply, knowing the vampire couldn't be reasoned with when it came to teasing. Chris was already changing back into his human form and grabbing up his discarded clothes. Okay, sorry about that. Michelle pulled up a chair and sat just behind the two women. You'll learn to ignore Lillian most of the time. See what I mean about pushing your buttons? This is going to sound even more crazy than what I've put you through already, but this is a magic potion. It is specifically tailored to cancel Chris' dragon pheromones. They're a naturally occurring part of his species' biology. Unfortunately, they seem to work on most other humans and human-blended beings and are very effective at amplifying one's desires. That is why you may or may not be struggling with some irrational, intense feelings right now. One little dab of this potion under your nose will clear it up right away. It's perfectly safe. I do it myself every day. Both Lisa and Kat looked back and forth between Michelle and Chris, who shrugged. Sorry guys, not much I can do about it except carry around a vial of PCP. So what? He's like a walking date rape? Man, you are a piece of work. Kat wasn't impressed as she took the offered vial from Michelle. She unscrewed the cap and placed her finger over the opening before appending it to catch some on her skin. Then she offered it to Lisa and wiped the finger under her nose. It's not Chris' fault, Kat. Michelle explained. Huh, smells sort of nice, like cinnamon. What do you know, a real magic potion? Lisa muttered as she too applied the potion and returned the vial to Michelle. Chris shook his head, thinking back to how that potion was made and imagining the pain he would experience if these two ever found out, let alone Michelle. Okay, let's get back on track, folks. Michelle clapped her hands to get everyone's attention and put up a screen on the projector with a large picture of Noel Redding. This man was the ringleader of the kidnapping crew, an ex-marine. We're trying to catch whoever has received illegal information about the existence of beings and is now trying to kidnap them by hiring people like Noel. I suspect we are dealing with regular old, garden-variety humans but we can't be sure. Chris' actions allowed us to capture Noel and one of his accomplices who have been cooperating with us so far. We have staged their escape from police custody and are using their email account to lure their employer out of the shadows, using Chris as bait. We are going into a delicate situation blind and undermanned. We don't know where this is going to take us so we're going to have to adapt on the fly, quite literally. What followed was several hours of briefings, contingency plans, and rules of engagement. Chris followed along intently, beginning to appreciate everything Michelle had organized over the past 24 hours. It was exciting to see her truly working in her element, not just the political and bureaucratic stuff she'd been focusing on lately. It reminded him of the time she'd arrested him at gunpoint in the middle of a crowded airport. Ah, nostalgia. From the looks on Kat's and Lisa's faces, they were beginning to get over the shock of meeting their first beings and paying close attention to the briefing. Good, he was going to be relying on all of them. They were going to be Lillian's backup on the ground when they managed to catch up to him. The beat-up old Dodge van bounced over another rut, and Chris had to stifle a grunt as his head knocked into the thinly carpeted floor of the stripped-out rear compartment. His wrists and ankles were already sore, bound behind him in a hardened pair of prisoner transfer manacles. Lying in the back of that stupid van, he thought he must look like a trussed pig ready to roast. It wasn't a nice feeling. He hated this plan already and it had barely started. He couldn't see jack shit, and it was hard to breathe regularly through the blackout hood over his head. He was supposed to be pretending to be unconscious as they approached the exchange out in the middle of nowhere, forty minutes outside city limits. It was comforting to know that Lillian was somewhere there in the van too, but they were about to be parted, 
His throat was still sore and a little bruised from swallowing the small, smooth polished, egg-like rock. Colored obsidian black, it was supposed to allow the bearer of the second, paired stone to intuitively know the direction and distance between the two. Michelle had its pair. She, along with Lisa and Kat, were on standby at the airport awaiting Lillian's return, Learjet fueled and ready to track him down anywhere in the globe. I wish we could just kill this human. Lillian's voice was so quiet he only just heard it. I can't stand staying behind to mind him while you are left on your own. It's okay. He whispered back, knowing she could probably hear him. I'll be fine, Lillian. Plus, if this goes according to plan, you've got to guard one and a half million dollars. I don't like it. It sounded almost petulant before she continued more gently. Be careful, young one. If something happens to you, I'll... Well, let's just say the Vampire Council would have to send one of their elimination squads to stop me. He couldn't help smiling at her violent brand of affection. I'll be careful. We'll catch these guys and be back home in no time. It was only a few more minutes on the bumpy track before they reached their destination. Um, get ready back there. Noel's uneasy voice drifted back from the cab. I can see their vehicle. Okay, Chris replied. Momentarily, he felt Lillian's soft body pressed firmly into him, her arm enveloping him. It would have been nice to be able to return her embrace, but chained up as he was, it simply wasn't an option. Good hunting. She whispered into his ear before she was gone. The van was breaking to a halt, and Chris took those last few moments to prepare himself mentally. He was supposed to be unconscious, so he tried to relax, focusing on getting his breathing calm, steady, and shallow. He almost lost it to humor, thinking about the poor fool who had to try and carry his bulky body. He heard muffled voices and a sliding door on the other vehicle opened, then Redding spoke up. Where's the money? Right here, you gonna count it? Several dull thumps sounded like something heavy was thrown onto the ground. Chris heard Noel open his door and get out. Hey, what the fuck is that? You wearing a bomb vest? Several gun actions cocked, no doubt pointed at Noel and his fake suicide vest. That had been Noel's idea. He didn't trust the team hired to collect Chris not to kill him and take both the money and the valuable. Package. Calm down, calm down. It's just a little insurance. Don't want you guys getting any smart ideas about our equity situation. You weren't thinking about double-crossing me, were you? Because if you were, this little dead man's switch will take us all out. Chris had to admit that Noel was pulling it off. The vest was little more than a couple of wires, an old cell phone and some very real blocks of C4 explosive that Kat had rigged together. Despite its authentic look and the use of real explosives, all they could get on short notice, the vest was completely inert. Even if someone shot it, it would never go off without a detonator. Nah, man, nah. The tone of the speaker's voice wasn't all that convincing, either was the awkward pause which preceded his answer. The boss won't be happy about this, though. Fuck that bastard. Redding hoikade and spat, he didn't have to act this part. He's already screwed me and gotten half my crew killed. Not to mention my busted arm. You should break off after this job, man's an asshole. For Chris, it was strange to only listen to the goings-on and have to lie still. He heard footsteps on the dusty gravel and a series of industrial-sounding zippers being opened and closed in rapid succession. He presumed Redding was checking the money. Ah well, sorry about your boys. The stranger spoke. It's all part of the job. Less ways to split the loot, am I right? Right. Redding's response was sour and dripping with sarcasm. Hey now, how did you escape the police and get another shot at this kid? We heard he beat the shit out of your team and you were headed straight for the slammer? They had covered what Redding was supposed to say under questioning but it was a tense moment for them all to see if the other crew were going to buy his story. No doubt they were under orders to be vigilant of law enforcement involvement. I got out because I have an outstanding arrangement with a few friends from the old days. They bust me out, I bust them out, you know how it is. As for the kid, well, let's just say shock and awe is not the right tactic to use with this one. You've dealt with some of these freaks before, sure. Not like this one you haven't. He's powerful, but I pumped him so full of tranquilizer, he'll be out for half a day. All right, the money looks good enough, come get him. The door on the piece of shit van rolled reluctantly open, squealing all the way. Chris shut his eyes. This was it. Boots shuffled closer across the loose shingle. Strong hands gripped, dragged. He felt someone messing around with the blackout hood and he steeled his face into as relaxed a pose as possible, preparing to ignore any form of unexpected stimulus. 
His neck lolled, he even let a bit of spittle drool out of the corner of his mouth. Sunshine on his skin again, they were checking his identity. He held deathly still, just breathing calmly. It's Emboss. A deep voice he hadn't heard before spoke from right above him. Then the hood and darkness was returned. Well hurry up and get him over here, we've got a plane to catch. The original stranger spoke up. The man was obviously very large and strong. Chris could feel his muscles straining as the man's arms looped under his own and partially lifted his dead weight. Chris' heels impacted painfully as he was dragged out of the van. The man was huffing and puffing above him as he was hauled unceremoniously across the loose, dry dirt. Ah shit, Terry, I think he's almost as big as you. Another voice laughed. Hey, fuck you. This motherfucker's bigger than me, he's as almost as heavy as your mama. Man, why you gotta bring my mom into this? You know she's got diabetes. You gonna help or what? Terry asked out a an extra pair of hands gripped his legs and he was roughly swung up into another vehicle like an ungainly sack of potatoes. He had to stifle a gasp as some of the wind was knocked out of him. His shoulders burned and his wrists screamed protest as they were jostled uncaringly. The metal of the cuffs in particular was testing his limits of endurance. A pleasure doing business with you. The stranger said seedily from what Chris now assumed was the driver's seat of his new captor's vehicle. Above him, the two men who had carried him caught their breath and began patting him down, searching for anything untoward. Oh, I almost forgot, here are the keys to the manacles. Noel spoke. Chris heard the faint ring and clank of the keys flying before they were caught. Now if you don't mind, get the fuck out of here. Asshole. The stranger replied as the van's engine started into life and quickly began rolling forward, kicking up billow of dust into the dry air of the autumn afternoon. The road began bouncing him uncomfortably again as they sped up. Only this time, he was also assaulted by the smell of two sweaty men. They drove in silence for a few minutes, there was obvious tension in the air. The lackeys didn't want to speak up and potentially provide an outlet for their boss' frustration. Fuck! The driver sounded like he just punched the dash. That could have been our money! That crazy asshole wore a bomb vest? You got to give it to him for style though, boss. I mean he got himself sprung from jail and leveraged it for double the original payment on the kid. Talk about turning a frown upside down. Shut up and dose the kid, Terry. I'm not taking any chances with these freaks. Chris' heart sank. This was one of their least preferable options. If he got drugged for real now, he would be at the complete mercy of his captors for the foreseeable future, possibly forever. It would be 100% up to Michelle, Lisa, Kat, and Lillian to track him down and extract him from trouble. Michelle said it was his call. In this situation, it was up to him to decide whether to allow himself to be incapacitated or to abort the operation and hope the transfer team knew enough to lead them to the higher echelons of this conspiracy. That would take time, he wanted this whole incident to be put to bed and justice served swiftly. He swallowed nervously, banking on the magic of the little rock resting inside him, and rolled the dice that a sharp prick against his skin. Then there was no need to pretend to be unconscious. Michelle took another glance out the window of the patrol car toward the modern, sleek building. Situated in a spacious, newly commissioned industrial park, it was clearly designed to impress. No expense had been spared in its construction. The entire north-facing facade was a giant waveform of tempered glass, looking out across the perfectly manicured garden and extensive lawn. A crisp, unfaded flag even flapped proudly in a light breeze in front of the gilded sign near the entrance. It read Riker Pharmaceutical. She clutched a little onyx stone in her hand, feeling the connection to its partner flare bright in her mind's eye. There was no doubt, he was here, somewhere in the sublevels. Disturbingly, it seemed like he hadn't moved at all. She hadn't been sure what to expect when they tracked down Chris, but this wasn't it. It opened an entirely new and unsettling avenue of thought in her analytical mind. Despite its impressive, clean-cut appearance, this was a top-of-the-line biomedical research facility. What's more, from her brief investigation, it was the boundary-pushing daughter company of one of the largest pharmaceutical giants. Incredibly well-funded, tightly secured, lawyers up to the tits, and tied to some of the oldest, richest families in the country. This could get ugly. Holy shit. Patty Hayes, their liaison with the Madison Police Department spoke in disbelief as her phone chirped. Your warrant just came through. That's to keep you happy, Patricia. I didn't really need one in the first place. We have exigent circumstances. Michelle said dryly. She could understand the Madison PD's reluctance to facilitate the search of such an institution without a warrant. 
In truth, the eight officers that had been reluctantly assigned to her would be helpful. They could help calm the no-doubt oblivious employees of the company, especially security personnel. Michelle was more concerned with the being in territory jurisdiction politics of operating in Minnesota. Rayla assured her it was fine. Seeing as New Orleans, the hub city for this territory, was so far to the south, the Lord was happy to let Rayla's agents follow their investigation into his own protectorate. This was practically the wild west of the USA being society. I still can't believe it, Patty muttered to herself. When the obviously driven woman had showed up at their headquarters earlier that day and demanded that she be assisted with a search of the influential pharmaceutical company's premises, the Madison PD had been understandably skeptical. Now here she was, reading a no-knock warrant for that same company less than two hours later. Let's go, Kat said enthusiastically from the back seat of the cruiser, opening her door. Michelle stepped out as well and looked the ex-marine up and down, shaking her head. The woman was loaded for bear, looking like she was stepping onto the front line of a war. She cut an imposing figure in her full body armor, mall webbing brimming with extra magazines, flash grenades, breaching charges, the list went on. This is a civilian operation, Kat. We're trying not to shoot anyone, okay, especially with that thing. Michelle pointed to the short-barreled AR-10 that Kat had pulled out of the back seat after attaching her Kevlar helmet and protective glasses. She had protested but Kat wouldn't budge on carrying the mighty weapon, insisting that someone on the team had to have an option for dealing with body armor or heaven forbid, hostile beings. Michelle really hoped they didn't have to confront that possibility but admitted it was best to be prepared. The damn thing was the same caliber as a police sniper rifle. Don't worry, I'll take lead, Lisa said as she and Patty got out on the other side of the car. I'm more familiar with procedure. Michelle felt a bit better about that. She had confidence the recently former FBI agent would show adequate restraint when confronted. The newly trained soldier might not. Lisa was also an expert pistol marksman, having competed nationally for a few years after high school. She was notorious in FBI circles for once having shot a gun out of a suspect's hand. A slightly customized Glock 23 was currently holstered low on her right hip, another secured to her left thigh, a backup. Despite the heavily armed, highly trained members of their growing little team, Michelle knew their most lethal weapon required no firearm to be deadly. The vampire was bound to be somewhere nearby lurking invisibly and itching with frustration to rush to the young man. Lillian, don't do anything rash. She whispered to the air, praying the vengeful woman would hear and listen to her. Lillian did hear her, but couldn't promise not to follow her heady desire for retribution. It would all depend on what they'd done to her beloved dragon. She was very worried that he hadn't contacted them at all. Michelle secured her own helmet and weapon, clipping a compact, more manageable assault rifle into its sling. Patty was looking at them askance in their full armor as the other officers followed their lead and got out of their cars. Have a squad car block the car park exit and a couple of officers cover the back in case anyone tries to sneak away. Michelle instructed as she started across the quiet street towards the building grounds. Yes, Agent Hammond, I'm coming with you though. Patty quickly motioned two officers to comply with the instructions before rushing to catch up to the fierce-looking trio. The young security guard at checkpoint just inside the door had clearly never been confronted with quite so much bristling, hostile firepower before. He stood agog as the glass parted and the armored figures glided into his little world, a world in which he had previously been the utmost authority. It was his job to check employees' and visitors' identity before they were let into the building. This was something completely new. Federal agents, we have a warrant to search these premises. Lisa strode in first speaking clearly, confident but wary. Her hand rested casually on her hip, next to the unbuckled holster of her pistol. The metal detector blared angrily, sensing a vast amount of its intended target as the women walked up towards the front desk, followed by a small procession of police officers. The foyer was richly appointed, open, and modern. The atrium looked like it went up all the way to the top of the five-story building. Huge planters, brimming with live growth of untold varieties hung suspended at various levels. Michelle wondered how on earth they were watered. It was a very impressive floating garden, which many a visitor had no doubt marveled at as they waited for appointments below. They were almost at the worried-looking receptionist's desk when a door burst open about thirty meters over to the right. Kat immediately raised her weapon, covering the startling appearance of a middle-aged man in a security uniform. He was armed too, a pistol on his hip. Behind him five more men appeared, swarming out of the security office like ants from a kicked nest. He hesitated momentarily staring down the barrel of an assault rifle. 
he took in the officers behind the imposing figure of the dark-skinned woman and began walking towards them cautiously, his hand well away from his weapon. What's this about Patricia? He asked, recognizing the older police sergeant from his own days on the force. Sorry, Richard. It's a search warrant. Patricia held up her phone, displaying the electronic copy of the warrant, and gestured towards Michelle. And what exactly are you searching for, miss? He asked. Agent Hammond, NSA. Michelle supplied. We have reason to believe your company has engaged in kidnapping and is currently holding at least one individual against their will on the premises. Are you in charge of security here? Yes. But you're joking, right? Richard scoffed, looking around for a smiling face to give away the prank. There was simply no way this woman was for real and since when was there an all-woman tactical team? Afraid not, Richard. Michelle said. I would appreciate your assistance providing access to the sublevels of the building so we don't have to damage the property. I... I can't. He stammered. I mean, I don't have access to the labs downstairs. There's sensitive research going on down there. Take us there now, Michelle said coldly as she began walking towards the elevators. She wasn't sure if the man was truly oblivious or this was some sort of stalling tactic. She pushed the call buttons on both and spoke to the assembled officers who were milling behind them. Hold both of these elevators open and press the stop button when they get here. No one is to go up or down. Secure the lobby and contain everyone until we get back. Now just hold on a minute you can't. Richard started to protest. Michelle rounded on him. You will provide assistance immediately or so help me I will throw the book at you, am I clear? Her voice gave no room for further argument. Unlock the stairwell. Cat, Lisa, and Patricia followed Richard over as he grudgingly held his card up to the reader on the door to the stairwell. It chirped happily and the magnetic lock clicked open. Michelle pointed Lisa and Cat forward. The FBI agent drew her pistol and took the lead, clearing the stairwell and proceeding downwards. Cat shadowed her perfectly, rifle poised and ready to reply to any threat. You don't find it odd that the head of security doesn't have access to parts of the building? Who does have access? Michelle asked as they headed down. Not really. Richard said a little sulkily. He knew he hadn't done anything wrong, but he'd never been on this end of a search warrant. It wasn't nice. I'm a glorified doorman. These guys do serious research and some of the equipment is very delicate and expensive, so I'm told. Only the executive staff and a dozen or so high-profile researchers have access down here. Is this it? Lisa asked as they came across a heavy door marked B1. Michelle squeezed the little polished rock surreptitiously and felt the pulse of its brother coming from deeper below them. She shook her head to Lisa and they continued down. Patty and Richard shared nervous glances when Michelle waved them past the next level too. This is it, open the door. Michelle said when they came upon the B3 landing, things were much more utilitarian down here. The floors were a bluish-gray linoleum which came halfway up the walls. The lights were fluorescent tubing, which flicked into life as a sensor detected their movement. One of the elevators serviced this level, but the little lobby was completely barren. A pair of thick double doors led off into the unknown, wide corridor. It looked like a hospital. Michelle realized that was exactly the right comparison to make. The floor and even the walls were constructed to be easily washed. What exactly were they going to find? Her heart fluttered, and adrenaline began circulating her system as anticipation mounted. I can't open those doors. Richard supplied quietly, sensing the tension in the three women. Blow them, Michelle said, eliciting an excited little yip from Cat who quickly snuck forward to facilitate. It might be nice to have Lillian simply rip them off their hinges. Perhaps after the revelation such a thing might be possible. Can't I just call whoever's in there on the intercom and ask them to let us in? Richard asked reasonably. No, Michelle said. I don't want anyone thinking they can dispose of evidence. Kat Hannon had a chance to do anything like this since she'd completed her infantry training. It was exciting but a training course in IED disposal helped steady her hands as she unrolled the thick tape. The red, sticky side was covered with explosive warning symbols. She applied it face down to one of the doors near where it met the wall, covering from ceiling to floor in a continuous strip. She cut the length off with a knife and began again on the other door. With any luck, the charge tape would simply shear the heavy door off at the hinges. She looked back to see Lisa covering her, the more experienced woman seemed indulgently disapproving at her obvious excitement. This job was way better than sitting around on base keeping track of inventory, she was going to enjoy it. With delicate care, 
Cat paired two wireless detonators for simultaneous explosion and pushed the sharp little teeth into the middle of each strip of tape. She did a quick double check, making sure the detonators were holding in place and the tape was sticking as it was supposed to. Secured, they both retreated into the stairwell with Michelle and the others. You get me the best toys. Cat thanked Michelle happily as they took cover behind the concrete wall of the stairwell. There's something wrong with this one. Lisa smiled as they put plugs in their ears or in the case of Richard and Patricia, fingers. Cat was ready with her trigger device, awaiting Michelle's order. I doubt we're going to come across resistance at this stage, but just remember that our comrade will be going in fast so be extra careful of friendly fire. Michelle looked at each of her new team members meaningfully. Do it. The dull thump and back blast of fleeing air were only just registering with the human senses as Lillian sprung forward from her concealed position and brushed past Michelle. She leapt headfirst into the billowing dust cloud of shattered concrete. It clogged her senses and cut her vision unpleasantly, but she pushed forward. One of the doors was crookedly blocking part of the corridor where it had fallen. She flicked it aside contemptuously with her telekinetic power, making it bounce and clatter further down the corridor. Above, five abused fire sprinklers spluttered into life in a chain, their delicate trigger mechanisms shattered in the small blast. Chilly water rained down on her, washing the dust from the air and partially off her face. She ran, desperate to catch a scent which would guide her to him. Behind, Lisa and Kat were only just coming out of the stairwell as she used her undead strength to boost her forward. Out of the thinning dust, another set of doors just like the last loomed in front of her. She could not wait for the others clear the obstacle. Surprise was lost, she must act. Even as she charged invisibly forward she formed her gift into a sharp telekinetic wedge, reinforcing and holding it steadied barely a foot in front of her. Her gift would be the knife. Her body provided the momentum. The screeching wrench of buckling steel echoing up the corridor was all Michelle and the others heard as Lillian popped the reinforced doors like a can of tomatoes. Beyond, the vampire streaked through a white corridor, scenting the air as she passed. Through windows on each side of the hallway, she caught glimpses of various laboratories. Some were occupied by a few lab coat-wearing scientists, others dark, abandoned. Ahead, the corridor ended in a blank wall dot a whiff of cinnamon in the air. It brought her up short, skidding to a halt. It was very faint but she backtracked, shutting her eyes to focus entirely on catching another trace of him. Her legs guided her automatically until she bumped clumsily into a wall. Vengeance burned hot inside as her eyes snapped open. She was up against the glass of one of dark laboratory rooms dot up and down the corridor. Doors began opening as curious. Worried humans poked their heads out to see what the commotion was. Lillian only had eyes for her target, but the door was stubbornly locked and reinforced. It was risky now that she had an audience but she trusted her invisibility charm to keep her hidden. She stepped to the right and swung her fist directly at the locking mechanism of the reinforced door with all her considerable might. Even using her telekinesis as a protective layer, she felt several of her extra strong bones crack in the resounding impact. The door was shaken but stubborn. She gritted her teeth and punched again. This time the door frame buckled satisfyingly under the incredible impact but white-hot pain lanced up her arm in response. Lillian cradled her shattered wrist, taking measured breaths against the pain as she slunk forward, unstoppable in her resolve. The pain served to fuel her hunting instinct, her rage at the perpetrators of this injustice. Not only had they nearly killed her, they were trying to foist him away. Even now, her wounded tissues were reknitting, siphoning from the rich pool of life energy she'd slurped from the dragon's neck in their last encounter. In minutes, she would be as good as new. Besides, she had endured far, far worse than this. Her enhanced vision let her easily see that the dark laboratory was completely deserted. Still, his scent was stronger here and growing thicker as she approached a sliding door at the rear of the room. What's more, her attentive hearing began detecting muffled noises, the hum of machines. Her good hand slid the door gently aside, revealing a small space dominated by several expensive-looking microscopes draped in transparent dust covers. Yet another door stood in front of her, blocking her way at the other end of the little room. A quiet growl of exasperation escaped her throat. With only a small space to gain momentum, she would have to punch or kick her way through this one as well. That didn't sit right with her, sustaining further injury would leave her ill-prepared to face whatever waited on the other side. On the off chance, she tried the door handle.to her happy surprise, it depressed easily and swung inward. Overwarm air washed across her, thick with the smell of him. The telltale sense of other beings registered with her subconsciously but were disregarded as irrelevant for the moment. 
what she saw set every tiny hair on her skin bristling. An involuntary shudder of goose flesh rolled down her back. This was exactly the reason beings feared humans and their revelation point two short rows of naked bodies, trapped, sedated in clinical-looking metal frames. She could only assume they were beings, half-standing listlessly in their restraints. They looked unconscious, she couldn't scent the death notes of any corpses. Various tubes snaked over their skin, hooking multiple four bags into their circulatory systems at the arms and neck. Other cables connected various pads and sensors to sophisticated monitoring equipment. Each harness boasted a large screen to display vital information in detail all but the most well-equipped hospital would find worthy of envy. Thick stainless steel bands locked around their limbs, head, and chest at strategic points. The harness held them completely captive in an almost standing position, tilted just slightly backwards so they didn't slump down, even had they been conscious to protest their treatment. Only the most physically enhanced or magically inventive being would have a chance of escaping that cage. Lillian doubted that she could manage it, she would barely be able to wriggle. The poor souls were even fitted with catheters and bags to collect their waste, showing that their captors had no plans to let them free in the near future. Her eyes quickly found the bulky form of Chris at the end of one of the rows and relief washed through her. Movement behind him stirred her from her shock. She dove forward, pouncing like a big cat with an enraged snarl on her lips. She dropped her invisibility charm as she flew forward, wanting to see her praise fear before she ended their pitiful existence. She was too late. Even as she rounded his body she saw the graying woman in a lab coat pushing the plunger of a syringe to completion in the muscular tissue of his sculpted, unconscious but dot Lillian's good hand closed on the old woman's throat, lifting her effortlessly, slamming her into a nearby bank of storage cupboards and pinning her. Glassware fell from a nearby shelf at the impact, shattering musically on the laboratory floor. Her other fist raised back automatically, ready to end the woman's life with a slash of her vicious black claws. Instead of fear, Lillian saw defiance in the woman's blue eyes she even managed to smile manically down at the vampire who was throttling her. Lillian cursed, recognizing that look. She let the woman slide down, so her feet touched the ground. What have you done to him? She demanded, letting her grip loosen so the woman could breathe. Instead of answering, the woman began laughing. Lillian set a steely grip on her raging vampire instincts, retracting claws and fangs. There were simply some people out there who didn't respond to intimidation. You came across them occasionally, especially in her line of work. The tough nuts that didn't crack. Why? Because they were literally nuts. Insane, psychopathic, whatever. She had grown to recognize it in her five hundred years and this older woman oozed it. Laughing was not the healthy, terrified response humans and even beings should display when confronted with the might of a vampire. Her eyes narrowed, sweeping up and down the woman's body. If she had to guess, the woman was in her early sixties. Her face was beginning to truly wrinkle yet her relatively tall body still clung to a certain lean, sprightly strength that Lillian instantly knew was maintained with rigorous exercise. She turned the woman forcibly into the wall and began searching her pockets and patting her down. The last thing Lillian needed was a poke with a mystery syringe. Her search yielded a phone, wallet, ID card, keys. Nothing nefarious. She held the now chuckling woman by the back of her neck in an unyielding grip as she began rifling the contents of the woman's wallet. Dr. Amelia Mayer. Lillian stated with false calm, attempting put aside her simmering anger. Would you be so kind as to explain what you've injected into this man? She manhandled the doctor like a kitten, by the scruff of her neck. They turned to see the syringe still impaled in Chris' rump, drooping down now that only the thick needle was holding it in. It looked painful. The doctor didn't resist, composing herself as best she could. Ah, yes. What a truly marvelous specimen. I take it you know young Chris? She asked almost conversationally, as if nothing was wrong. I? Yes. Lillian didn't bother trying to lie. She also noted the traces of a European accent, long overwritten by years living in the States. Quite intimately by your reaction, I suspect. The doctor continued. Lillian was silent, watching and listening. Sometimes it was best to just let the nuts talk, let them assume they had some control and see how things played out while watching them like a hawk. You'll be relieved to hear he's in no immediate danger. I heard the commotion outside and put my little insurance policy into play. I warned Patrick that attempting to capture him was a mistake, but the man is just too greedy to see reason. Insurance policy? Lillian accused. Well, of course, dear. The doctor said almost maternally. I knew it was only a matter of time before someone came looking for Chris. 
We might have gotten away with the others but as soon as I began running my tests I knew you couldn't just snatch someone so powerful off the street and expect to get away with it. Actually, he volunteered to be handed over to your lackeys in order to lead us to you. Lillian attempted to put the woman off balance. Your first attempt to capture him was a disaster. We caught the remaining members of the team and turned them to find you. Hmm. Amelia cocked her head as much as she could in the vampire's grasp as if assessing Chris' caged body in a new light. Valiant. I have injected him with a toxin-antitoxin cocktail. The toxin is long-lasting but the body breaks down the antitoxin in just a few days. He will require regular injections of the antitoxin and blood dialysis for up to a month until the poison clears his system. At least a human would. Clever. Lillian admitted, reaching out to gently pull the hanging syringe out before it caused too much bruising. What do you want? My life. She said matter-of-factly. Of course. And one other thing I want in. My eyes have been open to new and exciting possibilities. I cannot simply go back now that I know of your world. Lillian thought on that for a moment, her mind blocking out the hum of machines and monitoring equipment. This was a little unexpected. She had expected the human to ask for absolution and freedom. Instead she wanted further down the rabbit hole. It was situations exactly like this one where memory read and erase had proved invaluable in the past. She smiled ruefully. Intelligent, driven, and ruthless, the doctor would have made an excellent vampire. It's ironic, you know. Lillian spat. You've just poisoned the only being I know who might have the inclination, compassion, and power to offer you clemency and protection. That shook the scientist. Lillian watched her eyes widen for a moment before she regained what composure the situation allowed. That's unfortunate. May I ask your name, vampire? Amelia asked as Lillian glared down at her. Lillian. Okay, Lillian. I simply ask that you think about this rationally. I did not do this intentionally to harm him. I have no desire to see any of these people hurt. I just want to continue my experiments. I have uncovered an entirely new branch of medical science just from examining their cells. The morphing capabilities of the worst species is fascinating. Young Chris has incredible innate regenerative abilities and at this very moment, that machine over there is testing his cells against the most virulent pathogens known to man. I have no doubt his immune cells will fight them off without trouble. Ha! Huh. I assume you know this but he produces the most intoxicating pheromones. A few hours after he was delivered, I couldn't figure out why I was getting uncontrollably hot under the collar. I'll admit to finding him attractive but never had I found myself so helpless against such feelings of desire. It was a delightful puzzle which I solved with the help of my trusty mass spectrometer. I have discovered more in the last month studying these people than in my previous lifetime devoted to research. Sorry, I'm getting sidetracked. I say these things to show you that I don't intend you people harm. I chose Chris to carry out my insurance policy simply because he is obviously the most valuable, the best chance for getting the deal I want. It isn't personal. It's always personal to someone. Lillian said coldly as she heard the approaching footsteps of Michelle and her team. Not only did you poison my lover, you have already kidnapped other beings to carry out your experiments. Do you think they would willingly submit to this existence for the sake of your discoveries? You are a sociopath at the very least. And all this in a delicate time when we are trying to peacefully merge our worlds. If what you have done here becomes public knowledge in our world that would spark a powder keg. Politics. Amelia shook her head distastefully as Lisa emerged from the darkness at the other end of the room followed by Kat, focused intently on clearing the room. I don't care about any of that. I have kidnapped no one, that's the work of our illustrious executive staff. I would just as soon perform my tests on willing, cooperative subjects if they were available to me. They are not. I am not the mastermind of some evil conspiracy against you. I'm simply a brilliant scientist who had the wool pulled from my eyes and didn't let an opportunity for discovery slip through my fingers. Maybe. Lillian admitted. But you're also a remorseless bitch of the highest caliber. Things must look nice and clear-cut from up on that high horse, vampire. The doctor smiled cautiously. I suppose your kind is blameless of atrocity? Lillian glowered but remained silent as a bedraggled, damp Michelle entered the room behind the professional sweep performed by Lisa and Kat. The damaged sprinklers were obviously still trying their best to extinguish a non-existent fire out in the corridor. She paused inside the threshold, wiping damp, dark hair from her face as she assessed the room and its occupants. Her eyes hovered on Lillian, Chris, and the mysterious older woman. Her shoulders slumped, 
relieving a titanic load of tension she'd barely been aware of carrying. Oh, shit. Richard murmured behind her, catching sight of the unconscious figures held in futuristic restraints. Up until then, he hadn't believed the agent's claims could be possible. Michelle spun on her heels to face the astonished head of security and police liaison. Okay. She spoke almost tenderly to soothe their reeling minds. Please secure the corridor and keep the other scientists calm. We'll take it from here. I didn't. I have to call this in, my superiors. Patty's eyes looked a little blazed over as she reached for her radio to call in the disturbing scene in front of her, acting in some sort of dazed autopilot. No, this needs to remain discreet. Michelle said more firmly, stopping the policewoman's hand and turning her away from the unsettling scene of the caged, lifeless-looking bodies. She ended up guiding both Patty and Richard back through the dark laboratory and out into the corridor. Neither of you have the clearance to get any further involved and trust me, you wouldn't want to. I'm going to make some calls and get a few more of our people flown in but we can handle it until then. If you want to help, start evacuating the building and sending the other employees home. We've found what we came for. Chris stirred, his inner dialogue feeling sluggish. The dragon's thoughts felt distant, blurry, sleepy. It was confusing, as if a heavy blanket of fog had him imprisoned in a chilly embrace. However, there was an infallible sensation that the sun was slowly burning its way down to free him. His limited consciousness moved listlessly, not comprehending much except the slow return of self-awareness. Movement against his left side drew his attention to the warm presence of someone close to him. He felt instinctively comforted. Murmured noises of reassurance sank down through the mist to him. He felt a tender caress through his hair. A faint scent, Annabelle. He struggled to stir something meaningful from his sluggish body again, but it was no use. His limited capacity for reasoning told him if she was there, it must be okay. He relaxed, lay back and let it come. Her voice came to him softly, somehow full of love, pride, and concern all at the same time. Rest, my brave, beautiful dragon. Michelle's eyes squeezed shut tightly as she looked away from the screen. They were stinging, red and dry protesting their extended abuse at the hands of huge screens in her new office. She rubbed and pinched the bridge of her nose reflexively, a habit from the days not long ago when she needed glasses. Thankfully, it still gave some measure of relief. She focused her eyes away, out of the window of her new sixth-floor corner office. They jumped from lamp to lamp down the relatively quiet late-night street arrayed below. There wasn't much to hold her attention so it wasn't long before she was back to watching the screens.it was late and she had the lights off, letting the ambience from the street and the harsh glare of the monitors mix. She'd sent Kat and Lisa away hours ago, there wasn't anything they could really contribute at this stage. They were still settling into a new city and needed all the personal time she could allow them. Now her only company was a vampire. She shook her head, how her life had changed out on the displays before her, a man was about to get away with it. His power, his money, his family's ties, he'd used it all and it was working that she'd passed this problem to her higher-ups and no one had the balls to ditch the beatdown this criminal deserved. And the man was a criminal. However rich or connected he might otherwise be, there was no doubt in her mind about that. If the confession of his pet scientist wasn't damning enough, the evidence she'd collected once she had access to his company's electronic records was irrefutable. Still, the issue got bucked back and forth as the justice system bickered about who landed with the responsibility for charging him. No department wanted the Category 5 legal shitstorm that would promptly rain down on them if they filed charges. This was old American money. There was good reason to be wary too. If they pushed too hard, he could blow the whistle about the revelation. They were sitting on a proverbial grenade. He had his greedy hands on a string attached to its pin. One little tug and he would be the least of their worries. She let out a sigh of bottled frustration. It wasn't her first. Two hours ago, she tracked him en route to a private airport. Now, he was going to get away. Let me deal with this. Lillian spoke quietly from the armchair in the corner. I can't, that's not how we do things. Michelle's response was mechanical. They'd had this discussion before. He's guilty? The vampire whispered, her Russian lilt making Michelle's lips twitch in exhausted amusement. She couldn't help it if the vampire sounded like some FSB counterpart trying to lure her to treason in times gone past. For all she knew, the vampire might have been at some point. Yes, but the system, screw your system. Lillian hissed. I have let you handle this so far, but he is slipping from your grasp. It's time you let me deal with this. Our way. The problem was, Michelle didn't disagree. B 
beings brought them the power to serve justice in an entirely new dimension. Was true syrup or mind reading a violation of human rights? Maybe. But by all accounts, they had already been stealthily putting these tools to use on the broader population of the planet for several thousand years without ill effect. Why shouldn't they use these resources now, when so much hung in the balance? But that wasn't entirely true. She'd been encouraged to use magical resources and a heavy hand in her new role when dealing with hired thugs. Now she watched as wealth and influence tipped the scales in the criminal's favor. Lillian was right. Screw the system. If this was possible, the system was broken. Not just their justice system either, entire elements of their society. She supposed she knew that already in a way. Why did people and companies pillage the environment? Why did famine and war still exist? Why did people kill each other over ignorance, intolerance, or ideological belief? People were shitty if they could get away with it. Society allowed for it. Being society wasn't much better from what she'd seen, the wealthy and powerful still got away with things they shouldn't. However, with their magical tools at her disposal she felt like she almost had the ability to do some good in human society. If she'd been allowed to, now this man was going to get away with kidnapping and murder. She had the power to do something about it but only if she bucked her yoke. Okay, she thought, her lips twitching but not saying it, gathering courage. Okay. She spoke. It still came out reedy and quiet before she cleared her throat and continued. Okay, but we wait until Chris is on his feet. I need another moral compass on this. I don't trust mine and I suspect yours is completely fucked. When Chris finally surfaced through that fog, he found himself in an unfamiliar, rather stark room. He was groggy and stiff but otherwise not obviously the worse for wear. His eyes roamed the unfamiliar ceiling for several confusing moments as he wondered where he was, searching for recent memories. It was his nose that finally told him he was back in Denver, somewhere in the compound. It also told him that Petra was near. He sat up cautiously from what he discovered was a rather luxurious, oversized hospital bed and looked around. A curtain partitioned part of the room and he wondered if there was another patient in there with him. Cables of all kinds hooked on and into him. A strange sensation let him know there was something going on with his penis. He surreptitiously lifted the sheet and pulled aside his cotton gown to look. Yup, there was a catheter tube bleeding from his tip off over the edge of the bed. It was a bit dismaying to wake up like that. Most concerning though were the thicker tubes of dark fluid leading from his forearm to a whirring machine next to his bed. He thought he recognized the slowly spinning circles from a TV show or something. It was filtering his blood. What the hell? He mumbled hoarsely, his voice raspy, and used that a rustle of cloth alerted him to someone behind the curtain. A moment later, a beaming Petra ducked around the partition and came to him. She was a sight for sore eyes. For some reason he felt himself starting to choke up with emotion, his throat thick and painful. Sure, sure, sure. Petra saw his distress. She sat on the bed beside him and took him gently in her arms, nuzzling her face into his neck. It's okay. You're okay. We're all safe. What happened? He croaked, squeezing her, holding on desperately. The familiar scent of her almost silver hair bringing comfort. Michelle and Lillian came and found you. You and some other beings were sedated and being experimented on. Before they could free you, the woman who was doing the experiments used you as a bargaining tool to stay alive. She poisoned you, Chris. Poisoned? Chris's astonishment was clear, separating their bodies a little. So that's what the dialysis machine is for? Yes. It was some sort of nasty cocktail she designed. Very clever, that woman, but very dangerous, too. She's been giving you the antidote for the last few days. Lillian comes close to deciding to kill her at least once every few hours, I'm sure. Days. How long have I been out? He asked, pulling back to look at her. How are the girls? We've been worried about you, but everyone's fine, Chris. She laughed happily at his concern and placed her hand over his heart. This is the fourth day since Michelle and Lillian brought you home. We've been taking shifts staying here in case you woke up. No one really knew when you would. Oh, okay. Does this mean I'm cured? We don't know. The woman, Amelia, said it could take up to a month to clear a human system. Hopefully it will be less for you. Lillian says she can taste it in your blood still. Well, that sucks. Did we at least catch the bad guys? Um, sort of. She smiled, reaching up to smooth his frown away with her thumb and run a hand lovingly through his blonde hair. It's complicated. Michelle and Lillian can explain it all to you. They found the other kidnapped beings, though, so I call that a win.
I feel stupid. I never should have let them knock me out like that. Maybe, maybe not. It's in the past so all you can do is learn from the experience. She consoled. Hey, I've got something which might cheer you up. What? Well, Claire and I are only about a week apart, and the doctor said it would be okay if we had our first antenatal checkup together. We were hoping you might want to come? He took her back in his arm again, hugging more gently this time. Of course I want to come. He murmured in her ear, kissing softly into her scalp. I love you all so much, my two dragonesses and our little belly bumps. Are you showing any more yet? A little. She found his lips and kissed him passionately, making sure her own love was known. Then she pulled away and stood, leaving him reaching for her, cables dangling. Want to see? You know I do. He grinned, starting to feel lecherous once more. She was doing a fantastic job of taking his mind off being stuck in a hospital. She ran her hands sensuously down her sides and over her hips, watching him follow her smooth movements. Her fingers gently tugged at the buttons of her light blue shirt, eyes never breaking contact with his as one by one, she opened a gap over her tummy. Her hands slipped delicately inside to caress soft, creamy skin. Chris shifted, eager to see underneath her shirt. Merciful as she was, she stopped her teasing and pulled the cloth aside to reveal her barely evident pregnancy. It is bigger, he said in awe, reaching toward his unborn child. Petra came closer, insides melting into gooey affection at his reverent look. His rough, callous hands were so gentle when they finally touched, sending a frisson up her spine. He, the dragoness announced proudly. He? Chris looked up questioningly. How do you know? He feels like a boy. I can sense him inside of me now, so strong, just like his father. She radiated love and pride to her young mate, placing her hands on top of his own. We'll find out for sure in another month and a half's time. Chris looked back down, feeling her warmth, her softness, the contour of her small bulge. He had done this. He had put his seed inside this beautiful woman, his mate. They had shared body and soul to make this wondrous new life. He couldn't help but be aroused. She was so gorgeous, especially like this. His cock twitched, coming to life with an astonishing vengeance. Petra, I. That's strange. Fuck. Oh. Shit. He yelped. What's wrong? I'm getting an erection and it feels really weird with the catheter. He whipped off the sheet but paused, unsure what to do about it now that his raging cock was exposed and free. His hands hovered over it, indecisive. Could he pull it out himself? Petra laughed. He looked so funny, whipping back the sheets and looking dismayed to find his big cock pulling angrily at the dangling tube like a leash. She managed to clamp her hand over her mouth and reduce it to a few muffled giggles. For a moment she'd worried something was really wrong with him. Typical of her young mate, he was simply too randy for his own good. Damn you woman. He couldn't help chuckling himself, infected by her honest mirth. This is your fault anyway, you're too goddamn sexy. Poor you. She crooned, paused, and began laughing again. Wait until the girls hear about this. Go get a nurse or something. Please, Petra. Okay, okay. Sorry, dear. She was still laughing as she tucked her shirt back in her black jeans and went in search of professional assistance. Chris sighed, shook his head, and leaned back down in the bed, still throbbing and decidedly uncomfortable. With her previous experience in nursing, Petra could probably have attempted to remove it herself. However, Chris was not under her care. It could be considered quite rude to Dr. Chom for her to start pulling tubes out of his patient. She was actually very impressed with what she'd seen of the compound's medical expert. A lot of beings in the medical profession fell behind keeping up with human advances in medical science. That was easy enough to understand as they tended to focus on magical means of healing their patients. Dr. Chan, however, understood the value of being fluent in both languages of healing. The sponsored practice was small, consisting of himself, two nurses, and a technician. However, it was outfitted with as much of the latest medical diagnostic and laboratory equipment as it could hold. Petra had learned that it was part of the deal he'd struck with Rayla when she had hunted him from the West Coast Territory to service her OW and .it was good to know that Chris Care was in the hands of a competent doctor, someone who could actually understand what his body was fighting against with this darkly crafted poison. Petra didn't trust Amelia Mayer one bit, and Lillian wasn't the only one who bristled when she was escorted to Chris's bedside every morning to administer the antidote. Someone who designed and used such a tactic without remorse could never be left unsupervised. It was like having a pet scorpion, 
all well and dandy as long as it was securely in the terrarium. It was only now, with Chris awake, that the dragoness conceded that the mad old scientist might be keeping her word, for now. When Michelle and Lillian had dragged the researcher back with them from Wisconsin, Petra had been sorely tempted to rip the woman's head off and trample her lifeless body under giant draconian paws. It galled her to think that Rayla had struck a deal with the ruthless woman. Vassalage and Chris' uneventful recovery in exchange for amnesty, protection, and the rest of her life in productive detention. If all went smoothly, Dr. Mayer would soon be continuing her research under Rayla's supervision. It was almost exactly as she planned when she first poisoned Chris and that galled most of his brood. Petra's only comfort was that Rayla was probably enough of a ruthless, cold-hearted bitch to handle the doctor. Ruth? Petra asked as she approached the receiving room and found it empty. In here, Ms. Godran, one second. The nurse poked her head out of the break room. I'm just warming some food for our patient. I saw on the monitors that he's awake. Petra grinned evilly, thoughts of Amelia Mayer discarded at the prospect of teasing the poor nurse. Ruth, a lovely water elemental, had been particularly fussy and attentive to Chris ever since he'd arrived. The dragoness was positive Ruth was indulging in the effects of his pheromones. It was going to be wonderfully fun to see how she handled Chris' current little situation. Thank you. I'm sure he's going to be hungry, but first we're going to need an ice pack. Chris expected to be up and about as soon as all the tubes could be pulled out of him. Checking on Stephen and the three goblins was at the top of his list. He couldn't wait to see their progress, and they were probably desperate for a crystal refill by now. He also needed to get down to Michelle's office and get a proper update on everything that had happened while he was out. From Petra's brief recount, he owed Michelle, Lillian, Catherine, and Lisa a thank you for coming to rescue him so quickly. No nonsense, Dr. Harold Chong shattered every one of his hopes and plans. Chris was to stay in the clinic around the clock until the doctor was satisfied the poison was sufficiently scrubbed and filtered from his body. It would probably take a minimum of a week. Worse, he was to stay supine as much as possible and avoid exertion. Tests showed that his liver and kidneys were working overtime at the moment, and therefore stress of any kind was to be kept to a minimum. The doctor thought his body would handle the toxin better if it stayed in a low metabolic state, hooked up to the dialysis machine as much as possible. Chris was sorely tempted to vanish into the ether and avoid any further encounters with the blunt doctor wizard he might have, if Petra hadn't looked so concerned as the doctor described his situation. His mates were counting on him to make a swift and full recovery, so he would. The only good news was that the big dialysis tubes would be coming out for the rest of the day and overnight to assess his condition and allow him to sleep safely. Word soon spread that Chris was awake. He spent the rest of the day catching up with his lovely ladies, each stopping by as their schedules allowed. Claire came down from the hotel suite to see him right away, snuggling up against his side and kissing him very tenderly. While her mother appeared stoic, the younger dragoness was obviously rattled. He squeezed her tight, playing a soothing hand through her beautiful red hair. Unable to promise to stay away from dangerous situations in the future, he settled for wrapping her in his arms and holding her, safe and cherished. Susan and Annabelle showed up for about an hour at lunch with Emmy in tow. They brought a selection of delicious treats and fresh fruit they picked up at a local deli on the way. Chris was ravenous. This backfired on his two mates, as he gave only a quick moment of intimacy to each of the women before attacking the contents of the hamper they brought. Annabelle and Susan smiled at each other, as he inhaled a whole packet of salmon avocado sushi and dug into the rest, sure that his appetite was a sign of his returning health. Emmy hadn't grown noticeably but Chris was surprised to see her wrapped, somewhat immodestly in a piece of white silk. Despite making her look like some sort of painted virginal sacrifice, he had to admit any sort of clothing was a big step for the little sprite. Despite her hate of scratchy clothes, silk was apparently tolerable. Besides, she had to practice for when she was bigger. Chris noticed that she seemed a little subdued from her usual bubbly self as she sat on one of Annabelle's thighs and nibbled with disinterest at a ripe strawberry he shared with her. Just before Annabelle and Susan had to leave, Chris remembered that the pint-sized little princess was probably very hungry for something else. She chirped her delight as he apologized and drew on his magic to condense it into a golf ball-sized nugget of Sprite food. Newfound manners forgotten and speaking around mouthfuls, Emmy proclaimed her thanks but described in pornographic detail how she would have preferred he feed her. Everyone laughed as her vivid imagery brought redness to Chris' cheeks. As he kissed Annabelle goodbye until the evening, he made another little lump of magic for Bartholomew. Emmy eyed the little tattoo jealously, 
but the morsel was devoured so quickly she didn't have time to intercept it. The sprite collected a smooch of her own before climbing up on Annabelle's arm and slipping delicately into the wide mouth of Annabelle's calf leather handbag, disappearing completely. Chris stared wide-eyed in wonder at the blatant use of magic. There was no way that should be possible. How had she done it? Annabelle laughed happily at his reaction, shrugged as if to say, what of it, and left. Susan kissed him goodbye and followed her out, collecting the meager, dragon-savage remains of their lunch to dispose of. Claire and Petra departed around two in the afternoon after a delightful little dragon nap nestled one on each flank. It was a squeeze, but thankfully they just fit if the ladies lay on their sides. They left with no real explanation but suspiciously knowing smiles, putting him on guard. His prime suspicion was that some sort of invisible shenanigans with Lillian were afoot. Quiet footsteps in the hallway alerted him to someone's approach. It didn't sound like Lillian's boots, it might be Michelle, but the gate lacked. Confidence? There was a long pause as the soft footfall stopped before he finally heard a quiet knock at the door. Come in. He ventured, tensing in his half-reclined position as the handle turned out a small, blonde goddess peeked into the room. Haley! Your afternoon's entertainment has arrived. She smiled at him, taking a theatrical bow. She came in and removed a heavy-looking backpack from her shoulders. Rectangular outlines bulged against the sides from within. It's good to see you. Chris enthused. I knew the girls were up to something, but this is a wonderful surprise. Are those books in there? Yup, lots of books and I'm your demanding tutor. Scooch over. She set the bag at the end of the bed by his feet and promptly jumped up as well, swinging a bronze thigh over to straddle him. The lust in her blue eyes should have alerted him but Chris was surprised to find her soft lips planted firmly on his own. He really hadn't expected to be kissed, let alone so thoroughly but couldn't find it within himself to object. She teased and tugged a reaction from him as the rest of her bombshell body settled down on top of him. Their tongues slid tentatively against each other as his hands came to rest around her waist, rubbing slowly up her flank through the thin, clingy fabric of her shirt. Firm, large breasts molded exquisitely into his chest as she pressed down into him, her passion rising. He felt her whole body shiver and tense. Her hips twitched. A beautiful little gasp escaped their kiss, her eyelids scrunching tightly closed. His nose was filled with her rich arousal as she opened her eyes and began trailing her kisses down towards his ear. She rested, panting, breathing deeply of his spicy, pheromone-laden scent. Chris closed his eyes, too. She was so warm and soft and small under his hands, clinging to him. His cock rapidly caught up to the situation, swelling and twitching between their bodies. Finally, Haley let go of him and pushed up onto her palms. She searched his handsome features seriously, for what, even she didn't know. I thought we were taking things slowly? He asked, smiling devilishly up into her halo of short, golden hair. Somehow his carefree response seemed to soothe her because she slid down the bed a little and lay back down, her cheek above his heart. I miss you, Chris. I miss your touch, your voice, your smell. She whispered. That night at the club I was so excited to be yours, I could have screamed. I just wanted you to take me home with you, even if it was just to talk or cuddle or something. Then Lillian broke your heart, and those men attacked you and... I didn't really see you again. You went off to catch the people responsible and got hurt. I thought. It's silly but I thought you might have forgotten about me or didn't care, especially when I heard about Lillian's pregnancy. The dragon rumbled underneath her, his arms wrapping her up possessively. I didn't forget my beautiful little war bison. His voice was deep and rich, vibration rolling into her body through their contact. I'm sorry, in hindsight it seems heartless but none of it was on purpose. Lillian's pregnancy came out of nowhere and is causing quite a stir. On top of that, I was busy helping Michelle. Regardless, we are here now, and I think you can feel that I want you very much. I know. It's stupid, but it's just the way I felt. Insecurities, you know? I do. He leaned up kissed the tip of her adorable nose as she wriggled tighter into his embrace. Hmm, it does feel like you want me an awful lot. Haley teased, the heat and solidity of his erection obvious against her tummy. Don't you start with that, too? He groaned playfully. I get innuendo thrown at me from every direction these days. Aren't you supposed to be helping me study or something? Haley opened her mouth to reply but paused mid-breath, her happy expression turning quickly to mortification. She practically vaulted into the air and off the bed, one arm pressed firmly across her chest. Haley? Chris was left wondering as she turned away and began fossicking desperately in one of her backpack's top compartments. 
She didn't reply, and it was like she was trying to block his view as she pulled something out and angrily rezipped the backpack. Chris thought he caught a flash of deep purple, possibly fabric of some kind clutched in her hands as she rushed around the end of the bed and disappeared into the adjoining bathroom. What did I say? He wondered aloud, part bemused, part concerned. When she returned, she played off the entire episode. Chris let it go as she grabbed a heavy chemistry textbook and settled down beside him to read and discuss. Lillian came to him that evening. His extended family had gathered in his room for dinner, and they'd barely finished eating before she arrived and kicked everyone out. He could see the predator lurking in her dark eyes as she stripped unceremoniously and pounced on him. Her take on the doctor's orders of him avoiding exertion was simply that she had to be on top, doing all the work. She silenced his objections with a huge mouthful of creamy tit flesh as she quivered, flexed, and bounced on his steel-hard manhood. All the while she cooed throaty praises and moaned loudly as she quickly peeked. Robbed of his attention for almost a week, the pregnant, buxom vampire was beside herself with lust. She easily drew out his own release, milked him for all he was worth, and continued her avaricious fucking without respite. What little rest he got that night was interrupted every few hours when she insistently mounted him and rode to the heights of passion again and again. Scant hours before dawn, Chris became fed up. He rolled on top of her, pinning her to the hospital bed. He forced her thick, soft thighs wide and wrangled himself into position against her play struggling. He entered her steaming, messy, pussy savagely, thrusting deep as she screeched her approval. Lillian soon found herself with her heels over his shoulders as he pissed in forcefully down into her lush body with his glorious cock, sounding her limit. He bit her perfect skin and mauled jiggling flesh wherever he could reach it, being far more unrestrained than he ever was with his other lovers. His roughness and passion set off her vampiric desires, drawing her quickly to a shuddering, squealing orgasm. Covered in sweat and breathing like a steam train, Chris finally succumbed. One last time, his voluminous ejaculation spewed from the fat, throbbing spear buried deep within his keening vampire mate. They collapsed together in a tangle of stained bedding and sweaty limbs, her inhuman lust satiated at last. She took a small sip of his blood before catching a few rare hours of sleep in her dragon's loving embrace that I in the morning. Dr. Chang arrived with Amelia Mayer in tow. She was escorted by two members of compound security. Lillian had showered and dressed by then, but Chris had to put his semi-ruined gown back on to be decent. Still, there was an awkward moment when the four entered. The place must have reeked of sex and Chris hurried efforts to make the bedding more presentable were laughable. Dr. Chang gave Lillian, fresh out of the shower, a disapproving glare but it was like water off a greased duck's back. Hello Chris, I'm Amelia Mayer. The researcher boldly introduced herself and sat on the edge of his bed, unfazed by the mess. She watched his eyes narrow in assessment and anger, but he took her offered hand and shook it tersely. Firstly, I'd like to apologize for this situation. I needed to assure my survival and you were the most valuable hostage I could think of, nothing personal. Ha, huh, I think I'll reserve my right to take it personally. Chris grunted. You should have just surrendered and cooperated, it would have earned you a lot of goodwill. That is essentially what I am doing, is it not? I've given Agent Hammond and Lady Narlockis all I know about the workings of Riker Pharmaceutical and accepted their conditions for my continued existence. I just couldn't take the chance that in the heat of the moment I would be killed out of hand. My work, especially involving your biology, is too important. What work? He asked warily. He'd heard the woman had been experimenting on the captured beings. That made him angry from a moral standpoint and a little violated on a personal level. However, having never met her before this, her face and presence didn't elicit a strong reaction and it was difficult to mask his curiosity. Oh, all sorts of things really. I was barely scratching the surface when I was so rudely interrupted by your pet vampire. She watched him scowl and chided herself. Sorry, I jest. I was mostly focusing on your amazing regenerative and disease-fighting capabilities. I could make you a very rich man if you allowed me to continue my work, not to mention all the good such cures would do if available to the broader population. All I would need is a few samples every week. The two bodyguards shuffled nervously in the pause that followed. They were tasked with keeping the human out of trouble, but what could they really do if the dragon or Lillian for that matter decided to take offense against the stubborn old woman? That sounds almost exactly like every other offer I receive on Maginet. Chris finally replied. A scale or two, a vial of saliva, a few ounces of blood. I'll make you rich. It couldn't possibly do any harm. He sighed, 
watching the older woman as she opened a leather satchel and began assembling a shiny but rather archaic-looking syringe gun. Now my species is on the verge of extinction and the first human who begins to understand my abilities wants exactly the same thing. I didn't peg you as one to indulge in melodrama. Amelia said matter-of-factly as she loaded a vial of clear fluid into the gun and squirted a little from the tip. I don't do any of this for my personal gain. I want to advance science, our understanding of the universe. I wouldn't expect someone so young to understand that drive but if you think curing cancer, AIDS, or unlocking the secrets of telomere degradation aren't worthy enough rewards for a little discomfort once or twice a week, then you're more callous than I imagined. His stunned look let her know that her hook had struck. She took advantage of his silence and adeptly inserted her needle into his shoulder. He winced only slightly as the plunger pumped the antidote into his muscle for slow release. That's quite enough out of you for one day. Lillian came to Chris's defense. Next you'll be telling us how the Nazis' experiments in the Second World War were justified. Amelia ignored the vampire, instead packing away her equipment. Only Chris noticed her weathered hands tremble slightly and a firmness settle in the wrinkles at the corners of her mouth. I'll think about it. The words came from him almost unbidden. Thank you? Amelia's surprised smile stripped decades from her appearance as she met the young man's eyes for a long moment. You're done. Out. Lillian hissed, perched like a menacing hawk on the other side of his bed. She pointed threateningly at the door before rounding on the woman's two minders. One of you two knuckleheads needs to get down to Eddard's apothecary right now for some pheromone cancellation potion. The boy's mother will know what you need. The two burly shifters glanced nervously at each other and began bustling their charge away from the advancing vampire as she chased them from the room. Consider it in order. Once everyone had filed out, Lillian stalked toward her sheepish young lover and leaned over him until their noses almost touched. It was quite distracting for Chris, lying half upright in the bed. Her heavy breasts hung between them and with several buttons of her crisp white shirt open, there was a lot of kissable pale skin and intriguing geometry on display. He yelped, released from her jiggling spell as she struck like a coiled snake, grabbing his flaccid cock through his gown. I am not sharing with that geriatric psycho. She almost purred, her husky voice full of both menace and promised delights. He was hasty to nod agreement as she held him captive, like a cat with her prey. Good. She kissed him then, her lips soft but insistent. His breath hitched out raggedly in relief, his mind struggling to deal with her swinging mood but much happier with the current direction. The grip on his member melted instantly from threat to skilled caress.i in stark contrast to the previous night, she was gentle and loving as they made out. Her hands in his hair, her shallow breath, the way she nibbled her lower lips so sexily as they finally untangled, it all had him hooked on this Amazonian goddess and hinted at a softer, more vulnerable nature. It drew out his feelings of love and protectiveness for her, his friend, the mother-to-be of his child. That she shared body and soul with a dark, parasitic entity was almost unfathomable in that perfect moment. Then her wicked, extra-wide and fa-filled grin split her face, and she latched onto his shoulder like a hungry lamprey. And they say men only want one thing. Chris winced and chuckled as she lapped and sucked at the two shallow puncture wounds. She moaned something incomprehensible back into his skin, her body shivering in appreciation. M-H-H-H-H-H. Lillian purred as she finally surfaced, wiping a stray line of bright red fluid from her chin and sucking the stained finger with obvious relish. Just remember you can have that thing whenever, however, and wherever. Now rest and get your strength back, my stud the young dragon. In ten days you'll need to answer to the vampire council for rewriting the rules on my fertility. Ah, uh, hush. She soothed. Don't worry overly, they think you're some sort of golden goose only I'm the one with the eggs. Someone rapped on the door. Who is it? Lillian asked. It's me. Michelle answered, coming inside. Chris saw several faces peeking in curiously behind her before she shut the door. He thought Cat might have been among them. Please do come in. Lillian's sarcasm was dripping. Good morning, Michelle. Chris was much cheerier. I hope I'm not interrupting anything. Michelle's nose flared adorably and her eyes widened as she spotted the stain on the bed that Chris was avoiding. I wanted to introduce a few more members of our team. I suppose we were pretty much finished. Lillian admitted. Give me five minutes to shower and I'll be ready. Chris nodded. And um, maybe you could ask a nurse for a change of sheets? Please? Of course, they have a nice foyer here and the place is abandoned, so why don't we meet out there when you're ready? Michelle smiled. 
though you two might consider that your medical bill is going to be enormous if they have to keep burning mattresses. Lillian punched her playfully in the arm for that. Having availed himself of the bathroom's amenities, the toiletries, and clean clothes Annabelle had packed for him, he sallied forth. His steps were initially unsteady, having been unconscious and bedridden for so long. It was hard to place a finger on what he felt, but something inside him was off, his body knew it. Still, his strength and confidence returned gradually as he walked barefoot up the hallway towards the nurse's office and reception. Annabelle had supplied him with a comfortable pair of baggy sweatpants, as well as several t-shirts and pairs of underwear. He was glad he didn't have to face Michelle and her posse in his hospital gown. Nurse Ruth tooted in mild disapproval as he passed her station. He managed to escape with a dazzling smile, a light caress of her forearm, and reassurances that he would be taking it easy and sitting in plain view of her post. The clinic lobby was surprisingly nice. It didn't have that characteristic hospital starkness and disinfectant smell which spoke of unthinkable cycles of ill people inhabiting the same space. The colors were warm and dark, the armchairs and other furniture looked like they belonged in someone's well-appointed living room. The lighting was soft, not blaring fluorescence. There was art on the walls and a rock garden of succulents on the large coffee table in the center. All in all, a very welcoming feel. Everyone rose when he entered, making him feel self-conscious. Michelle seemed to sense this and guided him to meet the two late arrivals to their little team, Samantha Patel and Pamela Smith. It's good to meet you too. Chris shook their hands in turn, smiling and trying to seem friendly. Lisa and Kat had to help save my ass on the second day of the job, so the more the merrier. It wasn't like that, Chris. Lisa chimed in. It was very brave of you to go undercover in that situation. Getting you out is the least we could have done. Those poor people they've been snatching for weeks are all at home now because of you. Brave stupid. Kat added cheekily. That's my signature move, don't you know? He shot back, grinning. Okay, everyone find a comfortable perch and relax. Michelle said as she shepherded Chris to a plush recliner and took the adjacent chair for herself. Samantha, Pamela, why don't you tell Chris a little about your backgrounds? Then we can get the debris signed off and you can ask the dragon all the questions you've been bottling up. Me first. Samantha started in with enthusiasm. Everyone can call me Sam, by the way. I was born in the States, but my mom and dad met in Mumbai when he was stationed at the consulate there. I grew up in several places around the world. We moved a lot with my father's work. I ended up following in his footsteps and joined the Air Force, became a pilot, and flew transport helicopters for half a decade. I met my husband there and we quit and moved to Oregon. I joined the Portland Police Bureau and began working my way up the ranks and eventually became a homicide detective. We had my little angel, Amy. Sadly, my husband died in a construction accident only a few years ago. Now, four years later, I'm approached with a mysterious offer to move to Denver for a life-changing, exciting position with stupid pay. Here I am. Chris nodded along with her story. Her mother's Indian heritage was obvious in her lovely brown skin and thick dark hair. He couldn't help frowning as her story took a terrible turn with the death of her husband. It must have been difficult for her and her daughter. I'm sorry to hear about your husband, Sam. How old is Amy? Thank you. She's seven, almost eight. Sam beamed. It must be tough for her to move at that age. Let me know if there's anything I can do to help. I'm a dragon after all. My fiancé Annabelle is great with kids. Sam was a little taken aback at the forward offer. At first her protective instinct told her to be wary, but the large young man seemed completely genuine in his offer. I'm sorry. Chris watched her brow fro and the other women in the room exchanged nervous glances. I shouldn't have, no. No, it's fine. I appreciate the offer. I was just taken aback. I'm sure after the revelation she would love to know a real-life dragon. She's such an inquisitive little soul. Okay. How about you, Pamela? He asked. The athletic blonde fixed her green eyes on him appraisingly and he noticed for the first time just how many freckles she had. It was quite striking. Her obviously pale completion showed signs that she loved the sunshine. Her body language told him she wasn't comfortable. He wondered what he'd done wrong. Joined the Coast Guard out of high school, became a gunnery sniper, shot the engines out of drug boats, for a few years. She sighed and looked around the room as if to ask if it was necessary to continue. She'd been skeptical about taking this job from the beginning. This oversized kid in front of her was supposed to be some sort of magical badass, a dragon. Something was fishy. 
A while back I moved to LA and got into the LAPD Tactical Response Unit. I've been pulling triggers ever since. I mostly took this job as an excuse to get out of a long-term relationship that wasn't going anywhere, plus the pay. While I'm okay. Chris was lost for words. Michelle rolled her eyes at him as Pamela opened her mouth to continue. The woman was known to have an attitude. I'm starting to wonder if I should have stayed in LA. Since when was there an all-woman anything in the police or armed forces? We're like some sort of Michelle's Angels bullshit. Michelle's Angels. Ha, I like that one. Lisa laughed. Hmm. I think we could use that. Michelle mused teasingly. I'm not joking. Pamela obviously didn't appreciate their sense of humor. Look, Pamela, I understand this situation must seem quite unusual, but there is a reason for it. Michelle spoke, her tone placating but leaving no doubt that she was in charge. You only officially joined the team a few days ago, so you're catching up. You are just barely dipping your toes into the world of magic. I require you to have some mental flexibility. If you can't, or won't, I have no use for you. You've read the dossiers I gave you? Skimmed, mostly. The slightly chagrined woman admitted. It just seems so unbelievable. It's true. Lisa assured her. You wouldn't believe some of the things I've seen in the last week. Chris, would you mind giving us a little demonstration? Michelle asked. Nothing too taxing, though. I wouldn't want to upset Dr. Chang. To say nothing of my health. Okay, let me think. He said wryly. Last time he'd done a half-transformation, but that was a demanding process. Perhaps a little phasing? That was pretty easy. Okay, you've probably heard or read a little something about the ether, my dragon element. He received nods around the room and Kat spoke up. I don't understand it at all, though. It's another dimension that this one is linked to somehow? Sort of. He cocked his head in acknowledgement. In truth, I'm not sure anyone really understands it, but I'm learning as much as I can. Anyway, I'm told I have unprecedented control of magic relating to the ether. Kat, would you like to assist me with the demonstration? She looked a little wary at first but gathered her courage as he stood and held out his big hand to her. A marine like her wasn't going to pussy out on a little magic, heck, it might be fun. I need to take your hand. He warned, feeling a little shiver run up her arm as he took a gentle but solid grip on her wrist. She gripped him back in return, her body tense like a coiled spring, ready to explode. Relax. And don't freak out. He let his awareness wash over her, surround her. Her lips were just parting in an astonished little gasp, goose flesh beginning to form on her skin as they vanished. What the? Pamela jumped up from her seat and brushed a hand through the empty space. Invisibility? Well, sort of. Michelle looked to Lisa and Sam to see how they were doing. I suspect he's using one of his more powerful abilities, phasing, a roundabout sort of teleportation. They could just be sitting in the ether right there laughing at us, though. Teleportation? That's so cool. Lisa seemed to be taking it quite well. Sam? Michelle asked. The experienced detective had settled back into her chair and was rubbing her temples thoughtfully, eyes closed. I just realized what a headache this job is going to be. Our world is going to be a very different place when this gets out. Yes. Yes, it is. Michelle smiled a little sadly. Finally someone got it, saw the bigger picture rather than the shock value of the magic itself. Her instincts had been correct. Sam would make an excellent second in command at the Denver office. But how is that possible? Pamela rounded on Michelle. Where did he take her? Is he going to bring her back? I don't know how it's possible and I have no idea where he took her. Michelle said calmly. You have to give Chris some slack. Think of him as a fresh recruit. He's unique and magically powerful but inexperienced. He's also incredibly valuable. It's our job to train, protect, and use his talents to complete our mission. If he decides to bring Cat back anytime soon, that is. What else can he do? And if he's so powerful, why does he need our protection? Sam asked. That's fair. Michelle nodded. He needs our protection because he's exposing himself to danger to help us. As well as providing magical support when we need it, the higher-ups have earmarked him to be some sort of a public figure when this all comes out. They think, and I agree, that people will need to see and have chances to interact positively with beings if we're going to integrate their hidden world with ours. Chris has the potential to fill this role well. He's young, attractive, mild-mannered, and most importantly still connected with his humanity. So many of the old, powerful beings I've met have lost that entirely. I see, he will almost certainly be the target of more violence then. 
Not only that, Lisa added. I've been doing some reading now that we have access to their Maginet. I also got a chance to talk to one of his mates, Claire. He's incredibly valuable to his species and beings as a whole. It would be a tragedy if something happened to him. Did I hear you correctly? You said one of his mates? Sam cocked an eyebrow. Yes, Lisa said, a little color rising in her cheeks. He has five, six if you count the sprite. Good lord, how does he? Pheromones, I treated you both with a potion to resist them this morning. Michelle said. It's all in the briefing package, but there's a lot to read through. The little skin swab. Pamela scowled. It wasn't a DNA sample after all. Indeed, and you'll need to dose yourselves every day like I do if you don't want to embarrass yourselves with him. Michelle smirked. Unless you think you're completely immune to his charm, that is. Perhaps you can see now why I was told to assemble an all-female team to work closely with him. His interaction with humans needs to be carefully managed. The type of men who usually possess our skill sets often have egos to go with them. That's the truth. Pamela admitted that a little crackle was their only warning as Chris pulled a flustered cat back into the room through the ether. In his other hand he gripped a large cup holder full of beefy takeaway cups. Cat's bounty was a white card box. That was fucking crazy. Cat enthused to wide-eyed stares. I had a hankering for hot chocolate and donuts. Chris shrugged. There's enough for everyone. They ended up talking for over an hour. Chris got filled in on all the work that went on to get the kidnapped beings back to their families. Michelle gave them a report on what actions were being taken after the incident and expressed her frustration trying to get Patrick Riker arrested. The women were full of questions about magic, dragons, and all sorts of other being-related subjects that he didn't even come close to being able to answer all of them, but it felt good to talk and for once feel a little knowledgeable. Eventually Dr. Chan came to collect him. It was time to start dialysis. Before he was led away, Michelle took him aside and made a cryptic comment about coming to see him later for a more private visit. His days Abed took on a loose schedule which ended up being far more bearable than he'd imagined. In the morning, he was injected with the antidote by Dr. Mayer herself. Early in the afternoon, he would be hooked back up to the dialysis machine for several hours, sometimes the rest of the day. Point one of Michelle's angels, as they now jokingly referred to themselves, was usually hanging around to keep an eye on him. He protested his need for constant supervision, but Michelle said it was good practice for them. I in truth, he was never really left alone at all. Petra and Eau usually spent the morning with him and Haley kept him company in the afternoon. Susan and Annabelle would drop by when they could, but their schedules were full with work and school. Everyone came to the clinic in the evenings to have a picnic dinner. Those were his favorite times, lifting a lot of the frustration of inactivity. He didn't get to see much of Michelle or Lillian outside of dinner, they tended to work late or all night. Point one of his roommates always stayed overnight with him. It wasn't always about the sex, it felt just so right to have a loved one to wrap his arms around and sleep beside. Haley? Yeah? Tucked up against his side, she looked up from the research paper she was reading on her tablet. He couldn't help adoring her, as she wriggled closer underneath his needle and two-brigged arm. I was wondering... What's something I could do with my magic to help humanity on a large scale? I'm not sure. She frowned, scrunching her nose. What brought this on? It was something Dr. Mayer said to me the other day. She seemed to think I should allow her to research my biology because it could help so many people. I've got no doubt the right research could help a lot of people. She sat up and looked down at him, her short blonde hair cutely messy. It would also probably make a few people very rich to license or sell dragon-based cures. You also must consider how exactly they would plan to mass-produce these cures. There's undoubtedly a magical aspect to your healing abilities which couldn't be replicated in the lab. I hadn't thought of it like that, he admitted. Providing magical healthcare to the masses is actually a pretty poor use of your potential in my opinion. Oh, really? He teased. I suppose you have a better idea. Don't I always? So far, yes, my beautiful little aspiring astronaut. I'm ever in awe of your intelligence. It's very attractive, you know. You're such a tease, Chris. She batted at his chest. When we have sex, I want you to tell me that over and over. Actually, I was thinking that for our first time I could phase us up to low orbit. We could sneak aboard and fuck in the ISS. She gaped down at him, trying several times to find words. See, could you? Don't know. He smiled. Worth a try? Oh, God, yes. 
Her eyes closed as a little shiver ran over her skin just at the thought of it. Damn, you're one serious little space freak. You have no idea. She leaned back and hugged herself in excitement. Yet. She was wearing a snug, light gray sweater dress and the movement did wonderful things to push her breasts toward him. That was why he noticed the spreading patches of darker fabric around the center of each of her beautiful sweater puppies. His mind reached back to a time where Lillian had been tormenting him about Haley's crush and claiming that were bovine women lactated almost constantly. He hadn't put too much stock in that at the time, being more worried that Annabelle would take Lillian's teasing to heart. Should he say anything now, something of his dilemma must have shown on his face. What? She leaned closer. Was that too much? I thought, no, Haley, I like the idea, I really do. It's just... Um, are your boobs leaking? She looked down and saw too late that her dirty little secret was out. She didn't say a word but felt herself turn scarlet in mortified embarrassment. In a sudden scrabble of betting, she made an attempt to flee, but he sat up quickly and caught her wrist. What's wrong? Haley, don't run away. He softened his grip and asked gently. Look at me, please. Very slowly she raised her eyes to his. There were the beginnings of tears glistening at the corners of her striking blues. It's nothing to be ashamed about. He assured, gingerly placing his needle-stuck arm comfortingly on her shoulder. She had an arm across her chest to cover the wet spots. He recognized the position, and it finally clicked for him. This is why you've been going to the bathroom so much? Yes. She admitted ashamedly. Why didn't you just tell me? Lillian mentioned something about this a while ago, but I didn't think about it too much. Dragons have plenty of weird and cool biological quirks. I don't mind that you lactate. It's kind of hot, actually. No, it's not. People tease me sometimes and mutter things about my mom and I when we're around town. My nickname at school was Daisy. Who? Chris' anger was sudden and intense. Dragon anger. I'll kick their asses. She looked taken aback, her eyes searching, hoping for acceptance. As if a dam inside her burst, she flung her arms up around his neck and clung to him, burying her face against his neck. Her words came out in a flood. I was scared you would think it was gross. Chris, I'm sorry. I knew I couldn't hide it forever, but the moment never seemed right and the longer I left off telling you the harder it got. Please say you don't think it's gross? I have to wear absorbent bra cups all the time and it gets so much worse when I'm around you. It's like, even just your smell turns on the faucet. He rubbed her back comfortingly as she babbled but had to start chuckling when he felt the warm wetness spreading from their contact, seeping through his own thin hospital gown. What? She sat back into his lap and looked up at him a little reproachfully. It's not gross. I like you, milk and all. It's just that you're getting it on me. She looked down between their bodies at the rough circles of damp fabric. Oh my god, I'm going to die of embarrassment. She squeaked. For such a smart girl, you're really hung up on this, huh? Haley, you're beautiful, and from what I've seen so far your breasts are world class. No, you don't have to live with them, hush. He kissed her softly. She seemed reluctant at first but soon her soft lips were meeting him firmly, her pink little tongue slipping tentatively into his mouth. Chris' good hand was stroking up and down her slim torso, closer and closer to its target. When it finally slid up to gently cup her left breast, she let out a tiny gasp, stilling their kiss. He tenderly supported it, hefting slightly from underneath, running his thumb lovingly across the fabric shielding her upper slope. Her eyes were locked onto his, her little body quivering as he reached up and slid the gray fabric off her shoulder. Her bronze skin looked sumptuous against the exposed top of a lacy but substantial, dark green bra cup. He paused, seeking permission, a finger gently running back and forth over the wide, lightly padded support strap. She worried her bottom lip for several seconds, considering or perhaps gathering courage. She closed her eyes and nodded, pent-up breath escaping her in a shuddered rush. Even as he slipped his finger under the strap and eased it down to the side, her hand came up to do the same on her right shoulder. She made a small shrugging motion and suddenly, most of her breasts were bared to him. He stared, once again astounded by the female form. She was so large and perfectly rounded, heavy. Unleashed, they were weighted down slightly, but this only served to accentuate her beautifully upturned, cone-like nipples. So pink and soft and glistening with moisture. He hadn't come across that sort of shape before, like her areola and nipple were merged into a puffy, sackable little teat that he badly wished his other hand was fit for duty. But he made do with one, pushing her brassiere and sweater further down her body. Her lower slopes were marvelously full, 
spreading out slightly across her chest, a little wider than her torso. They were the sort of tits you would expect on someone with Lillian's more full-bodied figure, not the slight young blonde exposed and vulnerable before him. See? Beautiful. He whispered. His finger traced all the way down the side of her right breast, looping under the swell, crossing the slight gap at her sternum to repeat the worshipping caress on its twin. Under her but, Haley could feel his member grow and throb, hot and insistent. Her womanhood was responding too, moistening as a small fire began to kindle low in her belly. Her hands played across her lower tummy and across her thighs nervously. She opened her eyes slowly, her skin puckering under his gentle touch. He had such a look of undisguised adoration on his face that she had to smile that he exploringly cupped and hefted her left tit, squeezing a little, like someone trying to find that one ripe avocado at the market. He was surprised how firm and engorged she felt, almost hard. He squeezed again, just to make sure. She gasped as a little squirt of white fluid shot from her nipple, spattering his gown. He looked down at his chest, chuckled and shot her a roguish grin. She watched his eyes twinkle mischievously, holding her gaze as he very slowly raised his mouth toward her dribbling left nipple. Fuck! Her breath hitched as his lips softly enveloped her puffy little cone. Their eyes never parted as he flicked his tongue around her sensitive teeth and began applying gentle suction. She was unprepared for the way her body responded to the warm, tugging sensation. As if on cue, an overwhelming tingling began in both her breasts, bordering on being painful. It had never been this powerful before. Then, as the dragon continued to suckle, the dam burst and her milk let down. She sighed happy relief, almost like if she really needed to pee and could now finally relax and let it flow. Chris was in heaven. What started as a warm little trickle of creamy milk became a veritable torrent. She was delicious, sweeter and richer than fresh cow's milk. His dragon instinct told him her milk was chock full of nutrients and more than a little magic of her own. He gulped quickly as her flow increased. She looked down at him, a silly little smile on her face as he guzzled and sucked greedily at her nipple. Her fingers tangled into his short hair, and she pulled him closer. A warm splash across his cheek and spreading dampness on his right shoulder made him splutter and turn his head. Sure enough, her neglected breast was firing off volleys of wasted milk in complaint. They were quickly soaking him, the streams surprisingly powerful and rhythmic. Sorry. Haley shrugged down at him and moved a hand to cover her overflowing breast. They do that sometimes when I'm really full. Don't apologize, you, ungarlic. Chris tried to come up for air and speak but got blasted across the nose and mouth by the tit he'd just abandoned. He ended up laughing, the arm hooked up to the dialysis machine aching slightly from the jostling. He quickly clamped her left nipple firmly between his thumb and forefinger, stemming the flow. She whimpered, her body tensing, hips fidgeting. It was like her nipple had a direct line to her little runaway steam train of a pussy, and any signal sent just shoveled more coal into the firebox. Stemming her milk like that was unreal, she almost screamed out in a combination of pleasure, frustration, and dull pain. Sorry. He spluttered, loosening his grip a little and brushing milk off his nose. Am I hurting you? No. Not really. She panted. I'm just really sensitive, and it's intense. It's sort of sore when I get backed up like that, un. It's okay for now. Okay, well I was going to say that you shouldn't apologize. It's delicious and I only wish I had two mouths, so I could get all of it. Really? Haley Sibin, I could literally spend all afternoon suckling the most delightful milk I've ever tasted from your perfect boobs. He promised solemnly. Oh, um, if you really like it that much I suppose you could keep pinching this one until you've drained the other one a bit. She suggested softly, revealing her dripping and still softly squirting right breast. They're sort of sympathetic like that. I usually use two pumps at the same time when I'm at home. I'd love to. He grinned. Okay, lie back then. It will be more comfortable for both of us. She guided him back onto the bed. As she leaned in above him, her breast hanging full and heavy in his face, Chris shook his head in astonishment. How could you not think this was hot? She smiled happily and silenced him with her fresh nipple. He growled in satisfaction, and she moaned relief and pleasure as her sumptuous milk began to flow freely again. What was your idea? He asked an hour later as they lay snuggled together dozing. What idea? You hinted that you had a better idea for a way I could use my powers to help people. Oh, that. She giggled. I'm all out of ideas. Suck dry, you might say. Seriously? He chuckled, squeezing her against his good side. 
I warn you, it's nerdy. Go on. Okay, think with me. What do you think are the biggest problems facing the world today, aside from the revelation of course? She yawned, coming more awake. Think about human problems. It was ever like Haley to have him consider and puzzle out an answer, rather than just giving it to him. It's what made her such an excellent tutor. Pollution, overpopulation, dwindling resources, climate change, wealth disparity? Good. She purred. All good answers. I would have added the ocean, especially acidification, but I guess that's part of pollution. They all help paint the broader picture. Can you think of one thing which could go some way to helping all of these issues? Chris thought about it, determined to impress her but came up blank. I'm not sure. They all seem like quite complicated and somewhat separate issues. Short of me magically enforcing some sort of global socialist regime, I don't see how you would get everyone to agree on the correct course of action, let alone buckle down and make the sacrifices needed to combat the problems. It's not in human nature, and I would make a terrible dictator. Ha, you're right. She laughed. You're too soft-hearted to be a global dictator. Sadly, humans don't seem to care about the writing on the wall, beings too. No. I'm talking about cheap, abundant energy. Magical energy? He asked, confused. No, conventional. Electrical mostly, but ready to be converted for use as needed. I thought we had enough to meet our demands, at least in the developed world. I can't remember any power outages or talk about a scarcity. Solar and renewables are finally becoming cheaper than fossil fuel power, aren't they? Yes, they are and that's admirable but you're missing my point. Which is? That if we could help jump an order of magnitude in electricity production and have it cheap to produce, it could be spent in ways that could benefit everyone globally. Explain, please. Okay, there are a lot of things which we know how to do but don't because they're too energy expensive. Proper recycling and pulling carbon dioxide out of the ocean to make carbon-neutral jet fuel and other products are just a few that come to mind. We also know that access to electricity and the corresponding quality of life improvements it brings lowers birth rates. If electricity was cheap and very abundant, you could do really cool things like desalinate ocean water in Africa and try to stop the rampant desertification there. There are so many things that could potentially be possible, not to mention that it could be a huge advance in aerospace technology. There it is. Chris chuckled. I'm serious. She protested. A lot of what's holding us back in space is how to generate electricity. Okay, how though? Fusion. We could try advanced fission but there are already people doing clever work on that. Like the sun fusion? He asked incredulously. Haven't all sorts of scientists been trying to make that work for the last half century too? Yes, and they have made it work. She said a little testily. They just can't keep it working for more than a few hundred milliseconds or harvest any power. What am I supposed to do about that? He laughed. Well, I was thinking about how you said everything has a presence in the ether. Tell me, Chris, have you heard of a muon? Chris was chafing at the bit to be released late one afternoon. It was the sixth day of his incarceration, as he'd come to joke about it. Haley had recently left to pick up some groceries for her mother, and he was alone. He was on and off his tablet, unsettled by the news Michelle had brought him after lunch. The uproar and publicity around what the public perceived as a terrible act of violence at a popular if quirky nightclub had died down substantially after a week. However, people hadn't forgotten. They also hadn't forgotten the supposed hero of the hour, Chris Barrist. In his absence, people were wondering what had happened and if he was okay. Those who remembered him in his hometown, Laramie, were quick to speak up that they knew him and surprisingly persistent in trying to track him down. Annabelle had been fending off inquiries about him, including a few from dogged reporters who latched onto that connection. She'd ignored those during the first few hectic days where everything was up in the air. Once he'd been brought home and hospitalized, she used that as an excuse as to why he couldn't be contacted and wasn't available for interview. Michelle had jumped on that bandwagon, no doubt spinning a tale of bravery, a quiet hero recovering from grievous wounds in a private hospital. Michelle informed him that there was starting to be a little too much speculation for her liking. He was to have an exclusive interview with a reasonably tame local reporter when he was fit to leave hospital. He would be on his own too, except perhaps an invisible vampire. No one was going to save him if he blundered and said the wrong thing though. He was nervous, and it put a huge dampener on his excitement to be cleared for release, possibly as early as tomorrow. A kerfuffle outside broke into his worrying. He thought he recognized the gravely old voice. No he's in there because I can smell him, the smarmy little lizard. 
Chris got up and opened the door, peering into the hallway. Sir, I don't know you. Kat's voice was raised, her accent echoing up to him from the waiting room. You step the fuck back or I swear to God I will drop you, old man or not. I'd like to see you try, missy. Snarled the old workat. I drove all the way here to see my boy and I hate driving, makes me cranky. You'd best be out of my way before I take you over my knee for a spanking, you ain't too old. Chris grinned wide and started quickly down the corridor to avert disaster. He was half tempted to wait a while and see how the situation unfolded, it might be funny. Jethrey wasn't what he used to be, and Chris didn't want to chance him getting hurt. He burst into the reception to the comic side of the two about to square off. By the lecherous grin on Jethrey's face, Chris realized he was enjoying himself and probably did intend to give Cat the promised spanking if he could manage it. Cat, he warned humorously. Back away from the dirty old man. Chris, Jethrey exclaimed happily as they took the few steps between them and embraced. Jesus boy, if you was a steer you'd be fit for slaughter. Look at the size of you. Thanks I guess. It's great to see you, Jethrey. Here, meet Kat, she ah. Uh, I work with her. A pleasure to meet you, miss. The work at fixed his speech into something more proper, yet still mocking. Jethrey Dale at your service, for all your spanking needs of course. Chris rolled his eyes at her over Jethrey's shoulder, and shrugged slightly in apology. I saw that. Jethrey poked him firmly in the gut making Chris grunt, and then laugh. You ain't too old for a spanking either, though you might be a little too big. Sorry Cat, he's the dirtiest old man you'll probably ever meet, but I love him. Chris wrapped his arm around Jethrey's shoulder. Just keep him away from my ass or I'll whoop his, even if it is scrawny and old. You're not porking this one too, are ya? Jethrey complained as Chris turned them toward his room, still in clear earshot of Cat. No! Jesus, you're terrible. Chris's ears were burning now. Good, cause I like am feisty. Chris led him away before he could be embarrassed further. Back in his room, they found seats and just looked at each other for a moment. How are you, boy? The older man asked seriously, all trace of mischief gone. I'm ready to get out of here. Chris sighed. Susan told you what happened? Yep, can't say I understand it all. Some sort of poison? Basically, yeah. The scientist who'd been experimenting on, and I suppose caring for those poor folks, was smart enough to realize the hammer was going to drop on them if they captured me. She's basically been holding me hostage, feeding me the antidote every day for the last week. The work hat grunted in disgust, stroking his bristly chin thoughtfully. Saw your picture on the news, that was a hoot. All sorts of folks been dropping by unannounced to ask about ya. Yeah, sorry about that. It's only going to get worse though, they want me to be some sort of ambassador for the revelation. I'm working with the agency they're setting up to try keep people honest when this all comes out. It feels good to do stuff like getting those kidnapped beings back. That's good, son. Someone like you will make a big difference, maybe show some of the rest of us that working with the humans isn't so bad. I've heard, mutterings, beings leaving the hubs, spreading out and going back to the wilderness if they can manage. I don't know if they're trying to hide away and live how they please or if they're just running away from the places where shit will hit the fan hardest. We'll see. It could definitely all blow up in our faces if we aren't careful. Chris admitted. It doesn't bode well if there are already humans trying to experiment on us. Imagine if word of that got around. Just do your best for you and your girls. Jethry clapped a hand companionably on his shoulder. You've got little ones to think about too. If you need to just run for a while and get them safe, there's no shame in that. I know. Any other advice? Nah, not really. Just be true to each other and don't take yourself too seriously. Yeah, I feel like you might have taken a bit too much of your own advice on that last part. Chris laughed. Maybe. Jethry admitted. They sat silently for a while. It wasn't awkward, they'd spent that much time working together over the years. Damn, I should have picked us up a pack of beer or something. Don't worry about it. Folks will be arriving for dinner soon. Will you stay? How's the farm? I could stay. Funny you should ask about the farm. Jethry grinned. I got a load of hay from the Johnsons, but the boys didn't want to stack it nice in the back of the barn. It's sitting outside under a tarpaulin, but it won't be long until it's snowed on. I'll see what I can do. Chris nodded. I've gotten pretty good at lifting things with this house I'm helping to build. I'd take you around there right now but the doctor here is fierce. He'd probably lock me up an extra day or two if I tried to slip away. It can't be that bad. I smell all sorts of tail in here. Milk too. 
Chris blushed. Ha! Huh. You found yourself a little heifer then, I thought I smelled one. He shook his head in mock regret. Teach a boy to milk a cow, I? Jealous? Chris teased back. Of course. He replied gruffly. Good for you, boy. Plenty of worse things could happen to the world than you sowing your seed far and wide. It's not like th dash. Chris protested. I know it's not. I'm just saying. You're different, Chris. I can feel it. I always had this instinct about you, call it a cat sense. The hairs on my scruff pick up whenever you're around. It ain't a bad thing, just a sort of careful with this one. When I heard you knocked up that sweet piece of vampire, well, I just wanted to see for myself you were okay. People take note of that sort of thing. You're in unknown territory, so be careful. Thanks. I really mean it, Jethri. Ah, Pishaw. His old friend dismissed. You'll do fine. Two days later, when his urine and blood tests finally satisfied Dr. Chan, Chris was released. The first thing he did was head down to the warehouse to visit the construction site. He was like a giddy child waiting to see what was inside his present. Haley had hinted the day before that the progress was impressive. She wasn't wrong. The bucket loader and pile of crushed rock were gone completely. There was also a half-used pallet of bag plaster mixed by the stairwell. He took the stairs three at a time, almost barreling into Stephen at the bottom who was muttering and scratching his head over the complex installation manual for the security door system. There were brackets, packets of bolts, rivets, and all sorts of pre-built wiring scattered around him. Chris. Just who I wanted to see. The big were bison bellowed, wrapping him in a huge hug. Chris was a bit surprised at the contact and didn't commit to the embrace. Don't A-frame me, dude. We hug like men in this family. Okay. Chris laughed, infected by his friend's obvious good mood. They embraced more firmly for a few seconds. It was sort of nice. I'm glad you're back on your feet. Stephen said as he abandoned his frustrating job and beckoned Chris to follow him inside. They had to step around the two thick slabs of steel, doors yet to be installed, that were resting up against the wall. I've been holding off on a few of the spells until you got back. We're running a bit low on juice. Chris' eyebrows rose in astonishment as they entered the foyer, even more so when he saw the kitchen and living room. Gone were the dark, bare walls, the dusty floors, and the featureless spaces. Surfaces which were to stay bare rock were polished and sealed, corners rounded down, and cracks filled. Ceilings and walls were mostly plastered where they required it. The kitchen floor had been tiled beautifully and the huge living room was littered with thick rolls of underlay, ready to be installed. Light fittings hung from Stephen's high fake rafters. They were bare wood, elegantly tapered toward the center of the room to give the illusion of a peaked roof above them. Chris had to admit that touch helped make it seem like a real house. He was astounded they'd gotten all this done in little over a week. Come on, you haven't even seen your room yet. Stephen ran his hand along the bare rock walls, pausing briefly at each of the doorways to utility rooms or storage closets. With a craftsman's eye, he evaluated the rock for flaws, cracks, and moisture. The terrible trio have been over the stonework with a fine-toothed comb. We've sucked the last of the ground moisture out with a spell and sealed it. This is amazing. You've done the plumbing, too? Chris wondered as he looked into the main bathroom, seeing it tiled and multiple shower heads protruding from the wall and ceiling. The entire far third of the room was a sunken area with steps leading down into it, a hot pool fit for a small harem. Some, the word bison said. There's still a lot to be done in the end suites. Whoa. Chris whispered when they finally got to his own room. The room itself wasn't anything special, a modest to large bedroom. The ceiling had been plastered and lights installed but the floor and walls were still bare and there was no furniture. He knew that the plans had included an end suite and a small walk-in wardrobe, but what seized his attention as soon as he got in the room was the inlaid rock carving of three dragons guarding a yawning, low, silver archway. Whether entwined in battle or lust he wasn't sure, but the craftsmanship was astonishing. He moved closer to run his hand over the incredibly intricate artwork of troughs and ridges. A bubbling joyous laugh rose in his throat as he realized there were tiny flecks of silver, red, and purple impregnated in the dark ochre stone. Taking a step back, he examined the work again. A red and silver dragon on either side of the archway, the purple twined around them from behind the portal, his wings partially covering them. To be honest he looked a bit handsy, a paw possessively on each female's hip. Their three graceful necks met at the top of the low archway, reaching upward together in a silent roar of triumph. It was stunning. Holy shit. Chris turned to Stephen, lost for words.
I know, the boys stayed late for an entire week. They didn't let me in here until two days ago. Trust me, you haven't seen the half of it. Chris reached forward curiously and touched the shimmering substance inside the arch. It parted, revealing a pitch-black corridor. It was low and narrow, but Chris was more interested in the hair-thin silver strands running through his fingers. It shimmered and bent easily, marvelously cool and incredibly attuned to his magical senses. There was an enchantment there. He brought his hand nearer, pulling the strands into the light for examination. He could barely see them, even with his excellent eyesight, but there were tiny chain links there. Mithril. He whispered in awe. How did, don't look at me. Just go in there. Stephen smiled and produced a long, thin candle from the back pocket of his cargo pants. Take this. Chris concentrated for a moment with the wick between his finger and thumb. It was much harder for him to use fire magic, but he'd gotten a lot better under Arvel and Amy's tutelage. This was a relatively simple feat and a flame soon sprang into life, greedy for wax. Holding the candle before him, he reverently parted the mithril screen and ducked to enter the passageway. Stephen gave him a few moments and quietly followed behind. He had to stoop for perhaps four meters, passing intricately carved filigree, some of which looked to be painted. He touched it in passing, feeling the cool, ridged stone under his fingertips. The candle only provided soft, weak illumination of what lay beyond, but he still sank slowly to his knees in wonder. The flickering light licked the domed walls and ceiling, revealing an immense, incredibly detailed mural covering every surface. He didn't notice that his knees weren't protesting the hard stone, cushioned as they were by several layers of woven reed mat. His eyes raced around the beautiful, flowing scenes which traversed the inside of the igla-like structure, rugged, snow-covered peaks, rich woodlands full of wildlife and game. A stream which wound around this section of the room on a journey of transformation. Trickled to rush to torrent to majestic foothill meandering. It ended as a great river surrounded by lush farmland, flowing gently into a white-capped turquoise sea. That wasn't even close to half of it. It was all so masterfully created and lifelike. He shuffled trance-like to the sloping wall, reaching to touch the velvet antler of a proud buck. The goblins had worked their magic with stone there too. The scene was really a painted, shallow sculpture. Stefan stepped quietly to the side of the entrance, still a little hunched over near the sloping walls. He found the little button disguised as a gleaming, dark eye of a raccoon gorging himself on berries.at the peak of the dome. A field of stars and the crescent moon twinkled into existence, shedding soft light across the scene. Tiny light globes, inlaid into the rock itself. Chris turned and looked back, seeing that in the mural, they had entered through a yawning cave mouth. On the other side of the entrance to the plump raccoon, a small village of huts prospered. Little green-gray figures went about their business, mothers chasing children, men with picks over their shoulders looking like they were headed toward the cave for a day's work. Tears rose unbidden in his eyes as the rest of the peculiar room finally drew his attention. An open fireplace was skillfully set in the wall to look like a campfire in an icy tundra scene. Two little wooden cubby holes disguised as log ends could house a few necessities. The huge, rounded futon-style mattress in the center of the space underneath the twinkling night sky spoke to him of comfortable, lazy days spent resting. There was even a huge mound of fluffy bedding piled up against the far wall. The strange little room radiated safety and tranquility to his dragon. Finally, he understood its purpose, a stunning nesting chamber for his two pregnant mates. Beautiful, isn't it? Stefan affirmed. I couldn't believe my eyes when they showed me. Apparently one of their wives was bragging to someone back home in Europe about her husband who worked for that dragon and how he brought home filled crystals every night. Word got to their queen somehow and she got a hold of the trio and ordered them to make you a gift befitting a dragon. It's I know what you mean. Goblin magic, their artwork and engineering surpass even the dwarves in some instances. They've even thought to put a hidden compartment in the floor under the bed, for your hoard apparently. They've thought of everything. Chris laughed, wiping a little moisture from his eyes. Indeed they have. The other raccoon's eye turns the sun on for a bit more light and the fireplace piggybacks into the exhaust system. We've done a tricky bit of enchanting, so it shouldn't get sooty. You're used to hauling heavy things down here, so it shouldn't be a problem if you want to light it. The older man smiled proudly. Oh, and they sent back to the homeland for that mithril lace with specific instructions. It will try to strangle anyone who forces entry or has dishonorable intentions apparently. Wouldn't want to test it personally, wickedly strong stuff. This is fantastic. Chris shook his head in wonder. Where are the beautiful little bastards? 
I'm not sure if I should keep it a surprise or run screaming to Petra and Claire right now. Up to you. Personally, I would go for the surprise reveal, let them experience the same wonder you just did. The boys are probably waiting outside to see what you think of it. Chris swept his eyes around the room a final time before ducking back into low corridor. Sure enough, the three goblin brothers were waiting but what disturbed Chris was that they'd all taken a knee and bowed their heads in obvious reverence. Our queen Glee sends her best wishes to you and your mates. Yurt spoke in his strong accent. Most surprising was that a whole sentence from the Mohawk little man didn't contain a single curse word. Come here you little punks. Chris held his arms wide and charged, sweeping them into a hug as they scrambled up to get away. He squeezed them into a wriggling, yelping ball of goblin until the curses started flowing again. Thank you so much. I don't know what I can do to repay your kindness. Fucking letting us down would be a start ya oversized skink. Belthila's wheezed. He's broken me damn ribs he has. Gruff chorused. I mean it guys it's perfect. Chris relented, releasing the goblins but ruffling Yurt's spiky hair affectionately. If there's ever something I can do for you in return I'll do my best to help. Also, please thank your queen for my mates and I. Yeah well every dragon needs a good grotto. Balthila scuffed the floor with his boot and continued. Figured you was too much a burk to know that so we'd fix it ourselves seeing as you've been letting us nick off home with them crystals. Well thank you. It's amazing craftsmanship. Suddenly magic. Well, it means a lot to me. Chris looked back at the carved entrance, conveying so much more meaning now that he knew the interior and its purpose. Why don't you show me the rest of what you've been up, then I'll have to organize some sort of bonus for you miscreants. Right you are, chief. They chorused back at him. The dragon and his brood went out for dinner and drinks that evening to celebrate his recovery. His mates looked stunning, dressed and made up for a night of fun. Chris whispered his appreciation to each of them throughout the night when he got a chance. Michelle was there, orbiting the edge of their little solar system as always. Kat and Pamela lurked a little further out, eyes open for trouble. Michelle had a sternness to the set of her face which told him she was worrying about something work-related. He wondered if it had something to do with the private conversation she'd hinted at but so far avoided. He resolved to ask her tomorrow and went back to watching approvingly as Haley was gradually integrated into their group. They were back at the cauldron, it was a quiet weeknight, and Rufus had given them his booth again. The vampire made an embarrassing show of proclaiming them the saviors of the entire establishment to the hushed onlookers. Afterwards, some of the patrons came and introduced themselves, thanking all of them for acting so bravely during the crisis. Chris felt like a fake, accepting praise for something he thought was at least partially his own fault. The music this evening was much more relaxed, featuring a lot of slower classics from the 60s and 70s. The dance floor beckoned and Claire invited him to join her. Neither of them really knew how you were supposed to move to such music so they ended up simply swaying in a close embrace for a few songs. As he returned his mate to their group, Rayla made a surprise entry. It was clear who in the room was a being as heads turned and nodded subdued acknowledgement to the stunning dark-skinned woman who glided through them. She made it look effortless, so poised, haughty, and graceful. She wore an almost skin-tight gray gown with practiced ease, long legs peeking from deep slits as she floated in on tall white heels. Chris hadn't seen her human guise before. Her skin was slightly browner, eyes less slanted and cheekbones less pronounced. Her long, sensitive ears were shrunk down to size and her figure was fuller. She still had that slightly alien grace about her, and her white hair and gray eyes were striking and unnervingly, the same shade as her dress and shoes. Perhaps she could pass as a human, but she would never look normal. She made a beeline toward their party, two bodyguards of her own tagging along behind. Good evening, Lady Narlakis. Chris smiled at her politely. Yes, I'm sure it is. The elf swept her eyes over his slightly nervous brood as they stood to greet her, wondering how on earth, or below, one male could. Even for a dragon it was getting excessive. Of course, it all made sense now, but her theory still shocked her to the core. Please, Chris, call me Rayla. Could I trouble you for a dance? Chris didn't know what to say, eyeing the beautiful elf suspiciously. His eyes were automatically drawn to her narrow waist and rounded hips. He wanted to say yes, but knew she was up to something. Of course you can. Susan saved her son from appearing rude, appearing at his side and nudging him forward. Sorry. Chris offered Rayla his hand and led her apprehensively toward the few other couples who were up and dancing. I was just a little surprised to see you. Do you ah uh, come here often? 
Every now and then, she replied vaguely. There was an awkward pause when they finally faced each other. Chris felt his hands hovering, unsure where on her body to place them. Over the elf's shoulder, he could see Lillian laughing with Rufus about his discomfort. Rayla seemed to have no such hesitation, reaching up to wrap her arms around his neck, pulling their bodies close. His hands fell to her shapely hips as she boldly twined her fingers into his blonde hair and began a gentle swaying of her lithe body. Chris relaxed, letting himself listen and move to the music with her. Her piercing gray eyes never left him, spearing deep into his soul. She was mumbling something under her breath, her lips moving ever so slightly. Too late, he felt the magic she'd been gathering so stealthily snap out and grip them both in an iron-hard blackness. Tell me you know! Her voice echoed strangely in the darkness, all sounds of the club, of music absent. She tasted hot, like a runaway temper with a glowing interior of fear and uncertainty. What? Rayla, what's going on? He tried letting go of her, but his body was unresponsive, still moving gently to a rhythm he could no longer hear. He could sense her blocking him somehow, engaging him mind to mind in a way that left him nigh powerless against her. His body moved to the tug of her will, but his awareness was trapped and isolated, alone in a dark, silent place. It made him want to scream in anger. Tell me it's all been some prank. Please, dragon, tell me you know something. You have a plan? I. Let me go. I don't know what you're talking about. This is wrong. Get out of my head. I can't. It's too important. Show me the memories of your encounter with that strange presence. Chris felt his mind move to follow her command, traveling back to that afternoon nap that had added another mystery to his life. His anger rose. She was inside him. He struggled mightily, battering blindly at the darkness surrounding him and roaring his impotent rage. Don't struggle. It will only delay what must be done. She spoke. I do not relish this task, but I must experience what you felt, and we must do it quietly. I have felt the whisperings of the Eye of Ivinos passing over my city for days now. House Lefade is watching us. I must know if my hunch is correct. House Lefade? The name sounded familiar somehow, in a bad way. Yes, the same house implicated in your parents' deaths. Now, shut up and show me those memories. I am not trying to harm you, but it's important. If the Eye is here, this is the only way I can guarantee our privacy. If I do, will you explain yourself and let me go? He asked angrily. Yes. Fine, but I am furious you would do this to me, Rayla. I could take you any number of places in the blink of an eye for a private conversation, but you decide to use this dark magic on me for what, convenience? For safety. She hissed in his head. You know nothing of the dangers you face or how I have sacrificed to shield you, you ungrateful little whelp. My own sister calls me a dragon-collared bitch behind my back and my standing amongst my fellow rulers is nigh ruined by your undermining, intentional or not. That shut him up. How much of it was true, he didn't know, but Rayla had done right by him so far. Perhaps he should trust her now, if she thought it was so vital. He allowed the memories to come to him and relaxed, focusing on reliving them rather than fighting her influence. He remembered the presence's probing touches as he first slipped into the ether. He'd been exhausted that day after multiple feats of magic. It had felt so good to slip into the refreshing stream of ether, become surrounded and supported, nourished. Then it had come, softly at first, just a shiver up his spine. He hadn't known anything was truly wrong until that mighty thing grasped him, encircled him, and read him like a book. It was nothing like what Rayla did to him now, this was a twisted sharing of thoughts. That had been an exposition of everything he was, down to the atomic level, a knowing that left his sense of self-tattered and strewn about like the toys in a toddler's room. It was horrible to relive, even in memory. To feel so helpless and insignificant in the face of such power, to know your life, your dreams meant nothing to a creature such as that. Rayla recoiled, panting hard, sweat beating on her brow and upper lip. A shiver of dread ran up her spine as she recovered, it was a wonder the young dragon's mind hadn't melted into a gibbering mess. She released her spell and watched him slowly regain his awareness and control of his body. He stiffened, eyes narrowing. His handsome lips began to pull apart, about to protest. Stay silent. She warned in his head, still connected by her fingers twined against his scalp and his hands on her hips. It is as I feared, you've been touched by one of the old gods, a divine or one of their masters, a benevolent one I dearly hope. Worse, you cannot tell me why they are toying with us once again. The old. What? He thought back tersely. 
I will explain. Just keep up the pretense of dancing. She thought, running her hands gently through his hair and smiling warmly up at him. To think, I hold one such as you in my arms right now. I don't know if I should be terrified or jubilant. Terrified, I think. Rayla, explain. Please. He begged. I have been puzzling your remarkably strong magic and unusual powers for some time now, Chris. At first I was jaded, thinking your abilities an oddity, a balancing of the universe. If dragons were so rare, it seemed right that a powerful new male might emerge and begin to set the scales straight. Then you apparently stumbled into a nest of treachery by accident, and we were forced to concede this revelation. Too much coincidence. Yes, but what does that have to do with some ancient gods? Why have I heard so little of them before? I'm getting to that. You grew beyond a simple dragon with your full transformation, though I didn't see it then. Still, my feeling of unease only increased. It was then, I think, that my white elf cousins began taking a true interest in you. I began researching your abilities quietly, especially your seemingly undrainable well of magic. Did you know that there was an unexplained magical spike recorded around the approximate time of your conception? There are also obscure references to individuals who might have shared your powers throughout the ages but nothing concrete, at least that I have access to. When the agents of House Lefe began showing up in my territory I knew I was onto something with my subtle investigation. I've even begun receiving all sorts of invitations to share knowledge about your unusual circumstances. Nothing more came of it and things were beginning to settle down these last months. I admit I got distracted trying to keep my territory from falling apart. Then you knocked up my vampire. She's not yours. Chris growled back. Yes, yes, keep her. Rayla brushed his protest aside. This afternoon I was sitting in my library, thinking over your account of the memories you just gave me when the answer came to me. That presence could have been a divine. Our legends say that long ago, this planet was a battleground, fought over as part of some endless war against dark forces. They began modifying the existing inhabitants with magic, importing new ones from other worlds to fight. I've heard a little of the story. Lillian tried to scare Annabelle with it once. What are they though? Are they truly gods? No one knows. There are no accounts of ever seeing one of those old gods, and no one from that time is still living. Still, their powers were so incomprehensible to us that we worshipped them, chose sides and fought for them. When you said your entity had seemed so powerful that you were almost nothing to it, a fly or an irksome gnat, it clicked. So, I decided I had to relive the experience through your eyes to make sure. Your description did not do it justice. I know of no being on this earth who could have done that to you, not I or anyone else. Therefore, I fear something has stirred those incredibly powerful entities to take interest in our world again, in you. This doesn't make any sense. I'll admit that whatever it was that invaded my mind may as well have been a god, but what are they? Chris asked silently but paused, a frown creasing his brow. Oh no, it did show me images of my conception, some sort of ritual. It didn't make much sense at the time. You see, Rayla's excited thoughts spilled into him. It's exactly as I pieced it together. The problem is that nobody truly knows anything about them, if they ever did. They came to us and war followed them across the void. We called their enemy demons, but that word has been so bastardized by human culture that we cannot trust the description. We do know that after years of bloodshed, our side, led by the elves, constructed a huge barrier to cut off the world from the rifts that allowed the warring gods to travel as they pleased. We were left here to live with the primitive humans of the time and the abandoned servants of the dark gods. Thousands of years later, we are the languishing remnants. That's it. I have done well to make that connection. Her haughty tone came through clearly enough in mind-to-mind contact. I think it is our best explanation to your vast power and ability to breed with a vampire. You must have a seed of their creative magic inside you, and you've been planting it in any fertile soil you can find. That's crazy, there has to be more information. You can't just drop that on me and leave it at that. So little lore survived from those early years. Almost forgotten legend is all I have to go on. I'm sorry, dragon. I don't think Lefade has made the same connection to you yet, but we need to prepare for when they do. They are already moving to insert their influence into your life. Now that you have made a child with Lillian, there is little I can do to stop them. It's too much of an oddity to block them from investigating a vampire pregnancy. If they suspect the source of your power as I do, they would stop at nothing to have you for their own. I laugh to think how they must regret agreeing to sign you over to work with the humans. 
It must have seemed like such a humiliating punishment at the time, but now it prevents them from manipulating the Synod to give you over to them. They would do that. Why do they care so much? Rayla cocked a perfect white eyebrow at him in surprise. Did he truly not see it? Dragon, you are possibly the most promising magical resource I have seen for centuries. Anyone who harnessed your power would have a huge economic, political, and even military advantage should things turn that way. Your efforts with your mates at selling energy crystals has already made an enormous impact on the local economy. My territory is once again exporting high magic products, as it hasn't in several hundred years. With Lillian, you have released a new flood of speculation regarding the power of your children. As your ruling lady, I've already received several outlandish offers for stud fees. Oh, okay. He blushed. What about this eye, of Ivino's? It is a most advanced scrying artifact and one of House Lefade's greatest weapons. It can allow the users to see and freely track anywhere without the specific targeting required in most scrying spells. It also creates only a very subtle ripple to detect but can see through most simple scrying blocks. There are unconfirmed reports that it can also be used to listen in, which is why we speak through mind touch. That sounds very nefarious, useful though. I wish you hadn't taken such a firm hand with your magic though, just... I don't know. Trust me, Rayla. It is difficult for me. She admitted, a genuine smile revealing perfect teeth. I apologize for bullying my way in. I am. Old habits are hard to break, but I will endeavor to work on it. Good. And they've been targeting me for the last week? Chris chuckled mentally, thinking back to what they must have witnessed during his time in hospital. Nothing too incriminating, if it shipped with an X rating. Yes, almost as soon as word spread of Lillian's pregnancy. It must cost Lefe dearly to divert the eye from their other interests. I doubt they'll keep it up for much longer unless you perform some other impossibility. Be cautious, they are snakes. It was Lefe who killed your father, that much is almost common knowledge but they claim your father killed one of their own without proof of wrongdoing. I'm working on a way to shrug off their vision, but it's... Oh, Lillian's coming. Chris glanced over his shoulder. His beautiful vampire was indeed homing in on them. Chris, say nothing of this to anyone yet. I... I know I am prickly and my temper gets the better of me sometimes. Most times. Chris couldn't help himself. Perhaps. What I am trying to say that I want you to trust me, to be your friend. You are a troublesome young creature to have in my territory, but you are important, and I would miss you if something terrible happened. I will not see you harmed or hindered while you choose to bless my realm with your magic. Chris was trying to formulate a reply when Lillian arrived. Well, well, well. Lillian put a firm hand on his shoulder and sneered down at the disguised elf. Aren't we nice and cozy over here? I'm afraid you can't claim him all evening, Rayla. You see there's this exclusive club I joined recently, excellent benefits, but we're very protective of our club president here. That's fine. Thank you for the dance, Chris, it was illuminating. To his surprise, Rayla gave him a cheeky wink, a hip bump, and a little smile as their bodies separated. Ah, uh, thanks. We should talk sometime about how I might help with that situation. Yes, perhaps. She scowled at him and flicked her eyes upward in an attempt to warn him off any further talk. Honestly, did he think that after what she just told him and the lengths she'd gone to, a meeting between the two of them would be unmonitored? So young. Still, he was offering help, which could prove invaluable if she could gather the courage to harness him. She watched as Lillian, in a very flattering black dress, led him back toward their little club. They all greeted him with such open love and adoration on their faces. He radiated it right back at them, soaking them in waves of magic and affection. What must it be like to be part of that? What was that all about? Lillian asked. You were just staring at each other for almost four songs. Chris shook his head and took a sip of the beer Annabelle had ordered for him to try. Why can't I just come here and relax one time without something crazy happening? Light from the bathroom spilled into the dark bedroom and across his supine body. He lay on the bed, pondering all Rayla had said and what it meant. He was naked, his huge body exposed and partly illuminated. It felt good to relax but in the back of his mind lurked a niggly question. Were there dozens of pale elves watching him right now as he stared up at the ceiling? Another bout of hushed giggling reached his ears. They were up to something in there. His cock twitched at the thought, eager to go investigate. The two had retreated to the bathroom some time ago, forbidding him entry. They came to him in white. It was like a fantasy he'd never known come true. It was conceived, imagined, and fulfilled in a pounding heartbeat as they ran hand in hand to pounce onto the bed. 
faces lightly made up, white teeth flashing behind happy smiles, and hair flowing freely behind, they came. Annabelle wore a veil and the thought of marrying his beautiful mate set his blood pulsing to where it was about to be needed most. Amy surged ahead with an excited shriek, reaching him first with a flap of her blue wings. Her chest heaving as she knelt at his side, eyeing his thickening manhood reverently. I've been good. Her eyes sparkled pleadingly as her little fingers played with a new lacy, white collar around her neck. Please, master. Chris was silenced, his eyes darting back and forth between the sprite and his beautiful Annabelle. Where had the snowy stockings come from? Let alone the matching garters of white mesh and lace. There was something incredible about the way the little belts sat on the slimmest part of their tummies. Thin straps connected the decorated lacy bands at the top of their stocking, the thickest, luscious section of their supple thighs. The white looked so good against their contrasting blue and pale skin. The little collars at their throats were an incredible finishing touch. It spoke of ownership and submission. Speechless? Annabelle teased as she crawled slowly up across the bed, her little, bare nipples tingling, tightening in excitement. She took position to the side of her small blue lover, stroking a calming hand down the quivering sprite princess's spine. They turned their heads to each other as if by some unspoken cue and shared a soft, cock-hardening kiss. Aren't you supposed to wear panties with a get-up like that? Chris wondered, noting Annabelle's tuft of soft brown pubic hair, framed perfectly by the exquisite bridal lingerie. She wore an extra ribbon above her garter that Emmy lacked. It was bowed perfectly over her belly button and Bartholomew was prancing proudly around it. They get in the way. Emmy's practicality could not be denied. She wasn't wearing any either and her puffy little clam was visibly glistening as she squirmed. Indeed, they do, my Emmyanth. Chris chuckled, reaching to touch her masterfully crafted miniature stockings. I love the veil, Annabelle. What did I do to deserve this treat? Thank you, babe. It suits the theme, doesn't it? Yes, you look stunning. I wish you didn't want to wait until spring to marry. I appreciate the enthusiasm, but we're married in heart at least. She smiled and tugged worriedly at the delicate veil perched in her flowing chestnut tresses. To answer your question though, Lillian has been, well, fond face has been teasing us, so we did something about it. Emmy crowed proudly in her high-pitched voice. Emmy, Bartholomew, and I have a surprise for you. Annabelle preempted his questioning look. Smirking, she elicited a quiet gasp from him as she began teasing her nails up and down his powerful thighs, delightfully close to his thick, swelling cock. Lillian's been going on and on about how she can handle your whole cock inside her. She doesn't shut up. Emmy complained. Always boasting she's the only one who gives you the relief you need, the one you don't hold back with. You know she's just teasing you, don't you, Emmy? He smiled warmly at the completely uninhibited sprite. Yes. She admitted reluctantly. It's true though, isn't it? You can fit all the way inside her? Yes, but that doesn't. Now you can fit in mistress too. When I'm big you'll fit in me as well. What? Chris looked to Annabelle to translate Emmy's excited ranting. Annabelle giggled down at him, moving to stroke his now throbbing cock. The huge spear of manhood rose proudly above his defined stomach, already dripping slippery precum. His testes looked tight and full, she couldn't wait to milk them dry with the help of their little enchantment. She teased his flared crown gently with her fingertips before releasing him and flopping backwards onto the bed with a cheeky smile. Hmm. Why don't you come find out? She teased, raising her legs slowly open, beckoning him to her torrid, forest-capped womanhood. Yes. Yes. Emmy squeaked, tugging his finger with obvious enthusiasm. Chris growled playfully, their teasing sparking a heady passion for his delightful mates. He threw little Emmy onto Annabelle's soft tummy his massive body rising above them that he was going to waste no time fucking these little minxes into quivering, magic overload. Emmy unsprawled herself on Annabelle's garter belt, gasping with excitement and tugging to release the bow around her mistress' slim waist. It was a race against time to complete the little ceremony she'd imagined as her master slapped his enormous cock down onto Annabelle's gooey slit and ground into her. Un! Annabelle moaned lustily as her swollen clit thrummed under his heavy member. We wanted to, ah, to be like a dragoness for you. So we altered your spell. Emmy added, still tugging at the reluctant ribbon. Bartholomew raced beneath the sprite, all over Annabelle's stomach. Elated to have participated, he left a tingling warm trail across her skin. She felt Emmy triumph over the bow and released the ribbon to slither down onto the bedding. The sprite turned herself over onto her back, mimicking Annabelle's position, their heads were almost side by side. 
her hand snaked down to hold her swollen blue labia open, displaying her tiny, pink, glistening sex for the dragon. It might be hard to wait, master, but I need my favorite. I used a lot of magic helping change her. I get your first climax. As much as you can give me, then you can have mistress all night. Promise me? Chris still wasn't sure exactly what the stocking-clad temptresses were up to, but he had a strong suspicion. They looked so hot, so wanton, Imi laid out on Annabelle's stomach, both their pussies ripe and ready for him. Imi's greedy little bargain intrigued his dragon though. Even if her eyes were bigger than her womb could pay the check for. Are you sure you can handle that, Imi? He teased. He took his vein-modeled cock in hand and moved the tip upwards to Imi's comically small womanhood, nudging and teasing against her inflamed, throbbing sex. I don't want to see any magic go to waste, you're still so small. I'll use it all. Imi promised, hunching her shapely hips into him so that their sexes meshed in the promise of things to come, her tiny vagina spread over his cum slit. I need to grow big and strong. She's been very patient and well-behaved. Annabelle confirmed, running a finger over the sprite's supple, flexible tummy. You still owe her from that night at the club. She helped keep us safe. Yes, I agree. Okay, I promise. Oh, thank you, master. I promise I'll be a good girl for you and mistress. Chris sighed happily as Annabelle reached over Immy's stomach to help apply the sprite's sweet, almond-scented juice over his massive knob. The spreading warmth of the sprite's cream ensured he would be pumping both mates full of load after load without flagging. It also increased his sensitivity. He found he couldn't hold back when Immy's potentially addictive juices were in play. Annabelle loved to have his cock slathered in them before he entered her. Even now, he was already throbbing, eager to blow. A shot of slippery precum splattered Immy's stomach as she writhed against him. He reared backward and aligned himself, parting Annabelle's dew-covered labia with practiced caution. She liked to have a few moments with just his crown inside. He was so big, so thick that she still struggled with his initial penetration. They set to a tiny, teasing, rocking motion, his enormous crown stretching her inner lips thin as he popped in and out of her. Finally, his penis throbbing and coated with their combined lubricant, she cooed her approval. Her slender hands pulled him into her, playing gently over the powerful muscles of his lower back and shapely but dotty side, slipping slowly deeper into Annabelle's hot, snug channel. His first looked up at him with loving eyes, mouth gaping cutely as he hunched deeper and deeper with little thrusts. His enormous cock was welcomed home with thick, glistening, pussy butter. It streaked his girth white and shiny, easing the way to her molten core dot he was barely holding on. His sensitivity was through the roof thanks to the small blue woman who now writhed above his entombed phallus. The ecstatic sprite frigged herself joyously in anticipation and Annabelle helped with larger fingers in between coos and sighs of her own. God, you're so fucking big, but I love it. Annabelle shuddered suddenly, reaching a sharp climax on about two-thirds of his length. Come for me, D, my little white bride. He whispered harshly, struggling not to succumb himself. Come all over my big cock. Milk me for Emmy. Yes, mistress, please. Emmy cried, three small fingers buried in her steaming quim. Chris held still with Herculean effort, letting her body spasm around him. He pinned her white stocking thighs up to her sides and squeezed his eyes shut, begging not to come yet. He pushed a little deeper and felt her quavering cervix kiss his throbbing tip. He bumped slightly deeper, testing his suspicion. The ribbon. He groaned in astonished pleasure. She gave way before his mighty erection, her once-human body transformed into a dragoness's reproductive anatomy. They both cried out in pleasure, as his apple-like head stretched her pliant cervix. Like Claire and Petra before, she now had a ring of strong, sensitive, pink tissue dot he slipped into her dragon's womb in a rush, the final third of God-touched cock finding a stifling, tight home. Their eyes exchanged love and wonderment, his thick head tickling the back of her uterus. Cum was already rising, his groin tensing for a huge release. A dragon's roar of triumphant satisfaction wrenched from his lungs. How could he resist? This was Annabelle, but she felt like one of his dragonesses. This was exactly where he was supposed to plant his vital seed. Please, master. You promised. Emmy wailed, watching his huge body quiver, his hips hunch. He was gathering a deliciously huge pool of magic in his loins, but her enchantment had worked too well, he'd forgotten all about her. His first, huge spurt of sticky cum splattered point blank into Annabelle's uterine wall with astonishing force. Her whole body tensed in surprise, unsure about the unusual sensations being translated to her brain by this new part of her. 
Then, the sizzling magic in his spin raced up her nerves and set her body on fire. With a tortured groan, he pulled his massive length out of his fiancée's gripping womanhood and levered it down onto her belly. Annabelle was left shuddering and quaking as Emmy squealed, his cock firing another torrent up across their bodies. It grazed Annabelle's flushed cheek, leaving a tiny white streak behind, and crashed into the wooden headboard with a loud splat. A third rope shot straight onto Emmy's sculpted blue but as they jostled into position, his rampant head searching for her tiny opening. His pungent seed now clung to her sex, stocking, and pulled onto Annabelle's lacy garter and heaving tummy. Finally, Emmy hunched herself down directly onto his dilated slit and held on for dear life as his fourth hit the bullseye. She had half a moment to relax, imagining what it would be like when he finally fucked her, before his pearly, thick jism rushed up her channel with the force of a flash flood. Magic, the likes of which she wouldn't have imagined before meeting him, rushed into her like a river. She didn't have a pesky cervix to get in the way, so his virile, magic-laden semen rushed from her vagina straight into her unusual womb. An orgasm crashed down on her, breaking her consciousness into a thousand shards of satisfaction. She screamed, her sharp voice going hoarse in moments as he infused her soul with his magic and love. Over and over, a never-ending barrage of his potent, treasure-like seed. Only her greedy, hungry instinct let her hold on, wedging his bucking cock into her reluctant, slippery slit. Her pliant tummy began to expand, her womb full and stretching, attempting to hold as much sperm as it could to spawn a healthy clutch of spritelings. She hadn't made her hundreds of thousands of eggs yet, but that didn't matter. Iron devotion and determination let her hold relatively still, enduring his roaring magic and her own release as he erupted endlessly into her. Master! She whimpered reproachfully, trying not to squirm away from his gigantic, jetting penis. Good girl, Emmy. The dragon panted. Hold on, just a little more now. He watched through pleasure-slitted eyelids as Emmy's tummy swelled, his shaft and abdomen shuddering rhythmically. It wasn't all going inside the optimistic little sprite, she lay in a spreading white pool on Annabelle's skin. He watched her shudder, her lithe, stocking-clad calves wrapped around the ridge of his knob to help hold on. Her blue, soon-to-be three-foot body shook as she cried out in twin rapture and protest with each of his forceful pulses. It wasn't as satisfying as being inside a woman, and he couldn't wait to get back into Annabelle's womb, but he loved Emmy dearly and this was her favorite treat. Emmy told herself that this was the time, this time she would take all of him. Even as her elastic tissues began to protest the huge bulge of her cum-swollen womb, she battled to hold on hoping he was almost finished. Master came so much these days. Even with her growing size, she couldn't keep up. This time. She whimpered softly, even as Annabelle's warm hand cradled her enormous tummy and pulled her gently, insistently away from the dragon's fearsome, spitting monster. I'm sorry, my little sweetness. Mistress cooed in her ear even as Master's cock spat more scalding seed across their skin. You're going to hurt yourself. No. She protested weakly, rolling onto her side to cradle her swollen tummy. I need it all. Bartholomew will have the rest. We couldn't have done it without him. Annabelle whispered, dragging the reluctant sprite up to lie at her side, face to face. Thank you, Emmy. I can tell he loves our little present. Yes, I do. Chris leaned down to kiss them both, his unflagging cock dribbling its last across Annabelle's tummy. Already the little tattooed dragon was absorbing the magic-heavy cocktail. You are constantly keeping me on my toes, my kinky little princess. I love you. Him, I love you too, master, ahin. She sighed happily, her climax still ricocheting around inside her. I can't wait until I'm bigger. I look forward to it. Chris kissed his sprite again combining with Annabelle to pepper their diminutive lover with affection. Emmy, murmuring nonsense, began to doze off into overloaded la-la land, Chris and Annabelle's kisses focused on each other. There was a passion alive in both of them, eager and excited to test their new sexual limits. With the same thought, their eyes traveled down between their bodies. His still hard cock reached up above her belly button. I need you back in me. Annabelle kissed at his throat, her voice husky. I want to feel you going off in me. I thought you'd never ask. He chuckled, nibbling her chin. They grinned knowingly at each other, eager to resume their aborted lovemaking. He shuffled backwards to align their sexes point one long, slow thrust, several winded cries, and two explicatives later, he was back inside her womb enjoying something he never thought possible with her. Annabelle, Emmy and Bartholomew had done an excellent job modifying his original enchantment. 
She was plumbed almost exactly like a dragoness now and loved every second of his hugely deep penetration. With a Lillian-esque smile, she locked her cervix behind his crown, eliciting an approving grunt from her sweating, pumping dragon as he adjusted his longer strokes to short, slow jabs. Amianth watched from the sidelines, absently stroking her falsely pregnant belly. She collected errant strands of delicious seed from her blue, sweaty skin and relished their flavor with little moans. He was so magnificent, his tapered hips so sensual, rolling into mistress with such lewd, fluid motion. She could see his thick, glistening root between her mistress's thighs. It was moving her tummy with every thrust. What it must feel like. They were nearing their climax now. Mistress was yelping cutely with each slapping impact of his heavy balls to her butt. Master was breathing hard in exertion, one hand in her hair and bedraggled bridal veil, cradling her head as they kissed brokenly. The other mauled one of mistress's perfect butt cheeks, taking a greedy grip to fuck her with. I gave her a little of my stretchiness, you know. Amy spoke encouragingly, loving to watch her two lovers mate so recklessly. See if you can fill her up like me. Really? Are you ready, D? He panted happily, his fat cockhead rubbing sinfully against her spongy, dragon-like endometrium. Do you want me to fill you right up? Foo, uck yes, everything you've gg, got. She managed between the impacts, stuffed full, the wonderfully hot friction pampering her most sacred depths dot on the verge of climax. Her thighs were beginning to quiver violently. Every inch of his incredible manhood was wrapped up tight inside her, captured, ready to explode, exactly where it belonged. This was what it was to be a dragoness. Their mingled cry of passion woke the rest of the household. Far away in a high stone tower, the outpouring of magic as he claimed her womb left three elves reeling, their magical vision shorting out with white noise. The little inhabitants of the ether tittered excitedly, those that were mortal scampered forward, eager to catch a morsel of the mighty creature's seeping energy. Those that were rooted or plant-like basked happily in his radiance, frantically waving all sorts of fronds, leaves, and stalks to get the optimum alignment for collection. Annabelle recovered as he gingerly tried to tug his still hard cock back out of her clutching cervix. He had an odd, almost fearful look on his face as she cracked her eyes open and grinned lazily up at him. That was just, just great. She murmured brokenly, weak and twitching from pleasure and magic. Wait, she was still coming. No, not coming, just perfectly full and saturated with his bliss magic. God's deep. He paused his retreat, his huge body still heaving from the titanic, minute-long climax he just endured with her. It was like Lillian all over again, so intense. You didn't bite me? She teased, running her hands slowly up the bulging arms holding his weight off her. No. He moved forward to kiss her. As he did, she became aware of a strange tightness in her abdomen. But Amy wasn't lying, you can stretch. She looked down between her little breasts to see her usually flat belly bowed upwards slightly. It rose up like a rounded little hill between them a reservoir of his magic waiting to be absorbed. Bartholomew was busy having a grand mal seizure on its peak. It felt hot inside her, heavy. Her body was sluggish, reeling at the sheer quantity of magic. Huh, I guess she wasn't. Annabelle grunted, looking back up at him with a cute little skull. Just how much did you put in me? A lot, he admitted, attempting not to let a cocky grin escape the corners of his mouth. Enough to get a vampire pregnant. Good. She wrapped her arms around his neck, drawing his heavy physique back into her embrace. He settled onto her slim body dwarfing her completely. Those smooth, strong legs of hers locked around his hips even as her dragon cervix tightened around his enormous prick. Giddy up, stud. I want more. Those wicked stockings slid delightfully over his skin as she spurred him into action with little kicks and squeezes. He smiled, hunching his manhood deeper into her cum-filled womb. She had a dragoness's spirit too. Then again, that had been hers from the start, and perhaps he'd sensed it all along. Chris, wake up. Huh? He murmured sleepily, rolling away from Annabelle toward the soft touch on his shoulder. What is it, Michelle? I need to have that talk with you, she said quietly, mindful of waking the sleeping girl and the little sprite cradled to her breast. Damn, what time is it? He grumbled, rubbing his eyes and slowly sitting up in the darkness. About 4 a.m., sorry. I usually leave for the gym in an hour, and I didn't want to put it off any longer. Okay, let me get dressed and we'll go somewhere private. Michelle left the room and he got up, stretching and yawning. He stood for a moment, thinking about Rayla's warning and where they might go. He turned on the little wardrobe light and dressed warmly. Snow might have already fallen where he planned to go. 
He'd noticed last night that during his time in the hospital, the weather had turned. The nice part of fall was over, and the wind had grown the beginnings of its winter teeth. When he was ready, he turned out the light and returned to the bed to kiss Annabelle's warm, must hair. He leaned over and gave little Emmy a peck where she lay curled on his fiancé's chest. The sprite gave a tired murmur and batted him away sleepily. He smiled, remembering how he'd worn them both out last night. Their tummies were still a little engorged, their bodies working hard to catalyze his magic into their own. Michelle was waiting for him in the kitchen, drinking a glass of water and eating a banana. I don't know how you get up this early, you go to bed the latest out of any of us. Chris snatched up a banana for himself from the fruit bowl. I couldn't sleep, she admitted. It's been weighing on you that much? Why didn't you just talk to me? I don't know, procrastinating I guess. Well let's go then. He smiled at her. You'll feel better getting whatever it is off your chest, I promise. Where are we going? Couldn't we just talk here, or in the ether? Chris thought on that a moment. He didn't know what Michelle wanted to say but with the elves spying on him, he didn't want to take any chances. He had to wonder at the irony. When he'd first arrived here it had been Rayla spying on him. Perhaps she still was. There's somewhere I haven't been in a while that I want to check out. Grab a coat. Okay. Michelle's interest was piqued. She went to the rack by the door and collected her lined wet weather jacket. Ready? He asked, taking her hands in his own. Go. She nodded consent, breathing out and relaxing her body. She barely caught a glimpse of the ether before they were swept away into incorporeal nothingness. Time went on without them for a quarter of a second before they were reformed hundreds of miles away. Through the ether, she caught a tiny glimpse of the landscape they were about to enter before Chris dumped them unceremoniously back into real world. Michelle gasped, breathing in much colder air and looking around in concern at the rocky slopes rising steeply above them on either side. They were standing a few feet from a roaring steam on a large, flat-topped boulder. The sparse conifers she saw clinging between the boulder-strewn slopes had smatterings of white snow on their branches. Damn, it's freezing. Chris stated the obvious. I always forget what a difference altitude makes. W, where are we? Michelle's teeth gave an involuntary chatter as she hurried to get her coat on. A little section of Bridger Creek, a few miles west of the Wind River Reservation. Susan took me on a trip here one summer when I was right into finding gold. I love the place, but I never got a chance to come back. Wyoming, damn. I hope it was summer. Michelle rubbed her arms, trying to warm up. It was actually. He chuckled. Here, gather up some dead wood down by that stone outcrop. We'll make a little fire. They worked in silence for a few minutes, scrambling up and down the creek bed to collect washed-up sticks and anything that looked like it might burn. They piled it on a tiny little beach overlooking a large pool of icy water. When they had a respectable amount of wood, Chris used magic to encourage some of the drier pieces to light. They soon had a loudly crackling little blaze, eager for more of the sappy conifer fuel. Michelle was grateful for the physical work and the heat of the fire. She stood warming her chilled hands for a few minutes as he watched her. Michelle, come here, he said from his seat on a nearby lump of granite, his back to the outcrop. She shuffled reluctantly closer until he reached out and snatched her up, eliciting a cute little yelp as he sat her in his lap. There will both be warm in no time, he said as she fidgeted. Now, tell me what's bothering you. I, I don't know why I'm finding it so hard, she admitted, stilling her restlessness that it was true. His big body was giving off heat from behind whilst the fire warmed her front. Here she was, a grown woman, sitting in a nineteen-year-old's lap. She found it didn't bother her nearly as much as it should. This isn't like you at all. He chuckled. It can't be that bad. I think I finally realized where my loyalty truly belongs. She whispered, turning to look him right in his striking blue eyes. With you. Okay. He smiled. Thanks. You know it's not like you've been disloyal before now, as far as I can tell. No, you don't get it. Ever since we met, even under those circumstances, you've supported me. You saved my life, gave me sharp vision again, a home, friends, and you're a great partner for kicking bad guy ass. Even with all that, until last week, my ultimate loyalty was to the agency and the country. I watched Patrick Riker weasel his way out of kidnapping and the worst kind of medical experimentation. Until then, I believed in the system and the rightness of what I was being ordered to do. You risked everything to go to that place and stop them but when it came time for my people to do their part, they put me, put justice, aside for fear of upsetting some very rich people. 
I suddenly realized they didn't deserve my loyalty you did. Chris listened attentively, wondering at what a capable, devoted soldier the NSA had just lost. Thank you, Michelle. He wrapped his arms around her in a huge hug. I see now, this must have been difficult for someone like you to admit. It was. She sniffed, a disturbing amount of emotion welling up inside of her. You'll always be part of our family, whatever you want that role to be. He promised. You mean, only if you want to. He qualified, smiling down at her. You can stay my awesome friend from the NSA as long as you like. You'll always have me and the girls to come home to if you want, or not, whatever you prefer. Annabelle's cooking is worth sticking around for. She nudged him playfully. And only getting better. Chris agreed, giving her a final squeeze and releasing her. Okay, then. Michelle collected herself. The next part is that Lillian and I have been plotting ever since Mr. Riker fled the country. She called in some favors and had him tracked to a lovely little mansion on the island of Sardinia. In the next few days, the three of us are going over there to dish out some street justice. I like it. He agreed wholeheartedly. I can rampage and trample his house, scorch everything to the ground in true dragon fashion. I'm afraid not. It would be a little too conspicuous, and we are trying to fly under the radar on this one. It isn't exactly sanctioned. Sardinia, huh? It's too bad I haven't been there before. We'll have to take the jet. At least that will be fun. Michelle gave a mock sigh. His antics were infectious. Maybe. She teased. It might not be available. See that it is, henchwoman. He intoned in a deep and goofy voice, raising a finger as if to accentuate his point. Street justice is a dish best served stylishly. Okay, okay, you big dork. She laughed, getting off his warm lap and pulling him to his feet. Now take me home in style before I freeze out here. Just one second. He qualified, releasing his contained magic to flow out up and down the canyon. Last time I was here I did pretty well in gold dust. Haley's had me thinking over a problem and I'm positive dragon gold could be useful. I want to check if I can sense more. I wish I could do that. She huddled closer to the fire and watched his face. He had his eyes closed, apparently concentrating. The stream bed is filled with sparkling little flecks, pooling in calmer areas. Ah, uh, there's the load. It's small but the river is breaking it down quickly. Chris commentated as his dragon sense swept up the stream, seeing the precious metal like a fleck dust on the wind. He frowned. Something tugged at his senses from behind the exposed quartz vein, something much deeper in the hillside. Oh my, it's big. I knew I had a good feeling about this place years ago. Gold? Michelle asked enthusiastically, the warmth of the fire forgotten. Yeah. He opened his eyes and sadly bottled up his magic once more. It will have to stay there for now. It's deep in the hillside and I've got no way of getting in. Couldn't you? I don't know. Go full dragon and dig your way in there? Maybe I haven't really given it much thought. It will wait. No one's going to find it in the meantime. Damn, I was getting excited. Michelle complained. Will you settle for a quick trip back to somewhere warm? Perhaps a coffee? Absolutely. Lillian was waiting when they arrived back at the apartment. She efficiently herded them both down to the gym and put them through their paces. There were only two other beings in the gym that early, so there was plenty of room for everyone. Whilst Michelle was no match for the speed or power of either being, she enjoyed watching how they sparred and was picking up a few tricks of her own. It was breathtaking to see them fight. When she glanced over from her treadmill, they looked so savage and intent on ripping each other limb from limb. Even though she knew they were both resilient, she worried someone might get a fracture or worse, a broken neck. When Chris went to work out on the over-engineered resistance machines, Lillian called Michelle to the mats and they practiced for a while at a human level. Whilst the NSA trained agent would be considered accomplished in hand-to-hand -hand combat by most, having studied karate for many years, she had a lot to learn from the half-millennia-old vampire. She was dripping sweat when Lillian finally went to join Chris in the showers. Chris was supposed to be having a day off, so he decided to see if Haley would like to go out to breakfast. He was hooked on her enthusiasm to master the power of the sun with his magic. After some extensive reading of his own, he was finally grasping what a huge technological grail it was and what it would mean if he could help solve it. Haley had been right too, with sufficient clean power generation, so much could be done to set things right in the world. It was an infectious idea, in a satisfying way. Mindful of his other responsibilities, he mentally scheduled time later in the day to help at the building site and perhaps get some initial firearm training with Kat or Lisa.
He didn't imagine himself carrying a gun in the field with Michelle and her angels, but it was always best to be competent if the need arose. It might also be fun. Haley was very pleased to be asked out to breakfast. They went to the beautiful little being-owned cafe Annabelle had discovered but sat inside in the warmth. Once they had their heads together, muttering, scheming, and planning over their meals, they barely noticed their ever-present tail, Lisa, sipping her own hot chocolate in the corner. That's why I think Dragon Gold will be perfect to surround the reaction and harvest energy if we can make it work, Chris said before scooping up a cheesy mouthful of what had to be a six-egg omelet with obvious relish. Gold is already an excellent conductor and the neutrons will knock off a ton of electrons which is basically a way to harvest all that otherwise lost energy. We could even use carbon to slow them down. Who knows what I can make Dragon Gold do once we start experimenting. I have such an intimate connection with it. That's all well and good but first we need to see if your power over the ether will allow you to make a viable containment field. If we can't get that working, we'll be forced to use magnetism, the conventional way. That might complicate things to the point where we are forced to give up. How do we test that? He frowned. If they had to revert to making a tokamak, they may as well wait until after the revelation and offer magical help to one of the several fusion projects already underway around the world. That part should be fairly easy. She said after a few moments to finish chewing the honey-coated, nutty house granola she'd ordered. I think we could prove the concept using any sort of matter relatively safely. The muon capture test will be trickier. Their lifespan is only 2.2 microseconds without relativistic effects. Are any of these tests going to be dangerous? He asked. I don't want us turning into comic book mutants because we got an unexpected dose of radiation. I haven't had to test my healing abilities that way. Hmm. She mused, tapping her lip thoughtfully with her spoon. Not to begin with, I think. If we got to the stage of actually having a reactor up and running, let's just say we wouldn't want to be standing next to it until we'd had it tested for a good long a while. Is it legal? He wondered. I can't imagine they want just anyone setting up experimental reactors in their backyard. Maybe we should find a remote place to work or approach a laboratory to help us. I'm not entirely sure. It's not fission and we're not making any weapons-grade material. You might be right though, laboratory equipment and a few experienced scientists on our team would really help. My boundless enthusiasm only gets us so far. It's your incredible brain that's going to get us far. Chris smiled. Perhaps I should ask Michelle if she could set something up. There must be some high-level people at NASA who have heard about the revelation by now. Don't tease me, Chris. You know that would be awesome. Her eyes twinkled excitedly. I'm not teasing. Let's finish up here and do some proof-of-concept work this morning. If it's promising, we can think about what the next step is. I can't tell you how sexy it is that you're so enthusiastic about my crazy ideas. She beamed up at him and squeezed his hand fondly across the table. Chris returned her gesture, gathering her much smaller hands in his own. She was so adorable, so smart. The admiration in her blue eyes made his heart thump loudly, his lust quicken. Such a bust cute, goofy little woman. Their minds on the same track, they leaned across the table to share a tender kiss. Their lips were soft and tentative, together for only a few moments until Haley pulled back shyly. She blushed furiously and glanced around the cafe, mortified to see a few beings watching avidly. It's okay. He brushed her cheek with a finger and raised her chin, so their eyes met again. I'm proud to be seen with you. But, no buts. Let's get the check and go fuck with subatomic particles. Chris decided Jethry's farm was as good a place as any to experiment with a little magic. It killed two birds with one stone because he had promised to move a pile of hay into the barn. He knew if he didn't get it out of the way soon, it would drop off his radar. Lisa insisted that she come along to supervise, intent to experience the crazy bodiless sensation Cat hadn't shut up about for an entire day after that dragon donut run. She and Haley were left staring around in wonder and patting body parts to make sure everything was there while Chris got stuck into the heavy work straight away. Jethry's old truck was out, so Chris assumed he was running errands in town or something. He instructed the women to make themselves at home in his and Susan's old, cold house while he finished working. They entertained themselves being warm-heartedly nosy. Haley especially was fascinated by the room he'd grow up in, half stripped of belongings. She sat for a while on the edge of his old bed, looking at the few faded, almost childish posters hanging on the wall, a roaring dinosaur, a proud lion, a space shuttle launch. There was a shelf in one corner, full of little trinkets and oddities he'd obviously collected over the years, so carefully laid out. 
The bedding was fresh, but the room still smelled faintly of his human scent. It was strange, when she emerged she felt she knew him so much better. With the stamina he'd gained hauling rock and the trick of dragging things into the ether for transport, it took him just less than an hour to have the hay squared away. He was at that awkward stage of sweatiness where he didn't know whether to have a shower or not but decided against it. The three of them stole some extra warm clothes from the hallway closet and trudged out to the old quarry field, past cows grazing happily on the last of the tall, dry summer's grass. I like this place. Haley chirped at his side. There's no smell of sick animals like you get on some farms. Jethry really cares for his livestock. Chris explained proudly. Calls the cows his girls and everything. It's a small farm so he can devote his attention to every little detail, gets top dollar for his milk from a local cheese producer because it's so good. Didn't you used to help him? What's he going to do now you're not here? She asked. I don't know. He answered honestly. I worry about it sometimes. He needs someone to help him with the big chores and it's got to be lonely for him out here. They took the steep, only slightly treacherous track into the bottom of the old gravel quarry. Decades ago, someone had needed a lot of stone for road work, leaving a large pit behind. Chris thought it would be perfect for their needs, out of the way and impossible to see into if you weren't standing on the lip. They navigated a few muddy puddles at the bottom, Haley looking around and nodding her approval. Okay. She set her shoulders. Take me into the ether. All right. He took her hand. Lisa, we're going to vanish for a little while, but I promise we're not going anywhere. No. She started authoritatively. I mean, could I come along, please? Chris cocked his head slightly to think. He couldn't see why not. He beckoned her over and extended his protection around them both. They slipped quietly into the ether, leaving the old quarry deserted once more. Stay close. He warned Lisa as he dropped their hands. She just gawked at his purple radiance for a few seconds and then scurried after them as they walked a few paces away in the dim, barren landscape. To her, it seemed like a horror realm from a video game or an alien planet, dark, desolate, vision only extending to a few dozen meters around the glowing dragon. I wonder what makes all these shadow presences. Haley mused, squatting to examine the ghostly, gray outline of a larger rock. She tentatively pushed her finger against it. It was as solid as its real-world counterpart. What's more of a mystery to me is how we can do this. He kneeled beside her in a ghostly puddle and ran his hand through the rock with mild resistance, like pushing his fingers through jelly. How? Haley asked. The ether was hardly covered in my training. So far as I can tell, it's about what you think. My magic is based on intentions. I want my hand to pass through, so it does. There's a small energy cost, but nothing like maintaining the two of you here. Even that is hardly a drain. Hmm. So you're manipulating a shadow of a rock, but the shadow is based exactly on the real rock, as far as we can tell. Her brow wrinkled in concentration. But a rock is made of matter, atoms like anything else. But the shadow is malleable, could it? No. What? He asked excitedly. Okay, remember our talk about electrons? What if we're dealing with quantum mechanics here? There has to be something from the norm that has a presence of sorts here in the ether. What if they spend a tiny fraction of time here in the ether? Texts always talk about the probability of finding an electron in a given atom's orbital. Perhaps matter has a tiny chance of being here in the ether? That's crazy. He murmured, running his hand back through the stone experimentally. Could it be that simple? Simple? She laughed. There's nothing simple about it. And it's just a theory. As far as I'm concerned, Einstein would roll in his grave if he could hear us now. Something has the ether presence though. It must be something at a basic level. There's no reason a rock would have a presence, and its atoms would not. We're breathing ether air atoms, aren't we? How do we test it? I'm not sure. Could you please try to make an area of ether around the rock that nothing can leave but anything is allowed to go into? A barrier or sphere of some kind? I don't know, but let's try. Chris rubbed his hands together for a moment before extending them toward the rock, closing his eyes and settling his mind. He tried to picture a perfect little globe encompassing it, nothing allowed out, everything in. He pictured his criteria down to atoms and electrons, even light. That should make it easier to test if it was working. He let his magic build a little, not sure how costly such a spell might be. Is this safe? Lisa asked from behind them at the most inopportune moment. Ship, Haley whispered. He's concentrating. When his mind was settled once more, he let the gathered energy flow through his body.
a flash of vivid purple arced across the small space between his hands and the rock. Chris yelped in surprise and drew back, his extremities tingling. Before them, a purple orb pulsed ominously. Oh my god, it worked! Haley murmured quietly before excitement bubbled forth. Let's go back to the norm and see if the effect carried over. Chris just knelt in his little puddle, staring at the pulsing thing. It looked like some sort of egg about to hatch into god knows what. Every now and then something swirled or moved subtly on its perfect surface that IT was about the size that would have fit comfortably in his hand, but picking it up would have been the worst of ideas. He already knew the effect had carried over into the norm, this was his magic. He had created this, and he now shared an intimate knowledge of exactly what it was doing, intentional or otherwise. We can have a quick look. He spoke, rising suddenly and pulling Haley away from it a little more roughly than necessary. Then we have to get away from it and turn it off. It isn't safe, is it? Lisa picked up the concern in his voice and followed them away from the orb. Most definitely not. We just started. What's wrong? Can't we do some tests first? Haley asked, a tiny hint of petulance in her voice. If they could get this working, it would be huge. Can you move it up and down at least? Make it expand or contract. There's no time, Haley. Chris unceremoniously dumped them back into the norm with a quiet pop and pointed at the completely black orb hovering just above the ground. I told the spell to let everything in and nothing out. No light, and most importantly, no air is escaping or bouncing off once it touches the surface that it's gaining pressure at a staggering rate. It's a bomb. Lisa turned to him disapprovingly. I'm revoking your license for crazy experiments, Buster. Hey, we're in an old, abandoned quarry. That counts as responsibility in my books. He rebutted. Fair enough. The short brunette admitted. Let's get out of here. By the sounds of it, we'd be better to stop it sooner rather than later. Please, Chris. Haley protested. Just see if you can lift it magically or if it's stuck. It's not sinking into the ground, devouring rock, so I think you might be unconsciously holding it in place. Okay, but that's it. We're leaving right after that. Chris said that he reached out roughly with his magic, easily finding the orb even though he wasn't in the ether. Perhaps Haley would have felt more concern if she were connected to it, feeling hundreds of billions of molecules pass through the barrier every second. He was thankful that he wasn't feeling a drain on his magic to contain all that extra pressure but that was a concerning mystery in itself. The ball rose eagerly to his mental command, taking only a tiny sip of his energy. It hovered, unnervingly still, at about eye level. That answered that question, now it was time to leave. Take my hand! He commanded both women, pulling them into the ether and quickly jumping back to the farmyard. Is this far enough away? He asked Lisa, a little breathless from a combination of worry, exertion, and excitement. What? How am I supposed to know? Lisa asked incredulously as they all turned to face the direction of the looming disaster. FBI training? He asked hopefully. Not for this. She laughed. Damn, let me think. We're half a kilometer away, or thereabouts, and it was inside the quarry. I think we'll be fine so long as you haven't somehow made a baby nuke. Let's hope not. If it looks bad, I'll pull us away. Chris squeezed their hands reassuringly, and told the pulsing orb to cease existing. A white flash rose into the sky, followed closely by a sharp crack. A dull, deep roar followed closely behind felt in every cavity and soft flesh in their bodies. As they recovered, brown dust and chunks of rock spewed up into the air like some miniature volcanic eruption. Even from that distance, Chris could see rocks beginning to rain down in the surrounding pasture. I and the few seconds of silent awe that followed, the wind carried a startled, plaintive mooing to their ears. Chris was off like a lightning bolt, sprinting back toward the quarry. All thought of his ability to phase vanished, his mind consumed with horrible imaginations of their poor cows in agony, mutilated by a storm of falling boulders. Haley and Lisa called out to him, but he didn't turn back. When they caught up, they found him kneeling next to a cow on her side. The beast had calmed under his gentle touch, and he was dripping mouthfuls of his healing saliva into a nasty gash that ran down the side of her left rear leg. Lisa blanched at the odd sight, but on closer inspection, the wound was already beginning to heal over. I'm so sorry. Haley rushed forward and hovered over his shoulder. Will she be okay? She's fine, mostly startled and scared. He reassured her, patting the cow's flank at the same time. It's not your fault, Haley. They spent about ten minutes caring for the injured cow and checking the rest of the startled herd over for injury. It was only luck that had prevented further such incidents. Several fist-sized, 
and larger chunks of jagged rock could be seen scattered around the field. Holy shit, can all of you do crazy shit like that? Lisa wondered as they peered cautiously over the edge of the quarry. No, not even close. Haley reassured. Our dragon is definitely a special case. Magical explosions or fireballs, or even electricity isn't that uncommon in fights. This was technically a conventional explosion, just a lot of gas released all at once, magic only enabled it. That orb was only going for what? A minute and a half? Two? Chris' eyes were wide with awe, looking down at the shallow crater and the strewn, cracked rocks littered everywhere. What would have happened if it had gone on for an hour? I'm just thankful you realized what was happening so quickly. Haley careened into his side for a hug. I shouldn't have asked you to do it, and I shouldn't have made you play around with it after you knew it was dangerous. I'm really sorry, Chris, we can call this whole thing off. Don't be ridiculous. He gathered her up and squeezed her tight little body as they stood on the edge of the blasted old quarry. This was an amazing success, and you've opened my eyes to something I hadn't even conceived of before. My magic can manipulate physics in deliberate, controlled ways. It's dangerous, but it's awesome. That orb had some serious potential for containing fusion plasma. Haley, you were right. What about the cows? The rocks everywhere in the field? She asked. Won't you be in trouble? Well, Jethry might try to make a pair of dragon skin shoes out of me. He admitted. But I did stack that hay in the barn, so I could argue that it almost makes us even. We probably will be in trouble, actually. Lisa cut in. We'd better get back to Denver and smooth things over. An explosion that big, someone is bound to have reported it. I can tell the local authorities it was a training exercise or something. Wasn't it? Chris grinned cheekily, holding out his hand for her. This new, frightening magic consumed Chris for the rest of the week. To say he was distracted would be a gross understatement. After his self-study of physics and chemistry, the gravity of what he'd done was not lost on him. It kept him up at night. He kept up with developments in the construction of his house and helped sporadically, but his heart wasn't there. His mind was back in the old quarry, trying different variations, imagining outcomes, dreaming possibilities. Haley's little suggestion had led him to a strange, quantum leap of magical capability. Michelle was exasperated but recognized his need to explore his magic. She gave him a reprieve from his limited duties for three days and a warning to have his head in the game when he got back. She didn't fully understand what he'd done but took his word when he said it was incredibly important. The image of that perfectly black orb haunted his sleep, tempering his rampant desire for experimentation. It seemed evil, dangerous, especially when he thought of its ether twin writhing fitfully with contained matter. In his mind's eye it seemed malignant, eager to explode to freedom. He knew he had to be careful. A fuck-up or misunderstanding with that sort of tool could end in disaster on a worldwide scale. His solace was that he'd never heard of such a magic before. If he was the only one to discover such a thing, he wouldn't have to face it. No one was linked to the ether like he was. I in a distracted blur, he mumbled his way through the promised interview. A slightly portly middle-aged man seemed very gracious and impressed with him. He wasn't prodded for specifics he couldn't give as the detectives had done. All he wanted to do was phase jump up to a secluded hollow he knew of in the deep, cold forest of Maine and start his work. He barely remembered the interview afterward, but Lillian assured him he didn't screw it up too much. Michelle was happy, he came across as genuine, uncomfortable with fame, and humble. The piece sparked a little renewed interest, but Chris' edited version of events stilled the wild speculation. That had been the plan. The experiments started cautiously. Vigilant of pesky, spying elves, he jumped to remote locations remembered from his childhood. It drew his attention to his need to travel widely. His teleportation was so far limited to places he could envision accurately. He hadn't gathered the courage to attempt it from a photograph yet, but the idea was very tempting. Safety measures were the first to be tested. The first order of business was to limit the rate of movement across the ether barrier. So far, it worked on everything he could think to safely test. It was daunting but once he started tweaking the variables, a world of possibilities opened in his mind like a sun-warmed flower. Now he could specify what crossed into the orb and how much of it. For his standard tests, he imagined an orb the size of a tennis ball. There were so many options but he started with light. It seemed the least dangerous thing to experiment with. All light in, nothing else in or out was his first attempt. Again, he was confronted with that pitch-black orb. It awoke an instinctual fear in his gut, but he faced it, mastering himself. 
Turns out it was harmless enough when you didn't let anything else in. He got a sense of a vast number of incredibly fast little sparks bouncing around inside. There were so many of them after just a few seconds he shut off the intake. What happened when you concentrated and contained light? He didn't know and didn't want to find out the hard way. Instead of letting them all go at once, he tried setting a condition on their exit. If it worked, only every hundredth photon to collide with the interior of the orb would get out. The result was a flash so intense he was near blind for several moments. His mistake was speed. Photons were quick little buggers. At one in every hundred exiting, they were all out in much less than a second. He tried again, and again. At one photon escaping of every 1010 he had a reasonable glow, a powerful flashlight that dimmed slowly over about a minute. That was enough for one day. Amelia Mayer was waiting outside his door when he got home. Apparently, Lillian had barred her from the apartment when she knocked looking for Chris. He struggled not to chuckle at the thought of the no-doubt irate vampire he'd have to deal with that night. As usual, the doctor was there to pester him for a sample of his blood. Her work was stalled without further things to test. In her eyes, he recognized the same drive to discover and experiment, the same frustration at being held back. So, he gave in. For better or worse, the next day he met her to draw a few small vials of blood. He wasn't silly about it. That blood was probably worth a fortune on the black market, certainly enough to get you killed by a connoisseur vampire. He drew up a detailed, magically binding contract, and they each placed a bloody fingerprint on it before she was even allowed to unpack her vials. Chris owned his blood, all experiments, all results, products, profits, rights, everything. He could revoke her access at any time. Amelia was simply borrowing and had to receive his express permission to do just about anything new with it. She was also under a strict confidentiality agreement, mostly for her own safety. The doctor's eyes seemed to gleam with greed as she eagerly pricked her finger and placed it on the imbued parchment. Even the harsh, magically enforced penalties didn't seem to bother the older woman. No matter, he had a brood to get back to, tomorrow's experiments to think about. Next, he played with the shape of the ether pocket. A cube, cylinder, triangle, he could make just about any shape instead of a sphere. They all required more energy to form but the shapes helped his mind envision areas of differential permeability when he tried that next. The true power of the ability began to unfold then that he could filter oxygen, or anything else out of the air with ease. Pressure and temperature on the inside became a danger when the orb became crowded, but he soon realized he could set limits or guidelines on these variables for a proportionally increased energy cost.it was incredible that he heated an orb until it flashed burned a pinecone in pure oxygen, holding all the heat generated captive, when released all at once through a tiny aperture in the orb. It melted a small section of a granite boulder dot he could simply collect air and, at will, fire off high pressure. Bursts with devastating close-range force, making the orbs completely permeable to light in both directions, made their contents visible in the norm with only a slight distortion, like looking through a prism. In the ether, that unnerving purple writhing was always there. Moving the orb was simple. It followed his will remarkably readily but raised some other problems. What if someone tried to touch one? If the conditions were safe, nothing should happen. If they were wrong, well, plants didn't fare too well, and he imagined humans would be the same only more screaming that he vowed to stay away from extreme pressure, high-temperature experiments for the moment. At least until he could find a safer place to play. Fusion was off the table for now but the more he thought about it, the more possible it seemed. Haley came along sometimes to watch. It was difficult for her because she didn't share his intimate knowledge of what was happening inside the orbs, but her outsider's viewpoint was vital. She was the one who noticed that the orb conformed with Chris' ideas of abstract concepts. For example, if Chris told the orb to let that rock in, it went in. He didn't have to specify the collection of atoms making up the rock. Therefore, could a person enter the orb? That led to experiments with living objects. In general, they were just fine inside an orb, if the conditions for their survival were met, and if they weren't chopped in half by the orb boundary during a permeability change as he liked to call them. A large gray squirrel did not appreciate their attention but emerged unscathed from the orb after a brief flight around the wintry, leafless treetops. He tooted and chattered his impotent furry, his expressive tail telling them exactly what he thought of their experiments. Haley also introduced him to the idea of incorporating math, formula, and measurement into the orbs. He could tell an orb to automatically expand or contract, disband, become permeable or just about anything else in response to predetermined instructions. 
If he wanted a pinecone to burn at a specific temperature, he could tell the orb to automatically contract if it was too cool, expand if too hot, or vary the permeability of oxygen to suit. Haley was very excited about these capabilities when it came to fusion, but he was only scratching the surface. It was hard to picture all the conditions, the logic instructions, as he formed the sphere. She practically jumped up and down in excitement as he magically heated a piece of argentite he'd found until it disintegrated into its constituent atoms, the sphere automatically expanding to maintain a pressure no greater than two atmospheres that it was easy when he shrunk the orb, expelling all atoms except silver in a sulfurous cloud. It contracted down until he was met with the resistance of solid matter. Tempted to push further and see what happened, he stopped himself, dispelling the magic gradually. When he handed her a perfect inch-wide ball bearing of silver, she looked at him in awe that he had to agree, it was awesome. Worried that his new ability might have something to do with his unusual heritage, he dragged a certain reluctant drow out of her compound to accompany him. He jumped them up to the lake in Alaska where he'd first transformed into a dragon. She didn't understand his explanation until he showed her. Starting with an orb the size of a volleyball, he dragged it roughly through the down trunk of a windblown conifer. In the dusky light of evening, the large trunk cracked and disintegrated loudly, falling to dust and small chips. It's set to collect carbon, nothing else. He explained to her puzzled look. All I see with my senses is a sphere of powerful ether presence she said as he swirled the orb artfully above their heads, heating and contracting. I don't understand how you could possibly collect a single atom, nor why you would wish to collect carbon. Is that so? He asked smugly, sensing that under such exact conditions, the atoms were rapidly taking on a dense, highly ordered structure. A few more minutes to cool slowly and he placed a fist-sized uncut diamond in her slightly trembling hand. He knew the quality was so perfect it would be considered a fake, technically it was a fake. Still, it was a queenly gift. Dragon, whatever you have discovered is truly a wonderful and terrifying ability. I'm only just getting started, Rayla. Have you ever heard of such an ability, to shape the ether so? No. The look in her silvery eyes was respectful, even fearful these days when she looked at him. Never in all my years. Here, take your diamond. He smiled down at her, so beautiful, natural, in the forest surrounding. He realized he'd never seen her outside of a building before. Perhaps she didn't like being above ground. He meant the diamond as a gift and despite himself, generosity got the better of him again. He plucked the heavy diamond from her hand with a wink and vanished into the ether. From all around the gray landscape he pulled, gathering magic, forcing it directly down into the diamond. It wasn't nearly as efficient or enjoyable as joining with one of his brood, but it worked. As the energy of the ether rushed to join his effort, flooding into the mostly opaque gemstone, he watched the elf look around in confusion and frustration. Perhaps she thought her ride home had just bailed that a few minutes later, the scowling elf sitting haughtily on the remnants of the log, he merged back in beside her. Here, he said, plopping the now faintly purple gem in her lap before she could voice her bottled anger. I thought a diamond that big would pretty much seal the deal. Turns out with elves you have to fill them with magic, too. What do you want in return? Her white eyebrows scrunched together, long ears drooping. Elfin's suspicion was deeply ingrained. It's a gift, Rayla. You know, something given freely. He chuckled, shaking his head and gesturing at their surroundings. We're trying to trust each other, aren't we? I'm here, telling you about all this. A gift. She muttered, looking down at the diamond and the incredible wealth of magic he'd stuffed into such a perfect stone. Her ears happily perked up, but she looked away from him abruptly. Rayla, what's the matter? he asked, squatting in front of her. He was astonished to see glistening tears on the ancient woman's cheeks. It was awkward, his instinctive reaction to reach for and comfort her was wrong. She was not one of his brood and would not appreciate being touched. If it is truly a gift. She sniffed and wiped delicately at her tears with the back of ebony hands. Never mind, it has been a long time since I received such without thought of recompense. I will cherish it forever. Well, that's sad. You need to make more friends. He offered in an attempt to lighten her mood. Angry elf was much better than sad elf. You're not supposed to cherish it by the way, you're supposed to use it. But, but it's so much magic, surely there's something I must do, stop. He said more firmly, in his dragon's tone this time. It is a gift, elf. If you don't want it, say so plainly. If you must justify it, do so. I did not seek anything from you except trust and friendship. She stiffened, 
her posture becoming regal once more, even with the diamond clutch to her breast. Thank you, dragon. I will use it wisely. No, you should spend it frivolously. The dragon spoke back. I think you need a bit more fun in your life. It came as a surprise then when Lillian tracked him down one evening as he played with his magic dot he was sitting in an old deck chair on the warehouse floor above his new home. A tiny, glowing ether orb flitting around his head as he pondered how far he should exploit his new powers. The sound of her heels alerted him to someone's presence, he assumed it was Susan or possibly Annabelle. The vampire very seldom wore such impractical shoes. You're brooding like an evil wizard again, my love. She spoke as she approached. If I didn't know better I'd think there was trouble on the home front. No. He turned to look at her. I'm trying to. Oh, Lillian, you're so beautiful. She was a vision. Her voluptuous, hourglass figure was on full display in a rather unconventional outfit. The vampire's penchant for leather was in full swing, displaying her undeniable feminine allure tinge with a martial theme. Her dress was made completely of dark, soft leather. On top, it was very nearly a bikini, straining to contain her magnificent pale breasts. The edge of the cups and shoulder straps were stitched through with gold in an elaborate, swirling pattern. It accentuated her sinful curves and the expanse of creamy cleavage on display perfectly. At her pinched waist, the cups merged into a figure-hugging, ornamented belt which flared out over her wide hips. Finally, it transformed into a Roman-style short skirt of thin, gold-studded straps. The leather leaves of her skirt rattled softly together as she stalked, exposing a lot of thick, velvety thigh. Finally, his eyes met her feet, wrapped in matching high-heeled sandals, the straps of which wound up around her firm calves. Still the most striking aspect of her attire was the teardrop-shaped window over her soft tummy, glorifying her pregnancy to anyone who saw her. She even wore a tiny jewel, a carved purple dragon, attached by a golden chain to her exposed belly button. Lillian was a sight to behold, made up, hair pinned in an elaborate braid. She looked fierce and devastatingly beautiful. Over everything she wore an almost ceremonial dark green cloak. Open at the front, it looked like it was being held off the dusty floor by an invisible barrier, probably her telekinesis. White fur lined its edges, more for decoration than for any protection from the cold, but it completed the martial look with aplomb. All she needed was a sword at her hip and a spear in her hand. Chris knew she needed no such weapons to be deadly. He stood quickly to greet her, letting the orb burn itself out with a few seconds of increased bright illumination. She curtsied for him, something he'd never imagined her doing, even if her wicked grin was in full force. My Amazon goddess. He breathed, eyes devouring her. Young one. She moved closer so their bodies touched, her hands on his chest. You say the most delightful things to melt my old heart. They kissed, tender and with longing, but not for nearly long enough. It is time, Chris. She looked up at him seriously as she separated them. Rayla is already entertaining the delegates of the Vampire Council. Right now? Already? He protested. Yes. She laughed. I warned you several times, but you've been so preoccupied with your new magic lately. Later tonight, we'll leave to take care of that unfinished business with you-know-who. Don't worry, Michelle and I have organized everything. There's a new tuxedo waiting for you at the apartment. All you have to do for now is get changed and wear me proudly on your arm. Lillian, you are amazing, smart, deadly, beautiful beyond words, go on. She simpered. And I love you. He stated boldly. I'm sorry, my mind has been on other things. Oh, my sweet dragon. The ancient vampire looked up at him searchingly before nuzzling her face into his neck. I love you too. Whatever happens tonight, know that I do love you and our child. He was about to ask what might happen tonight, but her fangs pricked his skin gently, a tiny little taste to cement their admission of love. He didn't want to ruin the moment, so he held her until she kissed and licked the minute womb closed. Let's go. He fidgeted in his black, tight-fitting tuxedo as they walked through the almost deserted corridors of the compound. Their destination was a seldom-used banquet hall, around one-third the size of the great hall Rayla presided over for court. Those few beings who were around at this time of night stared avidly at the couple as they glided past. Their size, beauty, and air of competence was imposing yet eye-catching at the same time. Stop that. The vampire scolded gently. I do love a man in a fine tuxedo, but they have to wear it well. Try to act like that spy in those silly movies you like. Now, he knows how to wear a tux. Barrist. Chris Barrist. He smiled. I'll take my vampire shaken, not stirred. Huh. 
she grunted. You can take me however you damn well please after we get through this. What's wrong? It was supposed to be a quiet little gathering of vampires and a few relevant parties such as yourself and Rayla, but word got around and others have invited themselves, namely the day elves. She explained. A few of the higher-ranking local beings too. House Lefade, I suppose? Yes, amongst two others. Damn, I've never met one of them but they're already on my nerves. They rounded a final corner in the subterranean castle. Before them, the grand doors to the banquet hall stood guarded by two of Rayla's security team. Chris was surprised to recognize the dark-haired vampire who'd attacked him on his first day here in Denver. Amanda. Lillian acknowledged smugly as the door swung inward. Chris gave the young vampire a tentative smile, not wishing to appear either too friendly or arrogant for ignoring her. The chorus of many voices quieted as they entered. Around the room, groups of beings stilled their conversation to look towards the door, the impossibly pregnant vampire, and her powerful dragon mate. Fine canapes paused on the way to mouths as they were openly stared at. It made Chris uncomfortable but most of all, it reawakened his hunger. Unfortunately for him, the delicious morsels floating magically around the room on bronze trays were saved his remorseless predation by their hostess. Rayla quickly strode over to them, taking control before anyone too ambitious or solicitous ran afoul of the pair. Aramir Lefade, representative of the Synod was here with his entourage. Of all the people who could have shown up, only the elf's brother would have been worse. Come with me, please, she said formally after Chris and Lillian each gave her a small B.O.W.I. and what might have appeared an impropriety. She took Chris' other hand and led them towards a few figures sitting around a small table near the back of the room. The familiarity did not go unnoticed. Several groups broke into hushed whispering, the speculation becoming bolder and louder as they passed. This is a disaster waiting to happen. Rayla spoke to Chris through their skin contact. The vampires are offended, not with either of us, of course. This was supposed to be private, but it's obvious now that the elves have used what they've seen in the eye to disrupt this meeting. I don't know what they have planned, but tread carefully, please, dragon. Don't I always? He teased. No, you don't. If you did then. Oh, an attempt at humor. Very well. Heed my warning, though, be vigilant. The council's guards are everywhere, and the elves have competent fighters amongst them. That was all they had time for as the table was fast approaching, the cloaked figures were rising. Thank you for the warning, Rayla. Three of the seven elder vampires had traveled to see them. It was a high honor indeed. Chris recognized Vladimir Sokolov who held the synod seat for all vampire kinds. The other two, a short man with long brown hair and an elderly African woman, he didn't recognize. Lillian curtsied respectfully to the leaders of her race. My lords, my lady, may I introduce my mate, Christopher Barrist, class one dragon. Chris tried to bow solemnly but was interrupted by the tingle of magic surrounding their little corner of the busy room. Let us dispense with formalities. Vladimir spoke slowly in a gentle but heavy European accent. I have sealed us away from prying eyes or ears for the moment. No doubt we will find some contrivance or other interrupting us in short order so let us get to the point. Lillian, daughter of my essence, we came here to discuss the monumental conception of your child. These are Asha and Matthias, counsel for Africa and Antarctica respectively. Antarctica? Chris couldn't help himself, even if his interruption was a little rude. Thankfully it seemed to be some sort of an inside joke because all the vampires smiled. Indeed, Matthias spoke in a rich tenor. A council chair I took by accident whilst fleeing my homeland, Chile. No one has been bothered to challenge me for it yet, I think I am the only vampire on the continent. My subjects are penguins, seals, and seabirds. They care not for my rule. Well, it's an honor to meet you all. Chris tried to recover. The honor is ours, Devine. The old dark-skinned woman spoke hoarsely. I did not think it possible, but you have their scent, so, enticing. So, it is true. Vladimir's voice was full of excitement now. I suspected, but it is so. Asha confirmed. I do not remember that far back, but my beast knows the smell intimately. It is all I can do to not leap on him. Lillian shifted uncomfortably, pulling her mate closer. Relax, young one. The stooped old woman continued. I would hardly attack one such as he, especially as he has crossed his line with ours. This is a wonderful thing for our kind. What do you mean? Lillian looked questioningly at her elders. They think I'm an old god, Lillian. Chris spoke. Rayla's theory agrees to some extent, she says I've been influenced by one somehow. 
It all revolves around that mysterious encounter I had months ago with the psychic entity. You've spoken with them? Vladimir almost choked on his eagerness. What news of the war? Is it over? No, not spoken. It was a very strange and one-sided mental communication. There was no mention of any war. And that's how you gave me a child. Lillian stared over their heads, puzzle pieces fitting into place. Your other heritage, why you taste so perfect and brim with life force. Yes, child. Asha intoned. He has their creative spark. What does it mean for the baby? Chris asked. Will it be whole? I think so, but who can say? The old ones were ever chasing perfection. I doubt their seed would spawn an abomination, even with our own stock, enemy stock. What of the prophecy? Matthias broke his silent observation in a hushed tone. Is it true? We will walk in the sunlight again. Have you tried, Lillian? The European lord asked. No, of course not. Lillian hissed. I'm pregnant. I would advise a small experiment then. Vlad grinned toothily. Nothing too risky, perhaps a weak ultraviolet light. How fitting it would be for the first mother of our race to feel the warm kiss of sunshine again. Lillian shuddered at the thought. The very idea of sunlight was distasteful. Chris stroked her hand reassuringly with his thumb. Well, how do we play this? Chris asked. Obviously, I don't want everyone to know I'm somehow related to the old gods. You may have little choice. Asha husked, shaking her graying head. We have figured it out, so has your night elf. The other elves must know too. Why else would they be here tonight? Then they will seek control over you, Chris. Vladimir warned. Do not indulge them anything. You have my personal guarantee of support and protection for Lillian and the rest of your mates. Their babes must be protected as well. With the revelation almost upon us, it is past time the elves learn that they cannot stick their greedy fingers into every pie. Thank you, Chris said solemnly. I will not tolerate any move against one of my own and any who try will not like the cost. Good. Your mind is on the right track then, dragon. Someone comes, Matthias warned. Be well, my children. I shall bless them. You have done a wonderful thing for our people, for all beings. Thanks to you, there may yet be a day when our kind is not a blight on the living and it starts with your precious child. I'm sorry. Rayla spoke as she crossed the magical dampening barrier around their covert gathering. Aramir is demanding to have Lillian examined by his pet magician. He is dogged, and I have held him at bay for as long as propriety allows in our culture. So it begins. Vladimir sneered. I trust, daughter, that you have learned enough from your time with this dark skin that submitting to such an examination would be a grave error. Rayla has taught me many things. Lillian cocked her head in acknowledgement. A resource such as you must be protected, managed, with finesse. The elf said, tall, blonde, and almost crooning his words out to the gathered beings. We cannot have you spreading your seeds simply wherever your fancy takes you. At least let us examine your mate. No. Chris spoke firmly, for the third time already in this little performance. Lillian had been less polite. But why? The elf whined in a sing-song voice. He twirled on his pointy boots, pacing back the other way in front of his audience, his tone switching saccharine. See reason, dragon? Do you not wish to be assured of your child's well-being? No. He stood his ground looking directly behind the courtly elf to Aramir Lefade and his five-strong party of House Lefade. Whilst not the only elves in the room, they were obviously the root of his problems. They were all so tall and beautiful, so alien. In the fairy tales he'd read as a child, elves were benevolent. He wondered now if it had all been a dastardly ploy by these plodding, power-hungry creatures to tint human opinion of them. My mate has already declined. Now you come to me, what, to change her mind? I cannot, would not, and I don't trust you. The rest of the audience shuffled backwards half a step as the implication hung in the air. What did we ever do to earn such scorn, dragon? The elf shook his head sadly, conveying very clearly that Chris was being unreasonable. Would you deny us our duty to investigate such a rare and wonderful occurrence? Surely it is for the good of all that we know exactly what you have planted in the vampire's womb. It might be very dangerous. Several murmurs of agreement rose around the room. Chris frowned, beginning to wonder if they'd seated the crowd. He had to give it to the unknown elf. The man had a way with words and knew how to play the audience. Heaven forbid, was he some sort of elf lawyer? He was about to retort angrily that his dead parents might have something to say on the matter when the doors of the banquet hall burst open, 
Rayla shrieked in outrage as the crowd got a glimpse of the small battle taking place at the entranceway. It looked like the guards were outnumbered, in the process of being subdued in hand-to-hand combat by a small force of dark-clad fighters. In their midst, a figure in a bright red cloak strode forth haughtily. It was the same style the other vampires wore. Chris's arm shot out to grip the enraged elf before she could run into the fray. She spared him a glare but turned her ire back on the approaching figure. What is the meaning of this? Rayla spat, tugging her arm away from the dragon but staying nearby. I should have you whipped. The red-garbed woman simply kept walking forward, her arms now open at her sides in an embracing, almost peaceful gesture. The combat behind them stopped abruptly, the attackers ceasing their onslaught now that their mistress had reached her goal. She was sauntering now, her hips cocking with each graceful step. Vladimir and Matthias groaned in unified frustration, though her hood was still covering her face, they somehow recognized the figure. What are you doing here, Lakshmi? Asha's old voice carried with a note of power. Beside him, Lillian flinched at the name, her muscles tensing. A long, almost silent hiss, escaped her perfect red lips as her fangs came out. I come to accept the dragon seed, of course. The woman spoke in accented English. Her voice was sweet, rich, and seductive, carrying what Chris assumed was an Indian inflection. Her words didn't really register though because without any warning, she let her cloak slip to pool on the granite floor. Beneath, her light brown skin almost glistening with vitality, she was completely naked. The rest of the audience was stunned to silence, eager to let the drama play out. You will do no such thing, Lillian said softly, her voice carrying a whisper of death. And why not, little whore? The brown beauty sneered, white fangs flashing. I am over twice your age, a goddess of beauty and prosperity. I will carry the serpent's child and fulfill the prophecy for our people, not you. Chris spared a glance around the room and was disgusted to find the elves smiling smugly to each other. This was insane. Leave, Lakshmi. Vlad stepped forward, his voice sounding almost tired. You have no place here. You shame us all with your discourteous entrance. I hate to even guess how you found out about this gathering. It does not matter how I found out. Lakshmi flicked her long, silky, black hair dismissively, her full, pert breasts quivering enticingly with emotion. I am here now, and I will not leave until I have new life in my womb. Please, dragon, do I not delight your eyes? Do you not wish to rub me, to plant your seed in? Leave! The old vampire shrieked, the terrifying power over three thousand years of undead existence behind his voice. His skin paled, veins bulging, his jaw elongating into the beginning of some hideous transformation. Many in the room retreated from the vampire lord but nothing more happened as he glared at his disobedient, underling with black eyes. Not even you can force me! Lakshmi cried back defiantly, though her bottom lip quivered. I claim my right by combat. I will have what is hers once she is dead. It is my right! Vladimir let out a savage snarl, almost launching himself on the woman but Matthias boldly took a grip on his wrist to steady him. No, Vlad, by our law she has the right. You will forfeit your position if you interfere. But the child... The old vampire relented, his features fading back to normal. Matthias only sighed and shook his head. So it comes to this? Lillian muttered to herself, her body quivered in both fear and excitement. Say the word, Lillian, we'll be out of here in an instant. Chris tried to reassure her. Now, now, dragon. Aramir Lefade finally spoke almost paternally. A blood challenge has been issued in front of witnesses. It must be fulfilled. You. Chris rounded on the influential elf with a snarl. All of this is your doing. A venomous and meritless accusation. The lawyer elf grimaced in mock hurt at his lord's side. Stop, my love. Lillian's hand brushed down his spine as he took a breath to bellow his challenge back at the poisonous elf. I accept the challenge. What? Lillian, no. He took her in his arms, squeezing her fiercely as he whispered. It's a stupid law, let's run. I can't lose you again. She gently released herself from his desperate grip, looking up into his blue eyes to see moisture brimming at the corners. Oh, her adorable, innocent dragon. He truly did love her, didn't he? Trust me? She grinned wide. He nodded shakily. Then watch my back, you too, Rayla. However this ends, that Hindi bitch won't leave my territory alive. The furious elf promised that Lillian's own green cloak slid to the floor as she kissed him one last time, turned, and strode confidently toward her challenger. The two stunning vampires eyed each other warily, beginning a slow circling dance of maintained distance. 
Their bodies were both perfect examples of femininity. Lillian's leather-clad curves and powerful muscles. Lakshmi's smaller, sleeker, but well-proportioned nakedness. They reminded him of yowling cats. It might take a while, but once it started, he knew the fighting would be intense. Chris' breath caught in his throat at the thought of them fighting, of Lillian. He shuddered, unwilling to concede the possibility. He tried to call on the dragon's calming presence but found only a hot pool of righteous fury. It settled over him, bringing back his focus and determination. His predatory eyes settled on the group of elves, his dragon lurking millimeters under his skin, ready to pounce. I think I'll enjoy riding your dragon once I've drained you dry. Quite the handsome young pup, isn't he? Lakshmi taunted, taking a confident step toward the younger but larger vampire. He would split you in half. Lillian sneered, stepping a little further to the side to stay out of her opponent's striking range, biding her time for the perfect opportunity. Goddess of beauty indeed, he would break a little twig like you. He will be mine. The darker vampire hissed back. I will bear his children. I will be the mother of our race. You think he will have you? Still, after all this? Lillian shook her head, watching Lakshmi's shoulders and torso for the coming attack. The other vampire lunged forward but it was a feint. Lillian sidestepped away again, building her opponent's frustration. He loves me, you know. He will never breed you, even if you defeat me. If? Lakshmi sneered, her fangs flashing white and eager. If? Lillian nodded smugly. That did it. Chris watched in awe as Lakshmi charged, shrieking bloody murder. She was smaller but probably a lot stronger and more resilient than Lillian. Just as the wrathful vampire was almost upon her, black talons raised to strike at Lillian's torso, she stumbled. It almost looked like she'd been shoved hard from behind, for indeed she had. Lillian stepped to the side as Lakshmi's battle cry wavered with uncertainty. She kept up the telekinetic push, shoving hard with her power even as she flung herself on the smaller woman's back with another push of magic and rode her down. Her power was strong but today it seemed to be taxing her hard. No matter, it would be over soon. She punched, black talons held together in a spike even as her knee connected a savage blow to the woman's kidney. Undead or not, such a blow delivered debilitating pain. Lakshmi's blood-curdling scream wasn't for her kidney though. Her strike was true. Her claws sank between her rival's third and fourth rib, cracking bone as she expanded her fist. She ripped through lung-like tissue paper as her other hand twisted savagely in the woman's long, pitch-black hair. They finally hit the mottled marble floor, thudding to an unnaturally sudden stop as Lillian pitilessly tugged Lakshmi's head to the side. Her aim was true. Her fangs tore open the screaming woman's neck even as her fist, searching, shredding, ripping, found her shuddering heart. Lillian held on for dear life as the older vampire struggled vainly. She kept her teeth gnawing, opening the carotid again and again as it regenerated, spilling her challenger's blood in a great pool on the white stone below. All her power was now focused on holding the bucking woman down with telekinesis, especially her thrashing to lone hands. It was no easy feat, and she was tiring at an alarming rate. But every time Lakshmi struggled, she shredded her own heart anew. The audience stood by silently, the efficient brutality of the younger vampire was frightening to behold. Lakshmi's weakening, ineffectual struggles and gurgling shrieking soon made it clear who was to be the victor. Chris couldn't help noticing the elves' disappointment, his anger crested. Finally, Lillian raised her head, face bloody and savage even as Lakshmi's arteries spurted hot and red in a great, arching splatter. Surrender or die! His triumphant mate screamed her ultimatum, her entire front soaked in her vanquished enemy's blood. A wretched burble was her only response, but Lillian took it to mean surrender. She had the choice to kill Lakshmi but she'd learned long ago that it was best to avoid killing whenever possible. Removing a vampire such as Lakshmi left a huge power vacuum in her old territory and inevitably caused problems. She rolled quickly away from her defeated opponent, only releasing her telekinetic grip after she'd regained her feet a little unsteadily. She was tired, exhausted, and she could really use a sip of dragon. She found her mate, his eyes holding both love and a little fear of her, the perfect combination. As she collected herself, spat out Lakshmi's unsatisfying blood, and sauntered back toward him, she was gratified to see the bulge in his form-fitting black pants. So, he liked that, did he? Chris's eyes were glued to his bloodied, victorious Amazon. How could he have ever doubted her? Something tickled his magical senses as she approached, red slick chest, heaving. It was a subtle little niggle, setting the tiny hairs on his arms up straight. Now that Lillian was close, Rayla felt it too, her eyes narrowing and darting about. 
They fell on the Lefe party, muttering nervously to each other. They were the culprits, the instigators, the invaders. One of them, the quiet one, stood behind the rest, fluttering eyelids, vacant eyes. Were they that bold? That stupid? She was brimming with energy and rage this evening and finally, she had something to act upon. Tired of playing the placating host, she twisted her fingers in an elaborate pattern behind her back, forming runes one after another. Normally she would never spend her magic so frivolously, but the dragon at her side was generous beyond reason. She would get to the bottom of this high elf meddling and end it. Shalamini Veleth! She shouted commandingly as the spell completed. Startled cries rose from her hapless subjects around the room. She cared not, they'd all been enticed, bullied, or simply invited themselves here this evening. A whispering, sucking wind blew through the hall, lights dimming as her powerful detection spell took hold. She'd been refining and practicing this one for a while, this was the perfect opportunity to test. Around the room, enchanted trinkets, concealed magical weapons, jewelry, and even people began to glow. The dragon, of course pulsed a decadent, dim purple, his power bottled away for the moment. Her own rings glowed various hues, blue, pink, red, and black according to the magic they contained or channeled. The elves across the room stood stock still, their various objects and spells glowing for all to see. Worst of all was the sickly green line twisting out from the silent elf, its tendrils tugging at Lillian. Fool! Aramir Lefade, representative of the Synod, turned and backhanded his vacant subordinate even as the dragon roared his rage. Everyone had seen the malicious, insidious spell. Witnesses! The dragon bellowed, wings sprouting from his back even as he lunged powerfully toward them. He was vengeance incarnate in that moment, his huge, hybrid purple mass barreling down on the six elves. His magic furled open like a young fern, spreading wide around the room. You have wronged me for the last time! A silver bubble of protective magic shimmered into life in front of Aramir as the dragon spread his wings and plowed headlong into their midst. They toppled like so many bowling pins, flying backwards into walls, bystanders, and even a tray of hors d'oeuvres. Beings cried out, scattering away from the vengeful dragon and the foolish elves who tempted his rage. He held a small ether orb ready in his huge left hand, his right battering into the ruined face of the elf who had been draining Lillian, draining his child. He'd struck the man in the gut with his flying knee, Lillian would have been proud. Now he knelt over him, his enormous purple form in a ruined black tux, wailing down thudding blows remorselessly. Blood splattered against the dragon's cream-colored chest, painting him a rich, livid red. The elf was already dead, but he felt wronged it had been so quick for the wicked, scheming creature. From the corner of his eye, quick, graceful movement warned him of an attack. Two elves came at him from the left, razor-thin glass knives drawn from concealed sheaths. He flung the orb at them, willing it zip and chop through their bodies. Everything in, nothing out. Fuck his rules, fuck his limits, high pressure, high temperature. It turned that unearthly black and shot silently forward to its bloody task. They looked like Swiss cheese moments later as someone threw up noisily behind him. The searing heat on his tiny scales was the only warning he got before a huge fireball exploded into his right side. It scorched, dripping molten magical goo over him and the floor, setting him alight like a napalm fire. He screamed in pain and frustration at his distracted mistake, taking refuge in the ether. He made sure to mark the position of the smug magician elf. It only took a few seconds to teleport into Jethry's pond, the icy water dousing the sticky flames before they cooked him too much. The elf was looking around warily as the elder vampires, Rayla, and her swarming security force formed up in an impenetrable front, pulling Lillian back into their midst. The twitching body of the defeated vampire lay forgotten, slowly closing its wounds in an empty no-man's land of marble. The gravity of their folly dawned on the mage as he realized that even if he damaged the dragon, they still had to fight their way out. His eyes fell on the bloody, hole-punched corpses of his cousins, their lives spent so he could launch his spell undistracted. That dark orb, reeking of ether magic, unmoving now above their ruined bodies. He never felt a thing as the dragon's bloody fist crashed into the back of his neck with the force of a sledgehammer. Ether magic bowed his protective charms, kinetic energy snapped them, ramming onward onto crunching bone, grinding cartilage, and silent nerves. The dragon snarled, stepping over the twitching body of the mage. His right side was no longer a regal purple. He was blackened, scorched red and weeping along his shoulder and flank. It made him look even more terrible. Aramir and the elf who had twisted his words so artfully whirled at his bestial call. Now look your dragon, I, S. Silence! He shouted, voice booming and sibilant. 
The orb flew into action, zipping into whirl around the elves, caging them even as it sucked in every atom of air it touched. He closed his eyes, letting his magic expand and search, outward, upwards. It didn't have to go far, at the top of the room, concealment weakened by Rayla's spell, sat the glowing green eye of Ivinos. The room collectively looked upward as the dragon's attention stripped away any remaining shielding. The more magically informed and savvy amongst them gasped as they recognized the presence of the legendary artifact. Chris pushed his magic further, willing it into the manifestation of the eye and back along the conduits of power. It was a struggle, his sense of the eye was slippery when he grasped for it. It struggled as he honed in, writhing like a freshly caught eel. Finally he had it, his vision opening to a room atop a stone tower, lit by early morning Sunday. Run! He whispered evilly to the five gathered elves. They'd seen what he'd done, and heeded his warning. Elves scattered down the narrow stairs, tripping over each other in their haste to get away from the vengeful dragon who'd somehow traced them back to their stronghold. Point one elf even vaulted out a large window, activating a gliding spell to coast over the palisade walls of the castle and run into the surrounding woods. That one obviously had common sense. Chris took stock of the room, committing it to memory through his hijacked vision of the huge emerald in the padded dais. When he was happy, he plucked his orb from the air, binding it to the motion of his hand and teleported halfway across the globe. He was back seconds later, panting from exertion, but grinning from ear to ear. Above them, the green light flickered out. Somewhere in Switzerland, a remote, magically protected valley was rocked by a deafening explosion. The tower crumpled down onto the ramparts. What have you done? Aramir looked around in panic. The Synod will, the Synod will punish you. Vladimir spoke levelly. I have witnessed everything that happened tonight. You will be charged and put in a cell if I have my way. I wonder what more Lakshmi will reveal when we feed her true syrup? But the eye, my guards. What are you? The elf turned on Chris in disbelief. Rayla had the wits to provide an answer lest the dragon simply roar out the truth in his enraged frenzy. She had seen her share of bloodshed, of battle-crazed warriors. The hulking dragon man certainly counted right now, and he needed to be managed carefully, calmed into a more rational state. He is a dragon. You attacked his mate and child as soon as it was clear he could not be controlled so easily. She sneered at the embodiment of her longtime adversary. For what? To have your own pet vampire mother a child? What did you think would happen, Aramir? That a dragon such as he would simply roll over and submit to your little schemes. Ridiculous. At least you had the sense not to join the melee. On your behalf, I ask that you spare his life, please, Chris? He has much to answer for. I don't answer to you, Rayla Narlakis, and I will not grovel for your protection now. The left-aid leader found some of his old arrogance. The dragon does not attack me because he knows the consequences would be dire. Chris chuckled darkly, holding back his instinct to punch the man. The only reason I stay my hand is so you can answer to your house, to the synod, for instigating this attack on my mate. Do you wish the same treatment as Thos too? The dragon pointed a gory claw at the mangled elf bladesman. The elf glanced at the corpses, his face paling. The young man had dispatched his guards so effortlessly. No. No, of course not. Aramir wrung his slender fingers together. After so many years assured of his superiority, feeling helpless and exposed was terrifying. How had it all gone so wrong? His apprentice, Keltra whimpered pathetically at his side and the dragon's attention swiveled like a hawk toward the young elf. You! The purple beast hissed, dripping hatred from his forked tongue. Wordsmith! In a flash of rage, the dragon phased forward and through the hapless elf, the goblin's purse-cutting technique used in pure cruelty for the first time. Keltra screamed hoarsely through closed lips, blood seeping at the corners of his mouth. He blanched, tears streaming down his beautiful face. He choked, gagged. Finally, with a horrid guttural moan, the elf spat his wriggling, bloody tongue out onto the floor. Good lord, dragon! Matthias stepped in front of the vengeful beast as he rounded on the two elves. Remind me to never get on your bad side. I think even Asha's stomach might turn if you carry on. I have no objections so far. The ancient, wrinkled vampire nodded toward the remaining elves. Matthias is correct though, they have had enough of your vengeance. Tend to your mate, young Christopher. He shot a look back over his shoulder at the two cowed elves and let Matthias lead him through the fearful throng of beings. They parted easily before him. None who had witnessed the dragon's brutal wrath were unmoved by the grisly spectacle. Lillian left Rayla's concerned Tutane behind and flung herself into his embrace. 
They wrapped around each other like two mating snakes, his great purple and white wings forming a cocoon around her. They didn't care that they were bloodied, bruised, or burned, simply that they were together. Are you okay? She whispered. Are you? Yeah, I think so. Tired is all. Me too. I'll heal pretty quickly with an ether sleep. I'll heal pretty quickly with a light snack. Does that mean we're still going to go settle our other unfinished business? He asked, kissing her unbloodied forehead. I don't see why not. You seem to be in the mood for vengeance. I am. He frowned thoughtfully as they started toward the door. Every eye in the room watched them leave with bated breath. Only the trays of nearly untouched fancy snacks seemed not to care, still floating and bobbing merrily around the chamber. One strayed too close as the dragon reached the doorway and was cruelly dragged away from its brethren forever, the dragon's final victim. Jesus H., what the hell happened to you? Michelle asked as she answered the door to the apartment. Lillian was still drenched in blood, Chris burned and splattered in reddish-brown as well. She fought a vampire, I murdered some Elvis. Chris, still in hybrid form, put it about as succinctly as he could. Are we canceling the mission? She asked. No, said Lillian. And we don't have to worry about the elves spying on us for the moment. Our dragon here killed it somehow. Blew it up. Chris grinned as they followed each other into the main bathroom. Michelle followed, eager to hear more about the evening's events. Is that what that was? Your new magic? Lillian asked as she began stripping unceremoniously. Yep. He was proud as he said it, but it brought back the fresh images of the whole filled bodies. He shook his head, clearing the memory as the shower began to steam. They had it coming. Lillian read his mind as she shimmied out of her leather skirt and began clawing through the remnants of his burnt tux. Don't spare a thought for them. Michelle watched for a few moments, hoping to hear more. When it became apparent that things were only going to get more pornographic, she left and shut the door. Be quick in there. She warned. We've got a plane to catch. Worried and dealing with a severe lack of information, she took out her Maginet phone and began trolling the message boards for news of the confrontation. She was still sorting through the growing conversation chains when they got out of the bathroom, barely bothering to cover themselves with towels. Is it true you killed four elves, cut out the tongue of another, and somehow destroyed an ancient, powerful artifact? Michelle asked in disbelief as Lillian used her own towel to dry the back of Chris' great wings. Yeah, that's pretty much how it went. He admitted around his forked tongue. Do they mention the part about the elves setting up Lillian to be killed by another crazy vampire, and then sapping her whilst she was fighting her challenge? They do, actually, but it's getting drowned out under a mountain of speculation, fear, and hero worship. Wah. Put some damn clothes on Chris. Just because we're comfortable with each other doesn't mean I want your fucking horse cock dangling in my face. Sorry. Lillian grabbed. Sorry, Michelle. Chris covered himself with his wings, accepting defeat as Lillian dried his feet, smirking up at him with his towel in her clutches. We were discussing in the shower that it might be funny to go to Lord Harkett's office in my hybrid form. It will be better for me during the long teleport and for my healing. I'll go get some shorts on and bring my other stuff in a backpack. Go! Our filed flight plan out of Gadwick is not negotiable. Chris bustled off into his room, trying not to wake Amy and Annabelle with his wings bumping into things as he hurriedly packed. Lillian, in her naked glory, watched the color slowly fade from her friend's cheeks. She didn't have much time for any real button pushing so she strutted past Michelle to her own room and carefully laid out clothes. You're missing out. She snickered over her shoulder. Michelle picked up a book from the nearby coffee table and threw it at the vampire point five minutes later. Chris took his two soldiers by the hand and led them into the ether.it was a bit of a challenge to remember Michael Harkett's well-appointed office. It had been over two months ago, and he'd been there only a brief time. They were depending on him to pull it off though, so he thought back to the conversation they'd shared, how Harcott had jokingly tried to convince he and Lillian to relocate to the UK. He felt more confident now, picturing a dark desk and the funny old telephone. The incorporeal sensation always gave Michelle the willies. When it stopped, they stood in front of a shorter man who sat behind a grand desk. He stood, beaming at them, and Chris' hybrid form in particular. Without a word he uncorked a nondescript bottle and began pouring an amber liquid into crystal tumblers already in position. A thick, potent, scent filled the room as Lord Harcott handed out the glasses. Lillian took it almost reverently, but Michelle and Chris were a little reluctant. Here's to the fall of House Lefade. The well-spoken Lord of London finally broke his silence with a perfect upper-class drawl. Well done, you two.
I'll drink to that any day. Harcott and Lillian raised their glasses and downed the yellow liquid in one. Chris was a little taken aback that their host knew of the altercation already, but went with it. What about the baby? Michelle scowled at the vampire. Ah, uh, that's the good stuff. Lord Harcott smacked his lips. It's not alcoholic, my dear woman. Leprechaun whiskey is purely a magical concoction. Michelle, I presume? Oh, okay. Now Michelle looked at the drink with even more suspicion. Yes. It's nice to finally meet you, Lord Harcott. In person is so much better than over a conference call. Agreed. You've been doing excellent work for the humans. Chris took a tentative sip of the brew and found it very much to his liking. It tingled his throat and made his belly nice and warm. It tasted musky but almost sweet, like strawberries, honey, and old wood. He downed the rest, his eyes squinting shut as a rush of invigorating magic swept through his body. Try it, Michelle. It's good. Chris. Harcott took a step forward to shake the hybrid dragon's giant purple hand enthusiastically. The dragon of the hour. My god man, the size of you. No wonder you made such short work of those longer bastards. You've had some dealings with Lefate in the past? Chris guessed from the powerful vampire's hostility. Behind them, Lillian coaxed Michelle to slug back her drink. Michelle blinked rapidly for several moments, her body unsure about the magic but being affected by it nonetheless. Yes, they wronged me long ago when I was much younger and more gullible. Well, I hope they learned their lesson from tonight. Chris glowered. I can't believe they tried something like that on Lillian. She's barely two weeks pregnant. It's worse. The vampire commiserated. If their plan had gone off, Lakshmi would have killed Lillian. You sent a powerful message tonight though, Chris. I've read the brief report Lord Matthias got out to the plus 1000 club. No one is going to forget that performance easily. Now we'd better get you moving if you want to catch that plane. There's going to be traffic, so you'll be taking the helicopter. Better go back to human eye chap. The engines quieted as the sleek private jet leveled off. Chris relaxed back into the large, soft seat, eager to catch a few hours sleep before the madness started up again. Why had the elves chosen this exact night to dump this on him? He was so tired now. Fighting, healing, and jumping all over the planet could really take it out of you on a physical level. Michelle was already up and about, rummaging through the huge black duffel she'd arranged to be on the plane. From the corner of his eye he saw gun cases, body armor. Was that a grenade? He was almost dozing off, the low whine of the engines no deterrent to his rest, when Lillian tapped him on the shoulder. There's a bed in the back, wanna fuck? Michelle snorted, a little piggy sound, and began laughing. Do I get to sleep after? He asked groggily that he entered her from behind, his cock squeezing between her soft thighs as they lay on their sides spooned together. She was hot and wet, squirming as he stretched her labia wide and sank deep into her nethers. They breathed together for a few moments when he was as far in as he could get, her huge ass flush against his thick root. She reached behind to run her nails soothingly through his hair, cooing for him to fuck her hard dot he bit the back of her neck, making her curvy body arch and quiver as he took firm grip on her waspish midriff and began pounding into her. Something came over him then, a savage, desperate lust. He'd almost lost her today, and now he poured the last of his energy back into her, growling as his enormous, throbbing cock shuttled deep within her spasming, juicy cunt. She squirted clear liquid all over his heavy balls and crotch again, ruining the shorts he'd simply pulled down for their quick romp. Her cries of ecstasy brought the co-pilot from the cockpit. Chris held onto her bucking hips with bruising force, riding the vampire hard through her gushing orgasm as her legs twitched and kicked uncontrollably. Magic pulled in his loins as she finally relaxed around his shaft. He was giving her everything he had left, making sure that sapping spell hadn't harmed her or their offspring. His cock hardened, thickened inside her as his cum rose. He knew she could never hold enough in her vagina, he needed her womb, but it was already occupied. The dragon provided the answer that he took a firm grip of her sweaty, brown ponytail as he ripped his throbbing cock out of her snatch with a gooey squelch. Speed was going to be key, already, his abdomen was starting to shudder oh so pleasurably. Her womanhood was left gaping, round but splattered in her own juices as he knee walked up the bed to her head. She was still winded from her monumental climax, her cheeks flushed and rosy as he tugged her head upwards and pushed his huge, glistening crown against her plush red lips. She knew what he wanted. Her lips opened wide and predatory as she managed to swallow his entire knob and began slurping. 
Her tongue was a flurry of licks and caresses, seeking out his copiously flowing pre-cum and delving into his cockslet. Far more than simply proficient, she coaxed him to thicken in mere seconds. The ponytail was excellent leverage and he tugged her onto her hands and knees to receive his load. He groaned as the first viscous, pencil-thick ropes began to fly, his body shuddering in orgasmic release, the exquisite transfer of his magic. Professional she might have been, but Lillian had never dealt with this sort of deluge going off inside her mouth before. She swallowed but simply couldn't keep up under the onslaught of magical pleasure his seed forced on her. Nor how sticky and thick it was in her mouth. His spunk began to seep at the corners of her lips, her cheeks bulging. Her brown eyes looked up at him in mixed apology and magical ecstasy. He could tell she was about to spit him out. That would not do at all, the dragon warned as he gripped her head in both hands and shoved his hips forward. He lodged his fat head at the back of her throat, choking her, and absolutely unloaded. Vampires do not have a gag reflex but the look of malice in her narrowed eyes said it all. First, she sulked as he pumped jet after delicious jets straight down her throat. Then, as he didn't stop, her stomach filling rapidly, she began to whimper. Her jaw was stretched so wide around his dragon cock, but she forced herself to hold still and open as he finally finished with a tortured groan. She pulled off of him with a heaving gasp of breath, spittle and sticky cum trailing down onto her massive, perfect breasts. He breathed a huge sigh of relief, eager to finally get his well-deserved rest. What the fuck was that? She snarled, spitting excess seed from her mouth and rising on her knees. The dragon was too tired, too sore. Didn't she know what he'd just done, he'd done for her, for their child? Her body would have to absorb his magic now. He just lay down, beckoning her to join him. He smiled sleepily when after a few seconds of bewilderment, she joined him, their faces almost touching as she watched him through narrowed eyes. However, whenever, wherever. He reminded her of her promise as he pulled her lush body into his. But it's common court dash. He silenced her protest with a tired, half-hearted swat to her big, soft rump. Later Lillian, teach me the etiquette later, just right now, let me sleep. He was gone to the land of dreams moments later, leaving the cum-filled vampire to stare at his peaceful, handsome face in disbelief. Before, she might have added innocent as an adjective but after what he'd just done, well, not anymore. She was a little concerned how her body would react to such an unusual food. In general, vampires only ate blood and very occasionally indulged in a favorite beverage such as wine or black coffee. Too much of that could upset their system though. She belched, his spicy cinnamon scent heavy on her breath. A contagious giggle rose in her throat, she tried to quench it, but it slipped out for a few moments before she regained control. Had she just sucked off a divine, an enormously powerful entity of ancient times? The bedroom gloves were coming off now, little dragon. When Michelle first mentioned Sardinia, Chris needed to look it up online. What astonished him, now that he had access to Michelle's burgeoning BIA database, was the sheer wealth of magical knowledge at his disposal. Her work learning, tracking, and collecting knowledge from Maginette was impressive. No doubt there were others involved in the project too, but he had no doubt she'd thrown herself into the work. He understood now why she worked so late and looked haggard at times. She was making an intelligence database of the magical world. Not only that, she had up-to-date intelligence from the country's military too. Sardinia he'd never even heard of the place. Now he knew it was the second largest island in the Mediterranean. It had a rich and ancient culture, relied on tourism, and had a disproportionate NATO military presence. In fact, next week there was to be a test firing of some sort of top-secret swarm torpedo system. It also had the highest concentration of merfolk in the world. None of that mattered to him right now, though. They were here to hunt, parked under some sort of scraggly tree in a rocky sheep pasture, their hired jeep served well enough to transport them from the airport. The leaves above rustled in a warm breeze, providing only partial shade as he watched. At least it wasn't oppressively hot. Across the valley, through the lenses of Michelle's binoculars, Patrick Riker's villa mansion beckoned. Invisible in the seat behind his, the vampire kissed his neck. His observation interrupted by her teasing, breathy lips, he closed his eyes. He could tell she was smiling. Just as his neck hairs began to quiver, she latched on and sucked, pulling his blood toward his skin. She didn't bite, just lapped her saliva into his neck, quelling the swelling with her own magic. Lillian was marking him, proclaiming by virtue of her scent to all other vampires that he was hers. He smiled, allowing it.it appeared last night's indignity was forgiven. 
perhaps putting her thighs on his shoulders and using a hybrid dragon's tongue to the tune of two body-quivering orgasms counted as an acceptable reimbursement of favors. Do you want to fuck an invisible woman? She whispered in her incredibly accented sexy husk. You young things call it a quickie, no? Lillian. He breathed almost resignedly. In my day we called it a soldier's tumble, a roadside fuck while the column of soldiers marched. You had to be quick, so the man didn't fall behind once they were gone. I need you and me, Chris. Fuck, please? Would you just get it out of the way so she shuts up for half an hour? She opened her driver's door and stepped onto the dusty, dry grass beneath. It shut a little firmly as she went to sit against the gnarled trunk with her trusty tablet. It must have looked absurd, had there been anyone watching. The huge young man clambering out of the ATV, a massive tent in his black fatigues. Stranger, when he dropped them frantically, rolling down onto the grass and onto his knees, a very large cock already probing at nothing before he sank forward hurriedly and began fucking the living shit out of a squealing patch of air. He left her gasping, a pool of semen glistening in the sunlight as it seeped from her molten, still quivering depths. Her sex was bare, slick, and obviously swollen from hard, passionate use. A vision, if only anyone were able to see her. And mimic HH. That's the first time I've fucked under the sun since I was human, delicious. She lay back, licking his blood from her lips, her tousled ponytail swishing in the dry grass. Perhaps Vlad was onto something. Where did you learn your soldier's tumble? He asked, trying to clean his crotch with a water bottle and spare t-shirt from the jeep. I was just eighteen when I followed a column to Moscow. It was a good way to get away from home. Oh. Lillian I mess, I'm fine, Chris. I have had a long time to come to terms with my human past. She couldn't help smiling at his concern. I have you, our child, your blood, that glorious cock. I have never been happier, vampire or human. You mean that? He turned to stare where he thought her face must be. Invisible intimacy was a bit hit and miss. Yes. Thank you? I'm not. Feedback is appreciated. Your pheromones are doing things to me, young one, your magic. I love it. My inner beast is finally happy. They ended up joining Michelle under the old tree. Chris propped his head up on a bag of body armor from the back of the truck, found the binoculars again and relaxed. Lillian, not caring about the dust or the slightly rocky ground, wrapped herself against his side and actually slept. Back at his observation, the sprawling green lawn surrounding the villa looked almost garish. Against the landscape of rock and hardy shrubs, the irrigated bright green was unnatural. Below them, a well-tended olive grove swept down the face of the hill toward the road, giving the driveway a pleasant border. Beyond, past the main road and a few houses, a lovely, calm little beach. Through the binoculars, Chris could see people enjoying the sun and warm Mediterranean water down there. Annabelle and his brood were once again missing out. Remedying the situation should be easy in theory. He would love to take them places like this. He should, but time was ever his enemy. That would have to change eventually. Michelle combed over what recent satellite images she dared collect without drawing attention to her activity. Though no one had told them specifically not to come looking for the man, in the spirit of international relations, they weren't supposed to be here. It was Lillian who'd used her connections through the vampire community to find him here in Italy. There will be at least three guards on duty tonight. Michelle intoned, not looking up from her screen. We can't see it from here but there's a compound out the back that could easily house ten or more. They must be trained well because he's paying them a lot. It doesn't matter if we go in through the ether. Chris reassured. I know, we just need to be prepared and informed. Those guys could all be ex-Australian special forces or South African mercenaries for what we know, they cost enough. The guy has that much money? Chris wondered. More. The wild cards will be if he somehow hired magic help. Lillian observed drowsily. If he has the contacts, he could buy a few young vampires. There are likely nasty mechanisms that will get set off if he disappears. We can't have someone releasing a pile of information about beings to the public if he doesn't make a scheduled phone call next week. Our secondary objectives are his electronics and records. All going well, I should have at least six hours of undisturbed access. They whittled away the warm afternoon in companionable quiet. Conversation would occasionally spring to life but it didn't last more than a few minutes as they waited for nightfall. Contented vampires were like big lazy cats it seemed. Lillian and Chris lay together, embracing, lightly petting, dozing. His mind re-examined the previous night's events. In defending their child they'd grown closer, 
House Lefade would be gathering themselves, recovering the pieces from the blow he dealt. He wondered what their reaction would be, to seek retribution or recognize the just nature of his attack and move onward. He certainly hoped for the latter, he'd snuffed out thousands and thousands of years of experience and life last night. Guilt didn't enter his mind, only regret that it had happened at all. He'd been defending himself and his mate, they had forced him into that position. Perhaps he did feel guilty about the young elf whose tongue he removed. That had been a particularly cruel instinct to act upon. He would have to do something to remedy the situation. It was good to know the vampires were backing him. Well, backing Lillian. What did it mean to have a connection to those ancient, godlike creatures? Why him? Lillian mumbled something unintelligible in her sleep, bumping his chin with her nose. The warm breeze wafted a few strands of her invisible hair across his face, scented subtly of honey. Those questions didn't matter for now, he realized. His abilities were his own, he would use them as he saw fit. Whether it was to track down corrupt billionaires in the Mediterranean, or to make new life with the lovely woman at his side, it didn't matter. Morally, he was doing okay so far. The Synod might not be too happy with him after last night, but that wasn't exactly new. Hopefully their collective response would be aimed at Ermir. It didn't look good for any of the being leaders when one of their own was exposed and disgraced. Once again though, he'd drawn attention to himself and his powers. If it wasn't already common speculation on Maginet, word of his connection to the ancient Divinas would inevitably break. What then? Chris? Michelle asked tentatively. His eyes were closed, and he was breathing deeply. Yeah, what's up? He rolled slightly away from Lillian to look up at his friend. Nervously, she tucked some dark hair behind her ear and looked away, toward the setting Sunday. Aya! Uh, God, this is embarrassing. What? I've been thinking about what you said. That we could, if I wanted. Oh? He smiled that he wasn't trying to seem cocksure, he was genuinely happy. It must have seemed that way though because her brow set in a stern frown, her eyes hardening in defense. I only ask because I can't help noticing the changes some of your brood are going through. She said in the same voice she gave him briefings in. Emmy is growing, Susan has lost five pounds and looks about the same number of years younger, Annabelle. Well, she stops bullets now. Silence hung between them as he waited for her to come to the question she was searching for. Would I? She closed her eyes, twitching her shoulders as if to shake something off. Would I benefit in an equivalent way if we became intimate? I don't know. He answered openly. It's possible but Annabelle's magic comes from Bartholomew. Susan was a witch already. Why would you like that? I mean, in my position it would be advantageous. Michelle stopped her justification and looked the dragon in the eyes. Yes, I would like any edge I can get. So, it's purely professional? Chris teased her. Nothing romantic in the least? I'm hurt, Michelle. Stop it. She poked him. This is hard. That's what she said. Oh my god, I swear you are fourteen years old. Okay, okay. He relented. Mood lightened, mission accomplished. She watched him meaningfully, his goofy smile, his honest blue eyes. I don't want to get pregnant. She whispered. Michelle, this thing between us, it can be whatever you want. He tried to explain. I wouldn't bite you with itch unless you wanted me to. You want the benefits you see in the rest of my brood? Well, we could even try to work something out so we didn't need to have sex. No. She stopped him. No, I, uh, I'm not against the sex. I just. I've never been in a committed relationship. What, no boyfriends? Nothing? Not really. She admitted, flushing heavily in the low light. I'm sort of terrible at that stuff. Huh. Chris mused. I never would have thought so. You're lovely. Stop it. I'm serious. You're amazing, driven, scarily smart, beautiful. What's not to like? I think it doesn't help that I run an NSA background check on anyone before going on a date. She admitted. Professional prudence. He nodded sagely even as his eyes twinkled with mischief. I mean it though, our relationship can be whatever you want. You're already my familiar and part of our little family. If you want to exploit me for magical powers on the side, that's okay. No commitments necessary. Thanks. She smiled at him tentatively but he returned his best lecherous grin. She guffawed quietly, pushing his bulk back over onto Lillian. He chuckled even as her hand trailed up his neck into his hair to rest there. Intimate dot he relaxed against Lillian, enjoying the last of their restful day as the sun slunk low and red over the rocky hills. 
the vampire shifted subtly and began whispering with just her lips. She was not nearly as asleep as he'd assumed. Her voice was so quiet he knew only his ears would pick it up, still he sensed the lyrical rhythm of her words. And another one gone, and another one gone. Another one bites the dust. He shut her up with a kiss. Their phase-hopping journey across the shallow valley was a desolate experience. He'd grown accustomed to the growth that seemed to sprout in his presence. There was nothing here. Only a tingle at the back of his neck, an uneasiness, he couldn't readily place. He chalked it up to nerves. They were breaking into a mansion full of evil henchmen after all. It felt almost like cheating to skim through the ether past watchful perimeter guards. Even walls were no barrier, Lillian's hand in his right, Michelle's in his left. Together, they pushed through the mild resistance of stucco and into the four-bay garage. Look at these cars! Michelle hissed. Oh man, I wish we could borrow one. Are they nice? Chris asked quietly, clueless about the colorless outlines of the sleek sports vehicles. Very nice. Even Lillian was impressed. The far one is a Ferrari GT Lusso, I think. Classy. Chris grunted, pulling them onward into the building. I didn't think you two, of all people, would be into cars. It's okay to admire. Michelle defended as they pushed through an ornate hardwood door into a grand hallway. I know I'll never own anything like those, but it's fun to dream. MMM, don't be jealous, young one. Lillian purred, her breasts brushing against his arm with every step. You don't need luxury vehicles to prove your manhood, do you? Huh. He grunted. I'll need a fucking people mover and a fortune's worth of car seats in about seven months. Yes, my love. Ship. Michelle warned. There's another guard. They can't hear us. Chris reassured her for about the fourth time of the night. I know, it's just. It makes me feel better if we're quiet, okay. I know it's illogical. It's okay. He squeezed her hand reassuringly, stopping her owl-like peering into the ghostly gloom. Chris watched the insubstantial outline of the large man as he continued obliviously on his patrol. He passed no less than two meters away, a submachine gun hanging from the tactical webbing on his chest. Michelle had been right about their need to avoid a firefight with this guy and his friends. The server room should be just around the corner over there. Michelle pointed into a huge lounge room complete with home theater. We should plant my access point now, so we don't have to come back. Fair enough. Chris nodded. It will be easier now than with an uncooperative prisoner. The polished hardwood floors they glided noiselessly across must have looked lovely in the norm. Chris had only recently signed away a huge sum for wooden flooring in his own house so he could appreciate the effort and expense put into this extravagant hideaway. Here? He stopped in front of the first door they came across. It was rather nondescript but there was a security camera covering it from across the room. I think so. Michelle said, through the door they pushed. Jackpot. She dropped his hand, moving forward to hover over the equipment. This isn't very fun. Lillian pouted as she took in the modest, orderly space. I thought there would be more screaming. I'm sorry our adventure doesn't live up to your standards. Chris chuckled. Perhaps when we interrogate our errant billionaire, you can get your screaming fix. Chris hovered over Michelle's shoulder, watching as she unpacked five large, black flash drives from a foam-filled waterproof case. One for each machine, he assumed. There wasn't that much computer gear really but for a personal residence, the three small servers and two high-powered desktop workspaces were overkill. Are you confident you can help me do it from the ether? She asked. Confident might not be the best word. He admitted. Cautiously optimistic seems more honest. She paused, looking up at the cameras on either side of the room. It's worth a try. We need access. Together, they pushed through desks, screens, chairs, and walls, delicately maneuvering to the rear of the first device. Carefully, Michelle slotted a fully-fledged stick into a ghostly rear USB slot. Chris tried to focus his intention on the ether image of the target computer, commanding it to extra firmness. It was an unnatural, strange resistance, taxing his magic more than he'd expected. Still, Michelle needed some tactile feedback to correctly insert the sticks and Chris wasn't sure how the two sets of inanimate matter would interact without his magical guidance. It wouldn't be good if the little drives fell through the ghost images as soon as they were released, shredding the rear panel of the computer in the process. There was still a lot to learn about the ether. When Michelle was done double-checking the placement, she tentatively released the drive. They both tensed, waiting for some sort of alarm to go off or the drive to disappear altogether. 
Nothing, it clung onto the back of the computer, still under Chris's influence. Finally, he willed the flash stick back into the norm. They breathed a collective sigh of relief as nothing disastrous happened. Next? He asked. Yeah, let's do the rest and move on. We won't know if they're working until I can fire up the tablet and attempt a connection. They finished in short order, becoming more confident with every successful installation. In the end, it was an uneventful process under the guide of Chris Magic. With any luck, Michelle could now begin the process of remotely tapping in and mining data. As the machines also recorded and stored all the camera feeds around the mansion, they might get to watch the reaction to Riker's disappearance and respond as necessary. They made their silent, other-dimensional way upstairs. One guard sat quietly in the darkness, watching the stairwell. He proved as ineffective a deterrent as the rest point one final wall later, they were inside the master bedroom. On a modest queen bed, amidst a tangle of kick blankets, a middle-aged man snored softly. He looked peaceful in his blue silk pajamas, his full head of graying hair tousled against a plush pillow. It's him, Michelle said as they stood over him like vengeful wraiths. Help me look for his things. Without another word, they spread around the room, poking their noses into every nook, wall, cranny, drawer, and cupboard. Michelle was very pleased with their booty. Not only did they come away with his personal computer, wallet, phone, and briefcase, they also found four passports in his name and a respectable stash of around 40,000 euros. It all went into a big duffel bag Michelle had forced upon Lillian for this exact reason. Happy with their effort, they gathered back at the side of the bed. Everyone ready? Chris asked. There's no going back after we grab him. He deserves worse. Lillian said venomously. It's the right thing to do. Michelle nodded more reservedly. They formed a chain, Chris holding Michelle's hand, who held Lillian's hand, leaving Chris free to bring them softly out of the ether and firmly grip Patrick Riker by the elbow. They were back in the ether before the man even had the sense to cry out. By then it was too late. He only managed to catch a glimpse of three accusing faces and a terrible world of shadows before he was ripped away into momentary nothingness. For a few brief moments, it must have seemed like a dream. With a strangled gasp, Patrick blinked his sleepy eyes open, adrenaline pounding through his system. There was grass and rock under his soft bare feet. Someone had him by the elbow, a crushing grip. He turned in the moonlight, about to protest the treatment, but the man beat him to it with a deep, angry growl. Good evening, Mr. Riker. Allow me to introduce myself. My name is Christopher Barrist, perhaps you've heard of me. I don't what so God. The man's befuddled stammering was cut short as by moonlight, he watched the huge, dark shape of his kidnapper sprout a pair of wings. The creature cocked its head, that his prey might get a good look at him. You paid good money to have me kidnapped and experimented on. Chris smiled, displaying a beautifully deadly white maw. It's time to pay the bill. Lillian, if you would. A tall beauty stepped from behind the dragon, several sturdy cable ties in her fingers. Now look here. He called up a little of his boardroom bluster. I go on. The air left his lungs in a rush, the blow sprawling him onto the dirt, ruining his best pajamas. He gagged, gulping quietly, cradling whatever was left of his spleen. The woman was leaning over him, grabbing his arm and rolling him painfully onto his front. Stop. He croaked hoarsely. She struck him in the back. This time he passed out for a few seconds, the world going quiet and blissfully painless, if only for a moment. He wanted to scream, to rage, to fight against this injustice, this assault against him. His body failed him, going limp and submissive as his arms were bound together, his legs shackled in plastic. Worse, he knew he'd brought this all upon himself. You speak when spoken to, rat. The woman leaned over and licked the cold sweat forming on the back of his neck. Or I'll keep hitting you until you stop squeaking. Chris turned away from Lillian's softening, he didn't have the stomach for it right now. Michelle was setting up their little blackout tent. Her tablet and Patrick's laptop were already booting up on the driver's seat of the jeep. That nervous, wary feeling was back. He scanned the darkness around the edge of the sheep pasture. Nothing. Still, he couldn't shake the sensation. His ears were pricked, his flattened, hybrid snout scenting for danger. Even his forked tongue slipped out to taste the air for peril. Unconvinced either way by his senses, he decided to go help Michelle but stopped dead still after two paces. A pair of huge yellow eyes blinked at him from the lower boughs of their moonlit shade tree. Chris froze, ready for an attack. He couldn't resolve the shape of the figure crouched in the foliage, only those owl-like eyes. As he stood there, wondered if it might simply be an owl. 
Then, with a quiet flap of leathery wings, those enchanting eyes slithered out of the tree to stand before him. Lillian turned with a hiss, startled by the nearby noise and the breeze of wingbeats. Things did not usually sneak up on her. She found her dragon face to face with a gargoyle. Ah. Uh, hi. Chris asked, unwilling to let the silence last. It was clear now why she'd been impossible to see. Her skin was a deep, charcoal gray. Darker patterns, tattoo-like, modeled almost every inch of her skin, making a confusing pattern to the eyes. Only her large, vertically slitted yellow eyes and the tiny white horns growing from just above her temples were readily visible in the night, even to his dragon's vision. There was no doubt she was female, though. Camouflage couldn't hide her athletic, womanly shape or the lighter gray buds of her small, bared nipples. Hello, I'm Chris. He tried again, smiling down at the unusual woman and extending his hand. Be careful. Lillian whispered as she slunk into position behind him, her prisoner left to recover for a moment. She must be quite old to have such horns. She's a gargoyle, right? Chris asked, watching as the woman assessed his outstretched hand cautiously. Finally, she stepped forward and grasped it in both of her own, bringing their bodies close. Wait, Lillian. He preempted his lover's attack as the gargoyle began to trace his fingers with her own, feeling his hand all over. She seems friendly. Something dark slithered around his calf, wrapping softly around the muscle. Chris jumped at the alien sensation, almost stumbled over himself in fright. He'd been so absorbed in those eyes. Oh. Hello? He frowned, looking down to see an inch-thick prehensile charcoal tail squeezing his pants softly. It ended in a cute little heart-shaped bud which suddenly flipped over and stared right back at him with a third yellow eye. What the, Nix? The woman finally spoke a sharp-toothed white smile of her own brightening her dark face. Nix? Chris met her eyes again, almost thankful to have an excuse to look away from her unnerving tail. That's your name? I'm Chris. Nix? Dr. Dra. Dranon? She stumbled in a thick accent, pointing at herself and Chris in turn. Yes. He smiled back. I'm a dragon. You don't speak English, huh? Lillian stepped around Chris' big purple wing, right in the gargoyle's face. The two women looked each other up and down in obvious assessment. Eventually, Nix bobbed her head in deference, her tail slid gently off his leg. The woman squeezed his hand almost imploringly and began an animated spiel in a language he'd never heard. He looked to Lillian, who frowned in concentration as she listened. The gargoyle kept squeezing his hand and gesticulating with her other, even pointing at what he suspected was Lillian's tummy. What the fuck is going on? Michelle emerged with her dimmed flashlight from the small interrogation-ready bubble she was setting up. Did someone have an epiphany and start speaking in tongue? Oh, fuck? Michelle's hand fumbled straight for the pistol on her hip. Don't. Chris' voice rose in command, stopping Nix's monologue. Lillian quickly took the gargoyle's attention back, motioning she should continue. They all waited in silence until the gray, winged woman stopped talking. You people are fucking batshit crazy! Patrick moaned from the ground. Lillian vanished from his side, a dull thump and a muffled squawk later, and she was back. Nix had eyes only for the hybrid dragon. In the low light of Michelle's filtered flashlight, he caught a glimpse of the woman's muscled perfection. He could swear there was barely an ounce of fat on the dark woman. She looked almost like something out of a bodybuilder's magazine, and she was apparently not ashamed to show the world. For the first time, he wondered how things would go if this got violent. Gargles were supposed to be very tough and almost immune to magic. She speaks some sort of ancient Greek, Lillian said. I'm not sure. I think I got about 40%. I'm rusty. That's amazing, Lillian. What did she say? Chris asked, genuinely impressed with her lingual skill. He'd never learned another language. He didn't think he would be smart or dedicated enough to manage it. I think she tried to introduce herself. Lillian started slowly as Nix bobbed impatiently, apparently a little frustrated that her story wasn't spilling fluidly from the vampire's lips. I missed a lot of that part, but she's old, Chris. Really old. She mentioned the elf wars and they were almost 2,500 years ago. I think she was some sort of soldier. She kept saying something about sleeping. No way, that's older than Rayla. What does she want? Idiot. Lillian poked him. What do you think she wants, all meek and doe-eyed? She is a fierce, ancient, and very deadly creature. We are uninvited in the midst of her territory. It's a good thing she likes you too. I got the feeling she's run others away. Oh. Chris looked down at Nix. I, uh, look, I'm sorry, Nix, but we just met. 
I'll be honest the language barrier is going to be a little difficult to overcome. She might not have been able to understand his words, but his tone made his decision clear enough. She dropped his hand, turned on her heel, and was about to launch herself into the air when Chris reached out to stop her, touching the edge of her wing. She rounded on him like lightning, delivering a ringing slap to his cheek. Thankfully it hadn't been a blow meant to hurt, but it was very dramatic. He stood stunned for a moment, gathering his wits. Fuck. Jesus, I've never been slapped before. Lillian, I was going to try to tell her she can visit us in Denver if she wants to talk about it more. I'm not going to mate with her on the spot. Can you please try telling her that? Lillian mashed a few halting words together, stopped, and tried again. Chris rubbed his smarting cheek, smiling ruefully at the scowling gargoyle. He supposed he deserved it, rejecting a woman and then touching her without permission. It's not working, sorry. My Greek isn't nearly good enough for that. It's okay. Chris shrugged. We tried. Try simplifying the message to something you can communicate. Michelle suggested from the jeep before turning and getting back to her preparation. Their prisoner wasn't going to interrogate himself, and neither were his computer systems. Hmm, it's going to have to be pretty basic. Lillian mused. One of her eyebrows arched in cold calculation. That might work. She spoke a single short word to the frozen gargle, but her countenance brightened rapidly. What did you say? Chris looked to Lillian in worry at the sudden swing of mood. Well, I tried to say visit. I think it came out more as follow. Not too sure. We're not taking her back with us. I know. Lillian grinned evilly. So, she's happy for now. Then we leave. We leave her behind with no knowledge of where we live or how to find us. Chris scowled at his lover. That's not really. It's the best I can do, dear. Lillian said sweetly and turned back to the sniveling billionaire. She began dragging the man toward Michelle's tent. That night, Chris learned what true syrup could do to a man in the hands of two experienced interrogators. He sat on the bonnet of the jeep with a naked gargle, while Michelle and Lillian wrung him out for every drop of information they could sponge up. Passwords, bank accounts, contacts, networks, they got everything everything.it painted a far grimmer picture than they'd imagined. Patrick Riker was by no means the only human trying to capitalize on the revelation. He'd been tipped off by someone in the military, and he knew of other interests, who'd bought similar information. Key members of his powerful family now knew as well, allowing them to organize their assets accordingly to best serve their interests. Indeed, among the truly elite of society, the existence of beings was becoming common knowledge. Chris sat in silence with a tentatively affectionate Nix, listening to the man explain that there were already ways to purchase from the being underworld. Information, spells, even magical muscle, that was how he'd been kidnapping beings. He'd simply bought the names, types, classes, and locations through an intermediary for a steep price. Money. It was insulting that just money almost bought his kidnapping and almost killed Lillian. There was no great cause, no misguided sense of justice. Just money and greed. It was eye-opening. So was the sheer wealth of the man, who found it easy to rattle off a list of his top assets at Michelle's command. Why did you do it? Michelle finally asked the groggy, emotionally unfiltered man. Why? It sounded almost like he didn't understand the question. I? Because I can? It's a huge opportunity. Too good to waste the chance of getting ahead. So it had simply been for this man's desire for more money that he'd had to step into danger's path, get knocked out, poisoned, and spend a week in hospital? A cold, dark, little spark of rage began crackling in the pit of his stomach. Nick shuffled nervously next to him, reaching up to touch his cheek. No, no. He reassured her, holding her calloused hand to his skin. Not Nick's. Him. He's a bad man. Bad mon? She asked quietly when next Patrick spoke. Yes. Chris smiled, impressed with her grasp. Her willingness to stick with him in such an uncertain situation was surprisingly endearing, if a little creepy. He's been hurting people and we're here to deal with him. Lillian took over for a while as Michelle used what she'd learned to crack open his personal computer and begin verifying what she could. The vampire asked specifically about how he'd contacted beings, who had sold him the information, how it had been delivered, anything. On this, the non-human front, Patrick was unfortunately dry of actionable information. Her questioning did reveal that he had indeed taken steps to blackmail his life and freedom against the secret of the revelation. Two different family lawyers back in the States had instructions to release information to the press if he were ever discovered dead or went missing. Chris understood the appeal of the memory alteration charm now, even the necessity. 
Barbaric as it might seem, being able to use the charm now could have saved the man's life. Could have, because he had a feeling Lillian was out for blood anyway at this point. He couldn't blame her. By his own admission, the man was a greed twisted monster, buying people to commit the worst crimes in his stead. Murder, kidnap, intimidation, property destruction, tax evasion in the extreme, the list went on. How easy, how tidy it would be to cast a spell and remove all memory of the events from his mind, from the minds of his accomplices. Now they would have to kill him, the man knew it too. He was distraught under the influence of the truth forcing syrup. The loss of control for someone so assured of their superior place in the world must have been traumatizing. All his life, money had saved him. He tried now, offering obscene bribes for his life. But when it became obvious that it only offended the vampire, he dissolved into unreserved begging, pleading. Do you have any more questions? Lillian asked disdainfully. No. Michelle looked up from her work on his computer. I'm cleaning house here. Chris? No. He answered, his voice almost failing him. He was too ashamed to face the man in his final moments. Patrick Riker's last seconds were wasted with a piteous wailing. He never felt a thing as the vampire broke his neck with a soft crunch. Nick sat close beside him, casually tracing the contours of his forearm as he shook. It didn't seem to concern the woman at all. She bumped her head into his shoulder with cat-like affection. Was this what he'd become? A calculating killer? That was better than you deserved. Lillian spat inside the tent. Agreed, Michelle said with satisfaction. He deserved to rot in prison for several lifetimes. His money won't buy him freedom this time. Chris? Yeah, I just, I wish we didn't have to. If not us, who? Lillian asked. We came here tonight to cut out a little weed and instead learn that our garden is infested with them. Our work is just beginning. You're right. Chris admitted. I know. I guess they shouldn't have made me worship vigilantes as a kid if they didn't want us taking things into our own hands. Michelle unzipped the tent and came to stand before him in the spewing light. These people don't play by society's rules. In their world, might is right. Through you, we have the power to reach out and do something about it. People like him are right now poisoning any chance of the revelation with their own greedy schemes. The world is a better place with one less Patrick Riker. I know. She took a step up onto the bumper and kissed his purple forehead. But I like that taking a life isn't meaningless to you. Don't lose that, Chris. He followed her back into the tent and pulled Patrick Riker's corpse into the ether. With a firm tug, he sunk through the ground, swimming through the jelly-like ethereal shadows of soil, rock, and root. He left him there to decompose, to feed their shade tree or any of the tiny ether denizens who took care of such detritus. They were subdued as they packed up their little camp by moonlight. No congratulations or talk of success. The discovery of a larger problem robbed them of catharsis. Several hours of driving took them out of the immediate area. Lillian practically entwined herself with Chris' large, now human body and their pile of equipment in the back seat. Michelle drove doggedly, fighting fatigue. Nick sat up front, her wings folded primly behind her. From the gargle's excited exclamations, Chris had to wonder if she'd been in a car before. It was obvious she didn't understand what was coming and guilt rose in him. While he wasn't looking forward to their unceremonious goodbye, what choice did he have? The jeep was left abandoned on the outskirts of a large village. Someone would find it, keys in the ignition. From there, its fate would not be in their hands. They hauled their equipment a little way, underneath the broad leaves of a fig orchard. Michelle and Lillian exchanged a telling look and took up position on either side of Chris, taking all but his backpack from him so they could each hold his hand. Nick stood a few paces off, her head cocked in curiosity as she looked around the plantation. Chris let his magic free, flowing out over Lillian and Michelle, over their equipment. Nick turned sharply to him, her lips making the cutest little O of surprise before they vanished. The gargoyle's anger eventually faded with her need to find shelter before dawn. She flapped almost silently to a nearby rocky hillside, taking perch on top of a huge boulder. As she settled in for the day, her magic worked around her, concealing her to appear as a perfectly natural outcropping. She spread her wings wide this morning, more surface area to absorb when the stone skin came. Strength would be vital. Hold it steady! Cat lifted his earmuff and practically screamed at him. I can't, they're shaking. He put the heavy pistol he was trying to aim down on the bench in frustration. He held his trembling hands up for his taskmistress to see. His big mitts were visibly quivering. Clear that weapon! She screeched in glee, pouncing on his mistake. 
You're in my world now, dragon. You will goddamn remember the safety protocol for this firearm, or I will give him a break. Samantha opened the door and slid into the booth as Chris hastened to disarm the pistol he just laid on the bench. At least the barrel was pointed downrange and the safety was on. This isn't the Marine Corps you know, Catherine. But if it was, this sorry little boot bitch would be scuzzing the floor all night for such a piss-per performance. She continued joyfully, ignoring the warning use of her full name. The older woman looked around at the brass littering the floor, the empty ammunition boxes, and the large HNK pistol. She shook her head disappointedly. Clearly Cat wasn't the most understanding or thoughtful teacher, which was important to know. And I suppose you learned to shoot with a .45. You put 150 rounds down range on your first day, too? Well, no. But he can handle the .45. Look at the size of his hands. He's just a soft motherfucker. That's enough, Sam said firmly and loudly in order for her tone to carry through everyone's hearing protection. Her eyes narrowed, looking scathingly at the younger woman as she spoke. Chris, I'm sorry you've had such a rude introduction to the pistol. I just hope this experience hasn't put you off. I'll be okay, Chris assured her, trying to defuse the escalating situation. I think I've had enough for today, though. Good, come with me then. There's someone who wants to meet you. We're going to get ice cream. Sam beckoned him to step down from the shooting bench. Bye, Kat, thanks. Chris shrugged apologetically. Ice cream always wins. But he still has to learn to clean and strip the weapon. Kat was more perplexed now than anything else. God damn it, Kat. Sam rounded on her again and unloaded. Clean it yourself. You've done enough for one day. If I left him with you, I wouldn't be surprised if you had him here all night trying to strip it blindfolded. Sam didn't wait to hear a response, instead bustling Chris away down the hallway. Blindfolds are the third day. Kat shrugged to herself and began collecting loose brass off the floor. I'm really sorry you had to go through that. Sam said as they mounted the stairs out of the small, four-lane underground range in the basement of the BIA garage. I would have stayed around but I needed to pick up Amy from school. It's fine. He insisted. Kat's not the world's best teacher, but I was enjoying it until my hands started falling to pieces. The .45 has far too much recoil for a beginner. Fucking Marines. Sam, it's fine. Let it go. Kat and I are both learning in a way. Hey, I've heard of an amazing ice cream place in the Bing District. It's only a few minutes walk. They were almost at the lobby now and Sam paused on a landing, taking a deep, relaxing breath. She visibly let her anger flow away from her. A few strands of her black hair had escaped her braid, tickling the dusky skin of her flushed neck. She swept them behind her ear, opening her eyes to reveal the calm, professional woman once again. Thanks. She nodded to him and continued on up the stairs, composure restored. The BIA building was a rapidly evolving creature. Case in point, the refurbished lobby now had a reinforced front end, a security checkpoint complete with metal and explosives detectors, stations for four or five security staff, cameras, and according to Michelle, a crowd control panic button. Today, however, there were only two guards on duty. Chris was pretty sure one guy's name was Grady. He wasn't sure about the other. They both had that competent look about them which screamed don't fuck with me. His attention was quickly drawn to the smallest occupant of the lobby a young girl seated on a bench next to a huge potted plant. Her feet dangled, kicking restlessly whilst her nose was buried in a book. Amy. Sam's countenance beamed with pride as she beckoned her daughter over. Come meet mommy's work friend. Amy looked up, carefully bookmarked her place, and shyly shuffled to her mother's side. Amy, this is Chris Barrist. Chris, meet Amy Patel, my little bookworm. Sam petted her daughter's hair. Chris slowly crouched, extending his huge hand for the girl to shake. Hi Amy, it's lovely to meet you. You're big. Amy. Susan's admonishing was drowned out in the dragon's deep, happy laughter. And you're small. He chuckled, employing his best winning smile. Did you consider that? Yes. She smiled tentatively and put her tiny hand in his. They shook. What are you reading? He asked, releasing her hand but staying balanced in a low crouch. He looked up to Sam to make sure he was doing okay. The woman was smiling like a crazy person. The Hobbit. Amy held her book up. I'm almost finished. Chris barely managed to contain his laughter this time. Samantha shrugged almost playfully and he knew she'd played a part in her daughter's reading. Last night we read about Smog and his great hoard of treasure. Sam took her daughter's hand. 
But not all dragons are greedy and wicked, isn't that right, Chris? Exactly. He spoke with authority. In fact, I know of several who are simply delightful. Hey now, your mom promised me ice cream. Should we go? Yeah. Amy agreed wholeheartedly with a manic bouncing. Ice cream, ice cream. Well, okay then. Sam allowed. I'm very proud of you for doing so well in your first week at the new school, Amy. You deserve a treat. They donned coats against the chill autumn wind and departed on their quest. Chris led the way and with only a small detour into the compound's network of underground tunnels, they emerged near the shop Annabelle had so highly recommended. It must be good if it's busy on a cold day like today. Sam commented as six customers exited just before them. They entered the warm interior to the happy tinkling of a small brace of bells attached to the door. Chris had to wait a few moments to enter himself as Amy stopped in the doorway, mesmerized by the fanciful interior of pink, gold, and white. It looked like a confectionery wonderland. Chairs made of candy canes, tables that looked like lollipops, even the floor was artfully painted to look like you were walking on clouds. The place was a Wonka fantasy brought to life. Amy's brown eyes bugged out as they walked past the long display of ice cream tubs and another of delicious handmade confectionery and chocolates. They were just choosing a booth near the back when, with an excited shriek, the door behind the counter burst open and a blonde woman in a hairnet and apron came bustling over to them. Chris didn't have to be introduced to recognize the woman's features or her scent. This must be Haley's mother. Without further ado, he was swept into a rather breasty hug by the excited Warbison. Janet, I presume? Chris laughed, squeezing her back. I'm sorry we haven't officially met before now. I'm dating your daughter, by the way. I know that, silly. She tooted, releasing him reluctantly. I'm just excited you're in my store. I was starting to think Haley was trying to hide you from me. I'm sure she's got her reasons. Chris joked cheekily, making the slightly plump blonde blush. Janet Sybin, I'd like you to meet Samantha and Amy Patel. They've just moved down from Oregon and Sam works with me at the new agency. Oh, well, welcome to Denver, the Warbison said kindly. Please, have whatever you like today on the house. Any friend of this big hunk is a friend of mine. That's very generous, thank you, Janet. Sam smiled. What do you say, Amy? Thank you, Mississippi. Your store is very pretty. Oh, aren't you a sweet little buttercup? Janet fussed. Okay, well, I won't keep you. Chris, you don't be a stranger now, you hear? I'll send out something special just for you in a minute. They took their seats and were immediately served by a pair of very attentive young ladies. One of them almost shoved her peer into the counter to be the first to their table. Chris wasn't sure what brand of being they were, he didn't recognize their scent. Is it always like this when you go somewhere? Sam asked with a frown once their orders were placed. Sort of. Chris shrugged. Depends on the crowd. That must be tedious. Like what, mommy? Amy asked. Oh, don't worry, dear. Chris is sort of like a local hero, and people treat him differently sometimes. Like free ice cream? Exactly. Sam laughed as her daughter's innocent remark struck the nail on the head. Then I want to be a hero when I grow up. Amy stated with supreme finality. I'm sure you will be. Chris smiled at the little cherub. Annabelle's glowing praise did not do the place justice. Chris couldn't comment on Amy or Sam's experience other than to say that they seemed to devour their treats with a chorus of delighted coos and long periods of busy silence. Amy had a junior chocolate float, a small scoop of hazelnut ice cream swimming in a steaming little mug of real, decadent hot chocolate. A twelve-flavor tasting palette was Sam's choice, and she exclaimed with just about every new mouthful. The first taste of Chris' golden-colored ice cream had his mouth in ecstasy. Subtle vanilla exploded from tiny black beads, a sinfully creamy texture melted across his tongue. It was the understated perfection of the classic flavor, balanced with delicate, almost nutty sweetness and a hint of magic. Haley's mother had just fed him something prepared with her very own milk. They left the warmth reluctantly, Amy clutching the small pouch of chocolates Chris had helped her pick out. The wind had picked up as well as the foot traffic as the end of the business day approached. Chris offered Amy a shoulder ride and to Sam's surprise, the usually shy girl accepted with glee. She rode high above the people rushing home from work, a little black-haired empress on a mighty dragon. They were almost back at the BIA building when both their phones exploded into frantic bleeping. Something big is happening. Sam said as Chris held onto Amy's legs and tried to look over her shoulder. Michelle wants everyone in the office ASAP. Good thing we're just around the corner. Chris said. 
I wonder what's gone wrong. We're going to Brazil. Michelle tapped away at her keyboard and a satellite photograph came to life on the briefing room projector screen. Two enormous rivers merged in a sea of green jungle, a city clinging to the northern shore. Manaus to be more exact. Something happened there a few hours ago during a congregation in one of the outlying settlements. Something? Pamela asked, looking around the room to see if anyone else thought this was a little preposterous. It looks like a ritual killing, more than 100 bodies on the ground. Oh my god. Sam's hand came to her mouth in shock and disgust. Chris' hand hovered awkwardly over her shoulder before settling gently. What do we know? He asked. Not a lot so far. Michelle admitted. They've been very reluctant when I've asked for photographs. They were that spooked that the area has been evacuated and sealed off. Rayla confirmed with the Synod that a large magical spike was triangulated to that position though. A sacrifice? Lisa's voice held a tiny quiver of doubt. We don't know, sorry, Lisa. Anyway, word of the mass killing got to someone high up enough that they knew about beings. And they promptly shat their pants. No one knew what to do so they asked us to rush down there and help them investigate. It's a big step considering the Brazilians haven't been our fans since we got caught spying on their president's personal communications a few years ago. If it's a magical incident, why didn't they consult the Rio Territory leader? Lillian asked. Things haven't been going so well down there between the government and local beings. Michelle admitted. The beings are a particularly cagey lot down there. Lillian nodded thoughtfully. It tends to happen after hundreds of years under the Catholic Church. That and in the initial contact with the government a few months ago, they were treated like a second-rate minority group. Are we going to step on anyone's magic little toes if we storm into the Amazon on the government's say-so? Lisa asked. No magical pygmy tribe or anaconda goddess? I sure hope not. Cat laughed. Jungle and sun, just what I need. This city is turning nasty, and it ain't even winter yet. Pack your bikinis then. Michelle smiled at the eager ex-marine. And by that, I mean full-tack gear. We'll have an escort, but I'm driving a hard bargain to keep our diplomatic immunity in case we have to shoot someone in self-defense. Understandably, they're a little reluctant to have us wandering around with assault rifles, but we simply won't go unarmed. I made the point that we're bringing the equivalent of a magical nuclear weapon anyway, so they're thinking it can't hurt too much to have us armed. Worst case, we'll be pistols only. We'll try to leave in two hours. Suits me. Lisa grinned at Pamela. The freckled blonde frowned at the dig. Both women were expert marksmen in their own right, but they'd been having a friendly argument over the last few days. It was the classic if there were only one scenario but with guns. Lisa, of course, would choose a pistol. Pamela, a simple .308 scout rifle. I can't go. Lillian shrugged. Not unless you plan to be back by tomorrow noon. I've finally pinned down a meeting between some of the pricklier vampires in the West and Midwest territories. I can't pull out on that. Yeah, I thought that might be the case. Michelle nodded. What do you think, Chris? Are you ready to be our only magical backup on this one? Aya. Uh, he looked around the room, unsure. He looked to Lillian at his side. Get those goddamn training wheels off. Cat poked him in the ribs from behind. She ain't your mama. All right, all right. He chuckled as Cat kept poking him. She did have a point. He needed to venture out from under Lillian's wing at some stage. Sam, you need to find someone to look after Amy for a few days. Michelle moved along to the next issue with oiled precision. What? Sam asked, this whole time she'd simply assumed she would stay behind. How am I supposed to find someone in a new city on two hours' notice? I've barely been here two weeks. We need your investigative skills, Sam. You're the only one of us who's got experience in forensics. You should ask Petra and Claire. Lisa prompted Chris. They're really nice people, Sam. They're dragons and I barely know them, Amy not at all. Sam almost jumped down Lisa's throat before getting a hold of herself. Sorry, Chris, I didn't mean it like that. It's okay, Sam, she's your daughter. He gave her a little smile. Hey, why don't I give them a call? We've still got a few hours before we have to leave. They could come down here and you can introduce Amy to them. You four can go have dinner with Annabelle and Susan to see if it's a match. This situation is going to keep coming up until you find a solution. Chris is right. You need to find someone you're happy for Amy to stay with from time to time. We need you. Michelle's angels, remember? Lisa offered to show there were no hard feelings for Sam snapping at her. Okay. Sam murmured. Michelle's angels. 
Cat hooped, racing out of the room to get the best pick from the armory. Pamela followed a few seconds later, more sedately but in no less of a hurry to beat the marine to the good stuff. I just... Sam put her head in her hands and let out a little sob. Ever since her dad died I find it so hard to leave her. Lisa shuffled a few seats over and gave her a hug while Chris wondered what was appropriate for him to do other than sit there awkwardly. Ah, motherhood. Lillian purred in his ear, making him sit up straight as a rod as her telekinetic power began to play teasingly across his thigh. Never thought I'd be on that particular roller coaster ride. Hmm. Just don't make any more of our angels into mothers while you're away, okay, youngling? Chris' resulting blush would be a cherished memory for the vampire in their days apart. The jungle assaulted them as soon as the cabin door of the jet unsealed. Heat and humidity washed over him like a wave, making his skin tingle and sweat do almost instantly. There was an earthy, foreign scent to the air which didn't sit right in his nose. It was too pungent, too thick, and much too wet. For a young man from Laramie, Wyoming stepping into the Amazon was a shock to his entire body. Their escort was already arrayed and waiting for them on the tarmac. Two big Ural trucks full of men in green fatigues, old FNFAL rifles slung over their shoulders and floppy camouflage hats on their heads. Three high-end black SUVs beckoned them, promising blessed air conditioning in the 95-degree heat. A tall, very thin man stepped out of an SUV, wearing a practiced air of authority. Behind him, a younger man in glasses exited and trotted along behind obediently. Both wore uniforms similar to the soldiers in front of their trucks, but were uncreased and unstained by sweat. The young man turned out to be their interpreter, for moments after the leader began speaking Portuguese, he rattled out a formal greeting in perfect, if accented English. The older man was Colonel Otero, and he was delighted to host such distinguished dignitaries from their firm allies, the United States of America. A few of the men lined up by the trucks almost sniggered. Michelle responded with a token, forgettable nicety and suggested that they make haste to the site of the incident before tropical decomposition had any more time to complete its grisly work. There was a small debacle when the colonel tried to split their group into the three SUVs, each with their own driver and front seat guard. Michelle was having none of it and demanded that they be transported as a unit. Chris thought it was prudent that they stuck together. Some of the men were giving the women openly speculative looks. The colonel took it in stride, however, smiled evilly, and ordered half of the men from one truck to take their places in the luxury vehicles. Chris groaned as his chance of riding and comfort evaporated faster than his sweat in the muggy air. The men remaining in their awaiting Ural seemed very pleased with themselves. After clambering up into the back of the tall, off-road truck they were quickly underway. Michelle began unpacking her equipment on the floor as they lumbered onto a highway. Cat, Lisa, Pamela, and Sam soon followed her example, strapping on body armor, readying weapons, checking comms and other electronics. The men toward the back of the truck leered at them all the while, muttering suggestive vulgarities. You didn't have to understand Portuguese to know what they were snickering and elbowing each other about. Chris bristled, almost lunging at a man who wolf whistled when Cat got down to her underwear to put her chest armor on. Don't stress it. Sam whispered to him, patting his thigh placatingly. We've all been in the armed services or police, we're used to it by now. Besides, I think they're teasing you. Chris looked around at the grinning faces watching him, and had to admit that they might be. It doesn't make it right. He muttered angrily as he began getting geared up himself. I'm going to deck the next man who whistles. Instead, he ended up laughing along with the rest of them when the soldiers whistled as he took his own t-shirt off. He stood to let the air flow around him and through his sweaty blonde hair. Over the railed side of the truck, a mishmash of buildings and jungle sailed by. They were skirting the city, he saw glimpses of it when they crested small hills. Cat joined him, standing on the bench seat to stick her head into the flowing air beside him. So many trees. He wondered at the seemingly endless foliage on all sides. This isn't even proper jungle. Cat teased him as the truck rumbled along. We won't really see any this trip. Wait until we cross over the Rio Negro, that will be impressive. Everything's got security guards, checkpoints, and crazy fences down here. He pointed to a business they passed with two armed guards posted on the roof. Things are a bit rougher. She agreed. For a little while, they drove through the city proper as the highway looped back around to connect to the bridge. To Chris, the side streets they passed seemed chaotic, dirty, and narrow. The drivers of their convoy appeared to rely on having the right-of-way in almost every situation, and it appeared to work. Motorcycles, cars, and even trucks showed deference. Fuck me, it's huge! 
Chris stood taller, gripping the ribs which would usually support the truck's canvas cover. The dark river that came into view as they drove out onto the four-lane bridge was massive, easily miles across where they traversed, and even wider upstream. The other women rose and turned to look at the spectacle, the largest blackwater river in the world. The men in the truck with them simply shook their heads and ogled the display of shapely bottoms and dark fatigues. Only Pamela sat cautiously, her savage-looking Lithgow F90 in hand. He nodded to her, approving of her wariness, he would be wise to do the same. He partially opened his magical senses, feeling the relatively lush flow of magic wash over him. The river was veritably teeming compared to what he'd felt in the States. Out as far as his eyes could see, lush forest and river intertwined in an abundance of diversity and magic. It was incredible. If it wasn't so damn hot and muggy, he might consider moving here. As they crested the midway point and watched a ship chug underneath, a buzzing note rumbled its low-pitched way into his magical awareness. He looked around, confused at first as to where it came from. Was it the ship passing below them? Something wrong with the truck's tires? It was not a good sound, still faint though it was. The far shore loomed as they began their descent to the other side of the great river, the repulsive rasping buzz growing louder. It was a frenetic, malicious note. It was a note of corruption. Michelle! He's here! Here? She rounded instantly at the tone of his voice. Now? I'm not. I don't know. He tried to find a way to describe what he was feeling as she took a few careful steps across the truck's deck and made him sit. Something up ahead is very wrong. It tastes like Roddick. Fuck. Michelle rubbed her temples in concentration. The mood in the back of the truck changed rapidly as everyone began to take note. Sam looked worried. Kat found a seat and began loading the spare box magazines for her shotgun. Pamela was cool and collected as ever. Are we going to continue? Lisa asked, glancing at the now serious army men. Yes, yes, we absolutely have to be here if Radek is involved. Michelle said. I just wish we were better prepared. We're about as prepared as we're likely to manage. Chris said grimly. Let's go down there, see what's happening, and deal with the bastard. We could have air support. Kat pointed out. Bitch, I'm a dragon. They rode on, mostly keeping silent as Michelle tapped frantically away on her tablet. At their feet, a small, domed satellite uplink connected her back to her support network. She typed away furiously, passing information up the chain of command. Under her skillful fingers, a web was forming. I in low orbit, three satellites were repurposed from their drug task force operations. After 15 minutes of diplomatic fandangoing, a pair of A-1A ground attack aircraft scrambled out of Santa Cruz Air Force Base. They would be arriving late to the fight, with little fuel, and a limited scope of operation, but they would be there. Chris sat still, feeling like grinding his teeth as the magical discord slithered over his senses. It was wrong, stinking of decay and suffering. The dragon inside him wanted to rip, to tear toward the source of the disruption and burn it from existence. They passed a few smaller towns, becoming ever more impoverished as they got away from the relative metropolis of Manaus. The river didn't have defined banks as he was used to. Instead, the entire area was governed by it, and any structure on low land was built to float for when the rainy season came. The four-lane highway rapidly deteriorated to a paved road, then to a narrow, verge-less continuous pothole. This is it! Michelle warned as they turned off onto the dirt, passing a deserted roadside market made of sticks and corrugated iron. I want a tight perimeter around Chris. Do not trust sectors to be covered by our friends in green. Keep your eyes wide but stay composed. Turn your body cameras on now, please. Yes, ma'am! Kat shouted, racking a buckshot round into the breach. Lisa undid the holster strap on her pistol and gave it a nervous, last-minute check. Her thighs were bedecked with extra magazines. The soldiers took the serious mood to heart, checking over their heavy-caliber rifles. They passed two checkpoints on the way into the evacuated settlement. They charged through without slowing, courtesy of Colonel Otero and his radio operator in the lead SUV. As they rounded a corner, the jungle opened to reveal the village, a sprawling cluster of half-cleared land and buildings. They rolled to a lazy stop beside a deserted soccer field, sweat trickling down the back of his neck in both anticipation and dread. A few clouds had appeared in the afternoon sky but it did nothing to assuage the tropical heat. Out! Michelle ordered as soon as they'd stopped. The soldiers snapped to, putting down the tailgate and hastening to get out of the way. Chris' boots hit the red dirt first out of their little group. Instantly he could feel the source of the wrongness. 
His eyes snap eastward, through several houses to the spire of a church rising above the surrounding houses. Help me down, would you? Sam asked from above him, drawing his attention back. I don't want a broken ankle in the first hour. Distracted as he was, he simply hoisted her under the armpits as she turned to use the handles to dismount. She let out a startled grunt at his apparently effortless manhandling but made no further complaint as she straightened her backpack and the heavy plasticized case of forensics equipment slung over her shoulder. The others didn't need his help to dismount, except Pamela, who handed him a padded canvas gun case. Whatever was in there was long, heavy, and he suspected it packed a big punch. She took it back off him on the ground, holding it in her left hand as she shouldered her compact rifle to a ready position with the other. Otero stopped them as they moved toward the dirt street leading further into the village. Apparently, he wasn't happy that Michelle had been throwing her weight around on their little journey. The NSA agent took it stone-faced, nodding along but internally cursing the man for his need to show off in front of his MEN.IT was Cat who seemed more likely to do something rash, bouncing on her toes as she looked over the disheveled buildings with disdain. If you're done. Michelle calmly turned away from the red-faced colonel to address the translator. Tell your commander that I called in backup because we think the Jack of Diamonds himself could be here. The man visibly paled before his translator had begun talking. Apparently, he understood enough English to recognize Roddick's military codename. No. She continued steadily. We're going in there and we're taking point. If you decide to come along, from this moment onward, you answer to me. Or the dragon. As she pointed to Chris' towering figure, and the translator spoke, the old military dog swallowed his pride and nodded his agreement. Turning to his assembled men, he barked a few orders which had them forming up into five-man squads and spreading out. Cat and Pamela took point, covering their advance through the settlement. Their eyes darted between dark, open doors, checking for adversaries. On either side of the raised road, a half-foot of water was all most of the houses had for yards. Shacks might have been a better descriptor, but Chris was too absorbed trying to shield himself from the sickening magic to notice the distinction dot if the magical dirge was so grating on him, it could be affecting his team members. They showed no sign of adverse effects, but he didn't want to take the chance. His awareness spread out to envelop all of them, holding them close. Only Michelle turned to him questioningly as a tiny shiver ran over her skin dot a savage barking came at them from the left, startling them all as a chained bulldog exploded at them from around the corner of a low wall. The crazed whites of its eyes and the frothy saliva at its muzzle barely registered with Chris before a single cracking retort silenced the poor creature. Pamela rose from her knee, the barrel of her rifle still covering the twitching body of the hound. Damn, right between the eyes. Cat murmured appreciatively. You really can shoot that thing one-handed. Let's keep moving. Michelle pushed them forward with a look to their rear to make sure none of the following soldiers were spooked by the gunshot. This could turn into an absolute clusterfuck if they lacked fire discipline. The first body welcomed them with its putrid stench at the crossroads in front of the church. The poor soul had collapsed underneath the little event's notice board, their hand outstretched in plea. A pain snarl locked on their lips as they stared lifelessly up at the blue sky. Lisa, Pamela, and Kat took up covering positions as Sam and Chris took a closer look. Otero moved up to stand beside Michelle in stoic silence as he watched. This happened last night? Sam queried as she put on a pair of disposable gloves. Yes, sometime around 4 p.m. we think. The translator provided, breathing through a handkerchief. Most of the villagers were gathered in the church. The others fled when the screaming began. That can't be right, the decomposition is too advanced, even for this climate. She reached to open the bloated corpse's shirt. Don't touch it. Chris snatched her hand back harshly. I'm wearing gloves, Chris. She scolded, reaching back toward the body. Seriously, don't. He stopped her again. There's something wrong. Ignoring the stairs, he looked around for a big stick. In the end, he ripped a long white paling from the church's fence, glancing warily at the magically menacing structure as he did so. Stand back. He warned, carefully pushing the wood under the body and lifting out a foul sound and a small explosion of rank air were the reward for his effort, but the body rolled onto its grossly inflated stomach. A few disturbed carrion beetles scuttled away from the sunlight, following their feast as it rolled. Oh my god, I think I might be sick. Cat almost retched at the stench. Look. Chris pointed to a charred circle of cloth on the man's upper back with his stick. Can we get that off somehow? I've got a pair of scissors. Sam provided. If I'm careful I wouldn't have to touch him. Do it very carefully. Michelle ordered, 
leaning over the ex-detective with a small camera raised to her eye. The shutter clicked away in staccato as Sam cut down from the collar of the cheap flannel shirt, across the scorched section at the base of the neck. What the fuck is that? She dropped her scissors and scuttled backward as the corpse's brown skin was revealed. Chris nudged the fabric aside, exposing the fading red imprint of a hand. It glowed very softly with a faint crimson light, the flesh inside perfectly preserved while everything around was charred black and crispy. His dragon sense of wrongness went off like a Geiger counter. It's only got three fingers. Michelle frowned. The thumb is too far down, the fingers are too long. That, that isn't a human handprint. The translator made the sign of the cross but Otero slapped the young man on the back of the head, scolding in Portuguese as he pointed toward the church. Chris knelt beside Sam who was breathing hard, her caramel brown skin beating with sweat. Her dark eyes were wide and darting as her scissor-wielding hand twitched uncontrollably. Did you touch it? He asked worriedly, taking her by the shoulders. I? No, I don't think so. She squeezed her eyes shut hard, willing the terror she'd glimpsed to vanish. I saw something, awful. Shit. Chris muttered as he began pulling her away from the corpse. Sam, hold still, I'm going to flush your system with magic. I don't know what's going to happen, but just hold on. The dragon guided his effort, his magic flowing through her shaking body limb by limb. He saturated every part of her with his own energy until finally he isolated the tiny red spark in the index finger of her right hand. He pounced, metaphorically at least, tearing the evil little cold to shreds. With soothing energy, he washed it away and out of her body. Samantha felt everything he did to her, felt his immense magical presence. His spirit, his goodness, his care and concern, she felt it all as he flooded through her. Nerves around her body began a random, lazy firing, creating a confusing mixture of pain and pleasure. A breathy moan left her lips unbidden with his final flood of magic. Damn! Lisa looked on as Sam's body shook, and she clung spasming to the large man. That almost looks like fun. It's not. Chris took off his backpack and let Sam use it as a pillow as she regained her senses. Tell the men not to touch any part of the body, especially not the handprint. They'll suffer the same fate as these poor bastards, only slower. The colonel stepped cautiously away from the corpse to confer with his squad leaders. Do we need hazmat, Chris? Michelle asked. What are we supposed to do with the bodies? There are going to be more in the church. We burned this entire village to the ground. The inside of the church was a scene of absolute horror. Flies buzzed lazily from corpse to corpse, their eggs long since spent but their instinct telling them to try again and again in a rotting glut. Cat was sick, her lunch left dribbling across a wooden pew and onto the packed dirt floor. They had to proceed slowly. Rotting bodies littered the aisle and Chris had to carefully push them to the sides with his piece of stolen fence so they could pass without danger of touching one. Otero followed them, hand on his service pistol. Behind him, he practically dragged the young translator by the ear. He left his men to form a perimeter around the church but his own orders were to never let the Americans out of his sight. With tenacious determination, he forced himself to follow them into that hellhole. This uniform would need to be burnt, the stench of that much cadaverine and putrescine would not wash out. Even if it did, these would never feel clean again. What on earth would do such a thing to this peaceful village? Chris, we can't stay in here. Michelle almost choked through the cloud of decay fumes. Some of these gases are dangerous in high doses. We have to get up to the altar. He shouted, hating every breath he took of the putrid air. There's still magic here. Look. Sam pointed as Chris rolled another body out of their direct path. That's the third one that something large has chewed on. Chris couldn't bear to think about that possibility other than to wish it had been a large local predator rather than the nibbling of whatever had orchestrated this atrocity. He had to force himself onward, even though his instinct told him to run from the waves of dark magic emanating off the altar. The buzzing was horrendously loud, drowning out his senses. It was all he could do to hold his awareness around those who followed him. If his protection of them faltered now, who knew if they would succumb in the same manner as the poor souls decomposing on the floor? Despite the aisle of bodies they just waded through, the scene at the steps up to the altar was worse. At first his mind couldn't make sense of it, the dark piles of burnt matter didn't even look like bodies. They were too small, like the bodies had been burned to graying ashes rather than left to rot. It didn't compute until he saw a pair of tiny pink sneakers protruding from one of the dusty remains. Their velcro straps had melted, blackening under the radiated heat of their owner's combustion. He only hoped it had been quick for the girl, 
Lisa let out a choked sob, drawing his eyes to a different, but no less sickening scene. Four corpses, better preserved and yet more severely burnt than any of the others. They were slumped on their fronts, marked repeatedly with the preserving alien handprint. So covered were they that they let off an evil red glow. The feminine shape of their bodies was preserved only by the repeated grip he'd taken on their hips, flanks, and buttocks. He looked away, unwilling to acknowledge the heinous act. They stepped up past the gruesome crossing into the tiny chancel. The small alcove was thankfully free of corpses but Chris' sense of dread peaked as he passed the wooden pulpit and looked down on the face of the cloth-covered altar. A thick sheet of hand-crafted paper? It looked right back up at him. What is it? Michelle whispered beside him, breaking his staring match with the malevolent thing. I don't know. Look at the writing. He drew her attention to the tiny, alien script that scrawled across the entire surface of the brownish, almost leathery stuff. Did it cause all of this? She breathed, fearing noise would somehow stir it into action as she snapped off a few pictures. That's the same handprint, right? Yeah, what about all the smudges, though? Look. Pamela pointed to something on the floor with her booted foot. There's more of it. Sure enough, when Chris and Michelle squatted lower, they saw a much smaller sheet of the fibrous stuff sticking out from under the altar's discarded ornate Bible. Michelle nudged the holy book out of the way with the short barrel of her submachine gun. Beneath, a piece just the perfect size to contain the red handprint blinked evilly up at his magical awareness, as if angry for his disturbance. It was much thinner and smaller than the other, no writing or dirty smudges. Only the three-fingered handprint, faintly glowing its red, sickly light. Any ideas? Michelle looked to him for answers, the disgust and horror of what she'd seen that afternoon written clearly on her face. We've got to get out of here soon. Sorry, this is out of my league. He frowned, standing back up. It's obviously linked to what's happened here. How or why, I have no idea. I suspect that's a good thing. This is the worst kind of magic. I think they were, they were harvested. Could we take a sample of it back to Rayla? Sam asked tentatively. Absolutely not. He rounded on her. We're dealing with this right now before it somehow spreads. Fire? Cat asked hopefully. Damn straight. Lisa agreed. Okay, everyone pack in behind me. Chris motioned them all into the corner of the chancel as he looked out across the bloated congregation from the altar. First priority was to figure out what to do with the little piece. It would be his guinea pig. Otero mumbled something to his translator who cleared his throat softly and spoke, breaking Chris' train of thought. Are you going to free their souls? The man asked reverently. What? No. I don't. Chris saw the terror on the men's faces and realized that they were probably Christian themselves. Sure, why not? Yeah, I'll give it a try. Fire eye? He gave it his best shot, focusing over the cloying stench to summon a glowing, crackling orange orb in the palm of his hand. He put his rage, disgust, and indignation into the flame, his sorrow for the burned children, the raped women. It flashed purple, suddenly giving off an intense heat that seemed to burn the stench out of the air. The intensity surprised him as it swelled larger, now the size of a small melon. With a dragon's low growl in his throat, he flung it down on the paper. It shattered on impact spewing out little droplets of liquid fire in the same technique he'd learned from his encounter with the elf pyromage. Perhaps it wasn't the most prudent idea, because he had to step back, crowding everyone further into the wall to get away from the flames. Whoa, it's only burning the paper. Cat was the first to notice the fire's strange behavior. Sure enough, the errant purple flames coalesced, stalking in on the already blackening paper like a pack of hunting dogs. They all watched in satisfaction as the handprint caught, turning the flames a verdant green for a few short moments. No flash of broken magic, no evil cackling voice, nothing. The spectacle wasn't over though. Chris watched in fascination as his magical flames dimmed, turned, and began snaking up the edge of the altar cloth. He took a step forward as it neared the top, wondering what he'd unleashed on the world and how he could stop it. Leave it, Michelle said. It's going for the other one. She was right. While the flames had blackened the cloth they'd used to travel toward their malicious target, they weren't spreading. He then realized it had been an incredibly stupid idea to start a fire here while they were trapped in the building. At least he had the ether as an escape route. There was a collective intake of breath as his flames finally met the huge piece of thick, tough paper. The flames lapped at the edges but couldn't seem to get a firm grip. The paper began to curl into itself almost protectively. He fed the fire, 
dumping magic into it through his outstretched hand until the entire altar top was ablaze and purple flames lapped the plastered ceiling. And no one could see through the conflagration. But when they saw the flames begin to tint green, they knew it was working. Tentative smiles grew on faces for the first time since their disgusting ordeal began. It started as a hoarse, dry sound. Chris noticed it first, but it soon grew around them as the parchment burned. A mumbled scratching, joined a few moments later by a loud wooden thump as a pew out in the nave was knocked to the floor. Six hundred kilometers to the southwest, a short, graying man startled awake in the back of an old bus. He licked his dry lips, noting that the sweaty passengers had given him a wide berth as he slept out a little smile crossed his lips at the thought. They didn't know why they left him alone in such a crowded bus, not even daring to put their livestock next to him. Perhaps it was his dark aura, or perhaps they just thought he must be crazy to wear a suit in the heat that he frowned. Something had woken him. It was gone. The connection cut prematurely rather than left to run its course. No matter, the most vital of their essence was safely in his briefcase. He patted the dark leather box at his side happily. A rich haul, that one. He'd been a very bad man. A grunt of amusement rose inside him, making an old toothless woman with a goat in her lap look at him askance. Whoever had been foolish enough to break his spell was in for a nasty surprise that he put the briefcase on his lap, twirling the tumblers until it clicked open. Inside, he rifled through a stack of unusual brownish paper cards. He flipped one, revealing a livid red handprint. His finger stroked over the sheet almost lovingly, testing for some unquantifiable property. Yes. There was plenty of energy left in those bodies. They were in for a nasty surprise indeed. Pamela shot the first walking corpse through the eye before anyone else realized what was happening. Livid red gunk exploded from the back of its head, pulsing with unnatural energy as it splattered against the white wall. I in the quiet after the gunshot, the flames on the altar died quickly. Of the enchanted paper, only a fine gray powder remained. The corpses that had been magically linked to, however, were rising from the ground on unsteady, swollen feet. Perhaps the first shambler had been the owner of the discarded sheet on the floor, freed by the dragon's flames before his fellow congregation. Regardless, it appeared a 5.56 millimeters round to the head didn't pack enough punch. They all watched in stunned horror as it stumbled back a pace, rocking. The creature opened its mouth, revealing a pulsing, gaping, glowing maw. It took a hesitant step forward, a dry, quiet moan issuing forth to the horrified group. With a short burst of automatic fire, the freckled blonde put six more bullets through the man's chest. She followed with another tap of her trigger, one final slug destroying the side of his half-rotten head. By the grace of all things living, he went down. Chris couldn't believe what he'd just seen. His ears rang terribly from the gunfire. His mind was reeling. Everything he knew about magic, everything his dragon knew, screamed that it was impossible. It was wrong, and he was horrified. All hell broke loose as Cat leveled her automatic shotgun at the first rape victim to rise. This one didn't stumble or shuffle closer, it leapt. Her buckshot slapped the blackened corpse from the air, tumbling it into the front of the altar with a loud crunch. Chris looked to either side in a daze as Michelle and Lisa began picking targets amongst the dark masses rising in the aisle and pews. This couldn't be happening. Luminous, unnaturally red fluid dripped across the floor and walls. Metal ripped through the animated bodies, tearing holes and chunks that were largely ignored. Chris, we're being overwhelmed. Michelle shouted at him over the crack 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 of Pamela's disciplined three-round bursts. Get us out of here. It was true. The shambling mass of rotten, red-filled bodies was pressing in even as he saw two faster dark figures lead a column of slow shufflers out the main entrance of the church. Then the much more substantial 7.62 millimeters pills of the terrified soldiers outside began flying into the building. Uncaring of target once they were freed, the heavy bullets sipped through wood, flesh, and even cinder block with ease. Point one grazed across his cheek, vaporizing half of his ear. Pamela screamed beside him, falling to the floor as her right shin exploded, the bullet punching straight through her. He ducked, reaching to grip his wounded squadmate as she clutched her leg in agony. They were too spread out, too focused on firing into the wall of advancing zombies for him to pull them all into the ether. Whoever was left behind would be mauled in seconds. Another round zipped over his head, punching straight through the cinder wall they were backing into. Michelle cursed, blood dripping down the side of her face from shards of shattered concrete. Chris only saw the little pinhole, through which the outside world, and sanity, beckoned. He charged with a mighty roar, magic swelling in him, responding to his pain and his fear. 
The dragon welled up, a little cowed, but all the more vicious and resourceful for his brush with mortality. The cinder block wall buckled outward, spewing rubble onto the lush grass of the cemetery beyond. Armor, cloth, and leather exploded as his body swelled. In a purple shimmer, he grew to its forty-five-foot draconian glory in less than two seconds. Colonel Otero watched in awe, zombies forgotten, as the broad, adder-like purple head of the dragon snaked back through the hole. Get down! The beast rumbled commandingly as he opened his great, toothy maw. That was all the warning they got. Two beams of blinding pinkish light guttered into existence, scything across the top of the shufflers. Heads, torsos, and limbs flopped wetly to the floor, instantly cauterized. Quick, retreat through the breach! Michelle unceremoniously shoved Sam past the dragon's sinuous neck onto the thick lawn. Already, another rank of corpses crowded up around the altar as the severed halves of their companions oriented themselves and began crawling ever onward. Otero and the bloody translator didn't need to be told twice. They rabbit out as fast as they could. Michelle, Lisa and Kat managed a more dignified fighting retreat as the dragon latched his teeth into Pamela's backpack and began tugging her out of danger. He had to admire the wounded woman's tenacity. She was still firing with accuracy as her blood leaked away in pulses from a severed artery. When she looked up and saw an enormous purple dragon dragging her away, she dropped the magazine she'd been holding and lunged for her rifle case. He ended up tugging her nun to gently back through the hole as she screamed in defiance and agony, her leg flopping uselessly behind but her prized gun was safe beside her. Bite this, motherfuckers! Kat screamed as she underarmed an M67 back into the writhing mass of unnaturally sanguine flesh. Chris turned his huge body, shielding Pamela from the explosion. Unfortunately, his flailing tail clipped Michelle right in the chest, sending her flying winded across the lawn. The grenade went off, hot steel fragments careening through the densely packed mob trying to overcome the obstacle presented by the altar. It was not as effective as the marine had hoped. Barely seconds later, a swaying, rotten corpse loomed in the hole of their broken wall. She punched him backward with an automatic burst of high-speed ball bearings, running the magazine dry. With more care this time, he dragged his wounded charge away from danger before he turned to assess what to do next. Sam was helping Michelle unsteadily to her feet while Kat and Lisa took up positions and took turns firing and reloading. The FBI agent's pistol barked rapidly, delivering lead to head with Olympian efficiency. Otero was helping, standing firm now, firing occasionally with his pistol as he snapped commands into his handheld radio. Chris was about to rejoice that they weren't getting tagged with friendly fire anymore when a burst of automatic fire tracked across his purple flank and spine. He bellowed a roar of pain as one of the bullets wedged unluckily between his scales and sank into his side right at the transition from softer cream to hard purple. He swiveled his neck, but found the colonel rushing to stand in front of him as one of the squads he'd called for backup ran around the side of the church with their guns leveled. The officer was screaming at his men, pointing at the shuffling bodies threatening to pour out of the breach. The men obeyed, firing into the church with only occasional backward glances at the purple dragon. Finally, he got a chance to look at Pamela's ruined leg. She was in bad shape. Both bones in her shin were snapped. He could see white fragments sticking out through the meaty mess. She looked up at his cocked head in confusion as he leaned forward and began lapping. Are you eating me? He felt the hot metal of her gun barrel pressed into his thick neck. I'm trying to heal you. He rumbled deeply, stilling his forked tongue lest she take offense. Oh. Well then, as you were, Dragon Dot I'll reload a few magazines while you're blocking my view. She did just that pulling off her backpack to find the extra ammunition for her assault rifle as he pushed as much of his healing saliva into her wound as he could dot he watched the fight through one gold-flecked eye. Finally, it seemed that overwhelming firepower was prevailing. Fewer legless torsos clawed their way forward, fewer still had use of their legs. It looked like the soldiers had figured out that was the best way to slow them down. No legs, no walking, no running, and definitely no fucking jumping. Hopefully, the men on the other side of the building were faring as well. Twitching, rotting corpses were beginning to pile up now. They leaked their filthy, infectious soup of magical red stuff even if they no longer moved or made their terrible moaning. There was so much, it flowed out onto the rubble-strewn grass, pooling and slowly spreading. When her legs stopped seeping fresh blood, he realized that he needed to end it once and for all. Tell your men not to shoot me. He growled at the translator as he slunk back toward the ruined church that he felt into the ether, sparking one of his black orbs into life. He should have done this from the start if he'd known what was good for him. It grew big under his urging, hungry and soulless, devouring dirt, church, grass, 
and Scarlet Glop without prejudice. The report of gunfire ceased entirely when the orb grew larger than the roof of the church. He advanced, raking it back and forth, stripping the top meter of soil and everything above as he went. Cat and Lisa moved into position on either side of him as he worked. A pair of warrior angels ready to defend him. When he'd swallowed the whole building with his magic, he raised the orb so he could see the terrified soldiers on the other side. A couple of them shouldered their rifles at him but word had spread and their comrades quickly set them straight. They had fared worse on the side of the building, caught off guard when the agile blackened women leapt amongst them. Three green uniformed bodies now twitched on the dirt path amongst the vanquished dead, covered in bite marks and vile red stuff. Get back! He warned the gawking, rattled soldiers as he brought the orb back down to scoop up the zombified remains, dead soldiers and all. Stripping the entire area down to bedrock to make sure nothing escaped seemed like a good idea so he did the best he could, filling the orb with an ever-widening circle of matter. Finally, he felt the pressure building inside as it became overfilled and the mass within excited dot he fired his plasma breath into it twice, exhausting his strange little glands then letting them recharge. The men sat down to watch in disbelief while the angels crowded around Pamela and fashioned a splint to immobilize her leg. When he was satisfied, he gave a few experimental flaps of his wings before launching into the sky. He circled once, gaining altitude over the jungle before he slipped himself into the ether. The orb had done its job admirably so he changed the parameters to stop sucking in every particle it touched. In the norm, the black sphere became a perfect mirror as light stopped racing in and began scattering off its surface. It reflected a distorted image off its curved surface back to the watching humans as it rose into the sky. Up, 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 he dragged the huge orb, a writhing purple here in the ether. The inside of it was molten, but he wasn't taking any chances. Something told him it would be very bad if even a tiny amount of that red shit escaped destruction. Even his plasma wasn't guarantee enough for him. Up he pulled, straining under the load as he flapped up through the featureless gray nothingness of aether sky die in the upper atmosphere, there was even less nothing for his wings to grip. It was all his dragon's flight magic then, pushing him slowly forward through forcible dot in an exhausted epiphany, he made a mental note to examine how gravity worked in the ether. But that would have to wait. When he could rise no more, he pushed the purple orb, flinging it outward with all his might. It shrank away quickly, accelerating incredibly under his instruction. Lightheaded from exhaustion and lack of air, he allowed himself to plummet back toward the green expanse of rainforest. As he fell, he felt the orb reach his specified velocity and wink out. The contents would be floating for a good long while with their inherited momentum. Hopefully, they crashed into the side of Jupiter, or better yet, the sun. He phased back into the village to startled shouts and cheers, a brace of huge river catfish hanging from his mouth. What now? He yawned, his bloodied head resting in her lap as they bumped slowly back down the gradually improving road toward the city. His belly was full of fish, he ached, and he just wanted to curl up and sleep for days. In about four, Michelle lifted her tablet to check. No, two minutes, those jets are going to drop 6,000 pounds of laser-guided explosives on what's left of that village. No, I mean what now? I'm not sure I can manage to take you all back to the States tonight. I'm pooped. Idiot. She laughed, running her hand into his messy hair. I've never heard of anything so ridiculous. So paranoid you lobbed 30 tons of perfectly impoverished topsoil and a whole church into space. I brought my bikini. Kat said hopefully from beside them. So did I. Michelle smiled down at him. Want to see? This story is continued in the next part. This podcast is part of the Erotica Podcast Network. We offer a free Erotica Podcast and a premium patron taboo podcast which contains more intense sexual themes. You can subscribe to the premium podcast for $2 per month or support the Erotica Podcast on Patreon to support us and allow members to request future stories and themes. Links are in the description. Thank you for listening.